Hi, I'm Alex Anders. I'm the author of the steamy male-male-female menage romance you're about to listen to. The description of it is below, but allow me to tell you something about it. It is about Lisa, a recently graduated introverted curvy girl whose favorite love of life is reading fan fiction, specifically fan fiction about real-life tech billionaire Win Wyatt. And her fantasies seem to be coming true when she gets hired as a temp at Win Wyatt's rocket ship company. She's there and she meets Drew, this gorgeous, super intelligent chief engineer. And things start happening between the two of them. And that would have been it if one day Win Wyatt didn't walk by and notice her and give her an opportunity that she could never have imagined. Now, as the author, will tragedy strike this group? Maybe. Will spicy things happen in this group? Maybe. Will you love this story? Oh, definitely you will. But before you listen to it, I'll let you know that there's a version of this audiobook that exists in Audible, narrated by me, and you can get it for free by signing up for a free trial using the link in the descriptions below. So please consider that. Maybe listen to a sample of someone really great narrating the story. Otherwise, enjoy the audiobook. In the Moonlight by A. Anders Chapter 1 Lisa Lisa Sammy drove to the first day of her temp assignment giddy with excitement. She didn't like the term fangirl, but for Wynne Wyatt, innovator genius and founder of the rocket company Moon X, that was exactly what she was. When her temporary assignment coordinator had called and told her that Moon X was where she would be working, she couldn't believe it. Now here she was driving to Moon X's headquarters about to work there for a day. It was like the start of every Win Wyatt fan fiction story she had ever read. Lisa didn't want to blink because, if this was a dream, she definitely didn't want to wake up. Having only recently graduated from college, working for Moon X was going to be the highlight of Lisa's young life. She had been following Win Wyatt's companies for years. He was basically a superhero, billionaire genius with incredibly high cheekbones and washboard abs. How did Lisa know about the abs? Come on. She was a fangirl. The picture of him shirtless in the Bahamas running the Conchman Triathlon was a meme. She looked at it so often it may as well have been her brain screensaver. And now, here she was about to spend a day working at his rocket company. She was literally tingling with joy. Hi, Lisa said leaning out of her car window with a huge smile. Good morning, the man at the gate replied with nowhere near Lisa's enthusiasm. Name, please? Lisa Sammy. I'm a temp. I'm supposed to be reporting to Tina Guzman in Hangar 1A. The portly, dark-skinned man retreated into his booth and consulted his computer. In a few seconds, he returned with a name tag. Please wear this at all times and you can park in Lot Pluto, which is back there, he explained, pointing to a lot across the street. Okay, thank you. It turned out that the Pluto lot was as far away as it sounded. Lisa didn't care, though. Because if a week earlier, someone on the Win Wyatt Tumblr thread had told her that she could see the inside of Moon X in exchange for her left breast, she would have taken it. And her left breast was her good one. Hiking the quarter mile to Hangar 1A was nothing compared to that. And if while getting there, one of the fast-moving cars hit her as she crossed the four-lane freeway which somehow lacked a crosswalk, at least she would die happy. However, making peace with her possible death didn't actually help Lisa as she approached the freeway needing to cross. Looking down at her cutest two-inch heels now layered with dust, she wondered if she could run across without tripping. 
Lisa had always been a bigger girl, so running was never her thing. Staring down the freeway at the cars which were approaching very quickly, Lisa bent her knees and got ready to sprint. She could feel her heart pounding. This could literally be the day she died. There was nothing that was going to stop her, though. She was about to step foot into Win Wyatt's rocket lair. Was she going to let a reasonably good chance of death stop her from that? Of course not. With the street seemingly clear, Lisa took a deep breath and ran. Clutching her backpack and lunch, she didn't feel the need to look cute. This was survival. Feeling her body jiggle and then stop, she paused at the grassy divider and then ran on. It was as she crossed the second set of roads when Lisa considered if she was doing this all wrong. When Wyatt couldn't expect his employees to survive life-or-death trials every morning before work, could he? Sure, he was known to hang glide and climb mountains, but his employees probably arrived to work not even having had their morning coffee. A live-action version of Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, seemed a lot to ask of them. Undeniably out of breath, Lisa came to a stop as she crossed onto the grass just outside the facility's executive parking lot. From there, she was able to squeeze between the electric cars, all created at Wynn Wyatt's electric car company, and then walk up to the entrance of Hangar 1A. Entering what had to be the coolest rocket-themed lobby she had ever been in, she approached the receptionist. Hi there, a friendly Latino guy in his early 30s said. Hi, Lisa replied, feeling her excitement return. I'm here to meet Tina Guzman in Hangar 1A. Sure. One second. The man picked up the phone and called someone. Yes, this is Juan from the front desk. I have a... I'm sorry, what's your name? Lisa Sammy. I have a Lisa Sammy here to see you. Juan paused for a moment, thanked the person and then hung up. If you'd like to take a seat, Tina will be out in a moment to get you. Lisa felt her face flush hearing those words. She couldn't believe that she was here. Actually, she couldn't believe she was anywhere after crossing a four-lane freeway. But on top of that, she couldn't believe that she was here. Lisa Sammy. A shorter, almost Indian-looking woman said to her, as she exited the hangar's internal doors. Lisa shot to her feet. Yes. Hi. Nice to meet you, Tina said offering her hand. Lisa couldn't remember much of what was said after that. She was too busy putting everything she had into not slipping into fangirl mode. If she could just not embarrass herself, it would be her own personal moon landing. After all, she had just shaken the hand of someone who worked at Moon X and had probably touched Win Wyatt himself. Lisa didn't know how she was managing to keep herself together, but she was. Led behind the hangar's internal doors, Lisa was greeted with something she would never have expected. The hangar was just that. It was literally a revamped aircraft hangar. The area was huge and sprawling out in front of her with what looked like endless cubicles. At the far end of the room, however, was something she would never have expected. Lisa froze as soon as she spotted it. It was a real-life full-sized rocket. It's impressive, isn't it? Tina said, waking Lisa from her stupor. Hell yeah, it was, Lisa thought. Even though she replied, I'm sorry, what? While trying not to pee herself. The rocket. It's impressive. Oh. Yeah. It's all right, I guess, Lisa said, trying to remain cool. Tina chuckled. It's okay if you want to geek out. I mean, I once had my first day here, too. We're standing in front of a rocket that actually went into space. You can be impressed. Lisa exhaled relieved. Oh, thank God. Because I can't tell you how exciting this is for me. Don't worry, I get it. Everyone here gets it. We're working for Win Wyatt, and we're friggin' sending rockets into space. 
Don't worry, that isn't lost on any of us, Tina said with a smile. You mean that when Wyatt actually comes in to work here? In this building? Yeah. His office is at the far end. When he comes in, he's fairly busy though. So I do not recommend you hanging out down there for any reason, Tina said knowingly. I mean, at some point, you might need to go down there to make a copy or something. But it's best to do what you have to do, and then return to her desk. Just be cool about it, Tina instructed cheerfully. Lisa looked at Tina amazed. She couldn't believe it. Tina was a fangirl too. What must it be like for her to come in every day and be around all of this? It had to be like heaven. After Tina showed Lisa to her desk, Tina gave her a list of responsibilities for the day. She was to be the receptionist for the combustion engineers. Tina explained that these were the engineers that did things like design fuel lines and valves. The more Tina explained, the less impressive it sounded. So Lisa decided to stick with how Tina originally described them. They were the folks responsible for everything that exploded. The main responsibility on Lisa's to-do list was printing out and retrieving schematics from a printer in an adjacent room. It was all simple enough. Add that to answering the occasional phone, and Lisa figured that she was going to have a fairly easy day. But in spite of how easy everything seemed, it didn't make waiting for her first call any less nerve-wracking. Lisa wasn't someone who would ever be described as a people person. She was an introvert. And if she could spend 24-7 in her bedroom, she definitely would. A girl, however, needed to work. And if she had the chance to work at her fantasy man's rocket company, then she was willing to endure the tiring act of interacting with humans. Mercifully, it didn't take long for Lisa to get her first call breaking the ice. With the phone buzzing in front of her, Lisa took a deep inhale and answered it. Hello, Jennifer's desk, Lisa said, referring to the nameplate sitting in front of her. Hi, a confused man responded. You're not Jennifer. No. Jennifer's out for the day. I'll be covering her desk until she gets back. Is there anything I can help you with? Oh. Yes. I just printed out plot grid A7 to D14. When it's done, can you bring it to conference room B? Sure thing, she agreed, only familiar with a few of the words in his request. Plot grid A7 to D14. What was that? And where was conference room B? Really wanting to appear competent at her temp jobs, Lisa had long ago sworn that she would only ask for help on an assignment as a last resort. Certainly, she was smart enough to figure most things out, including this. After all, she knew where the printer room was, and she had glimpsed what could be conference rooms when she had entered the hangar. From the many other temp jobs she had, Lisa knew that what everyone was looking for was someone who was self-sufficient. Moonex was her dream job. She definitely wanted to make a great impression here. Getting up from her desk, Lisa headed to the printer room. In it were three printers that were each five feet wide. All three of the machines were rapidly printing something, and each was spitting out what had to be schematics. Lisa decided that this was where the A7 to D14 part would become important. But the question was, how was she going to tell which of these schematics were which? Lisa felt the pressure mount as she approached the first printer. Not wanting to disturb anything, she gently pushed the paper around until she found the beginning of the image. Scanning the edge of it, she didn't find any writing or designators at all. Deciding to be less gentle, she stretched out the roll of paper. Looking at the image, she was impressed. Impressed or not, however, she couldn't tell what was what. What she could tell, though, was that the image was almost complete. Stretching it out like a bedsheet hanging between clotheslines, she watched it print its last lines. It was at the very end that she spotted something. 
G27 to H28, she read aloud. A feeling of relief washed through her. She could do this. She knew what she was looking for. She was right, she wasn't a complete idiot. Doing her best to return the bedsheet-sized paper back to where it had fallen, she checked the second printer and then the third. It's always the last place you look, she reminded herself. Waiting for the final printer to complete, she breathed another sigh of relief when A7 to D14 was printed at the end. Now she just had to figure out how to detach the paper from the roll. What she discovered was that there was a button marked cut. When she pressed it, it moved a small knife across the paper allowing the edge of it to join the rest of it on the ground. This was it. She had found what she had come for, and now she just needed to take it to conference room B, so, gathering the loosely fallen schematics into her arms, she headed towards where she thought she had seen the conference rooms. As she got closer to the conference room hallway, she started to reconsider the haphazard way in which she had gathered the paper. Now that she knew what she was looking for, she started to notice five-foot tubes of paper everywhere. Perhaps she was supposed to roll it up, she considered. No, of course she was supposed to roll it up. What type of moron gathered paper from the ground without rolling it up? As Lisa began to reconsider more of her life choices, a sign appeared on the wall in front of her. It read Conference Room B, she was there. Looking into the huge glass window before her, she spotted a gorgeous man who most certainly had to be an underwear model. Strong cheekbones, broad shoulders, a tapered waist, he looked like he stepped off of the pages of some clothing catalog. Succumbing to the power of such unmatched hotness, Lisa's mouth slowly dropped open. It was then that the super-hot guy spotted her. With an arm full of a paper and the expression of someone incapable of dressing herself, the man-god gestured her to come in. Two children and a mortgage into her they would have beautiful babies together fantasy, Lisa woke herself up and pulled herself together. She was already a woman carry fifty feet squared of unrolled paper, she had to show some dignity. Lisa, reaching forward and fumbling with the door's handle, eventually opened the door and entered the room. Um, I guess you can just put that on the table, the familiar voice said gesturing towards the ten-foot conference table in front of him. What Lisa next discovered as she approached the table was that apparently, there was no elegant way to put down fifty feet squared of unrolled paper. So instead of pretending like there was, she held her breath, dumped A7 to D14 onto the table, and then refused to make eye contact with anyone as she quickly fled. Thank you, the gorgeous guy said as she scurried out. Safely back into the hallway, Lisa moved as quickly as she could past the window, only looking back when there was a moment of viewing left. That was when she turned and looked at the hot guy again. Damn, he was amazing looking. Lisa hadn't even realized they made men like him in real life. She had always figured that the guys in magazines were just stored in warehouses somewhere until their next photo shoot where they were then dressed and posed. It made no sense to her that someone like him could exist in real life. It just seemed unfair. And what topped off the unfairness was that she had just humiliated herself in front of him like some dancing hippo. How could she do that? How could she make the best day of her life the most embarrassing? Returning to her desk, Lisa was given a cruel amount of time to think about it. It was like being given a timeout, only in this timeout, she was forced to watch all of her beautiful fantasy babies die. How could she have done this to little Sebastian and Thomas, the twins she would have dressed alike and taught to speak French? Lisa was traced deep into her humiliation spiral when with great relief her phone rang. She made note of the number. Hello. She asked insecurely. Yes. It's me again. I'm printing out D15 to E22. Okay. I'll bring it in, Lisa replied, still mourning the loss of the loves of her fantasy life. Hanging up the phone, Lisa marched into the printing room with purpose. 
She knew what she was doing this time, so when the third printer stopped printing, she pressed the cut button and went to work. Not only did she roll the paper like a boss, but she found not one but three elastic bands to hold it together. Marching back to the conference room, Lisa knew what she had to do. She couldn't be known as the bumbling temp. She was a strong, capable woman. She had to let them know. Straightening her back, she approached the conference room window without looking in. As if she belonged there, she threw the door open, marched in, and smacked her tube of paper onto the table. There was no way that she was going to look at him again. Why would she need to? She was a strong, capable woman. She didn't need his approval. Lisa was ready to whip her hair back and head out of the room when something unexpectedly registered in the corner of her eye. There were two new people in the room. They were seated across the table from where the gorgeous guy stood, and there was a high-pitched squeal in her head screaming for her to turn around and look at them. Heat wafted from her face in the brief time it took her to register the thought. Her chest clenched and she lost her breath. It couldn't be, she thought. But there was only one way to find out. When Lisa turned around and spotted Win Wyatt sitting less than ten feet from her, she almost peed her pants. That isn't an exaggeration. It took everything Lisa had to not open her bladder and drain the contents of it onto the conference room floor. Seated in front of her was the subject of more erotic fan fiction than Lisa could read in a month, and she knew that because she had read it all. She was still a strong, capable woman, however. And it wouldn't do to slide herself across the table and grab at his clothes like some crazy fangirl. No, she was a professional. She would simply take in every detail of his essence and file it in her spank bank for later. Just before the moment it got creepy, Lisa pulled herself away and left the room. Walking back to her desk, all she could think about was when and what he might have thought about her. Did he notice her? Did he like her? She had been sure to wear her most professional yet alluring dress to work, so at least there was that. But did he appreciate it? Would he think about her later, as she was unquestionably going to be doing for the rest of her life? Lisa didn't get another phone call for a while, which was perfect because she needed time to process what had just happened. After she asked herself every possible question she could about what Wynne might have thought about her, she turned her attention to the image of him sitting there. As she had noticed when she first sensed his presence, he hadn't been sitting alone. As she thought about the image which was now burned into her mind, she recognized the person sitting with him. His name was Bowie Palmer, and he was the co-founder of Moon X. The two of them had started the company together, and by all accounts, were serious BFFs. It was amazing to see Win Wyatt in the flesh, but to see the both of them together was something else. Lisa was a diehard Win Wyatt fanfiction fan, but no fanfiction was complete without at least alluding to Bowie Palmer. And now, here they were, the both of them casually sitting together as if they weren't about to become the subject of every one of her erotic fantasies. Can you bring in I-30 to J-32, the gorgeous man asked when he called again. Lisa agreed, and was much better prepared for what would happen this time around. Collecting and securing the engine schematics, she threw it on her shoulder like a musket and marched it over. Her plan was to walk in, plop it down, and walk out like it was nothing. It had been a great plan, and was sure to get Wynne to notice her if the people in the room weren't already engaged in what could almost be described as a screaming match. How dare anyone talk to Wynne Wyatt like that? Didn't they know who he was? Lisa entered the room getting a better look at what was going on. It seemed like the gorgeous man and Wynne Wyatt were going at it. They weren't exactly arguing per se, but they were talking passionately. Lisa wasn't sure what they were talking about, but she decided that it was best for her to get in and out as quickly as she could. Waiting for another call, an opportunity to see Wynne Wyatt, she ate her lunch at her desk. 
nothing came of it. As lunchtime turned into the end of the day, Lisa was beginning to think that her incredible adventure with Wynne Wyatt had come to an end. With her just about to lose hope, she heard a familiar voice echoing down the conference room hallway. It was getting closer. It couldn't be happening. Was Wynne Wyatt about to pass her desk? This was incredible. Lisa only had a moment to get herself prepared. Brushing her hair back was all she had time for. I told you, when the valve opens it releases 0.2 pascals of pressure. That is absolutely within the margin of safety. The odds of anything bad happening are less than a thousand to one, Wynne told Bowie. You say that like a thousand to one is good odds, Bowie said sarcastically. Okay. Then it's like a million to one. Whatever it is, the likelihood of something bad happening is negligible, Wynne said as he crossed in front of Lisa's desk. As Lisa watched, she drank in every word the two said and made note of every movement they made. She wanted to remember every second of this and was sure that she was the luckiest person alive, until something happened that made her realize that her good luck had only just begun. One second Bowie, Wynne said, as his eyes unexpectedly shifted from his friend to Lisa. Seeing Wynne's focus shift, Lisa felt a sledgehammer hit her in the chest. Lisa's life suddenly stopped. She was staring into Wynne Wyatt's eyes, and for some unknown reason Wynne was walking towards her. What was going on? Had she died from humiliation during her first schematics delivery? Was she being welcomed into the afterlife? If so, bring it on. I'm sorry, what's your name? Wynne Wyatt asked while standing in front of her desk, as if he was some type of normal human. Lisa, knowing that she would get only one shot at this, took a moment to settle herself and then slowly opened her mouth to speak. Lisa Sammy, she said before throwing a party in her mind for getting it out. I like that name. I'll remember that, Wynne said with a smile. By the way, you're doing a great job. Lisa could hear Bowie sigh before saying, Wynne, come on. Wynne turned to Bowie, giving him a guilty smile. What? I'm simply telling one of our employees that she's doing a good job. Wynne turned back to Lisa. And you are by the way. Wynne, let's go. We have another meeting, Bowie insisted before Wynne finally joined him and the two walked off. Staring at the two men as they left, Lisa had a full-on lady boner. She was so hard she practically had to reach her hand in her pants and adjust herself. If a homeless man would have propositioned her at that moment, she would have jumped him and rode him like a cowgirl. Never in her life had her loins burned with so much desire. What the hell had just happened? She wondered. Had Wynne Wyatt just come up to her and told her that she was doing a good job? That type of stuff didn't happen in the real world. Seriously, was this the afterlife? If so, why hadn't she died years ago? It was a good thing that her phone didn't ring anymore for the rest of the day because, after that, Lisa wasn't sure that she could still speak. Her day might have started off bumpy, but this, without a doubt, had been the best day of her life. As 6 p.m. approached, she didn't want the day to end. So when Tina came over to sign her time card, Lisa was almost brought to tears. How was it? Tina asked cheerfully. Amazing, Lisa said trying to explain the magnificence of what had happened. That's awesome. Yeah, the folks in this department are pretty cool. If you'd like, we can add you to our temp list for a future assignment. Sure, I would love that, Lisa agreed confident that she would never hear from them again. It wasn't that Lisa didn't think that she had done a good job. She was sure that she had done a perfectly adequate job. But we'll add you to our list was just what company said. For all of the good jobs that she had been told that she had done, never once has she been called back to a company for a second assignment. Lisa always tried her best not to take that fact personally, but how else was she supposed to take it? 
Was it that the companies were really just looking for eye candy? Lisa didn't know, but it had to be something because she had never been called back. Putting thoughts of her return aside, Lisa decided to make the most of whatever opportunity she had left at Moon X. Instead of walking directly out, she took the long route which included a quick tour around the real-life rocket. In any other circumstance, she would have paid money to see it. So there was no way she was going to leave without taking a quick look. Once she got her eyes worth of the rocket, she casually strolled by Win Wyatt's office. The door was closed, so as far as she could tell, he wasn't there. That was too bad, but how much more could she ask from the universe? Win Wyatt had already spoken to her for no good reason. She was going to be able to ride that high for the rest of the month. Saying her final goodbyes to the company that she had for so long dreamed about working at, Lisa left the building wondering how she could legitimately extend her day. What was she supposed to do now, go home and repeatedly masturbate? Sure, it was a reasonable option, but she couldn't get herself to return to the solitude of her bedroom just yet. Distractedly headed for the way-too-busy freeway, she timed her crossing and broke into a jog. There was no way that this was the way that people were supposed to get to the parking lot. If it was, how were they not losing two engineers a month? When Lisa was safely on the other side, she decided that the crazy design of the parking lot didn't matter. She would never have to use it again. It was sad for her to think that, but the day wasn't done yet. She still held hope that she could extend it just a little further. Sitting quietly behind the wheel of her car with the engine off was when she decided it. She never ever went to bars, but she was going to find the closest bar and have a drink. Adults did that, didn't they? Sure, it was a Wednesday, but when you need a drink after work, you need a drink. And clearly, her titillatingly exciting day was giving her a boost of courage she had never before felt. Yelping a little bar close by, Lisa started up her car and headed towards it. Parked outside of it, it wasn't very impressive. Wondering if this would be considered a dive bar, Lisa entered and immediately pictured a springboard by the door. That told Lisa everything she needed to know. Not having much experience with bars, much less dive bars, Lisa decided that this place would do. Strolling through the completely vacant room to the bar, Lisa took a seat. The thick tattooed bartender came over to take her drink. What can I get you? The woman asked. That was a good question. Lisa could just have a beer or she could have something that reflected her mood. Right now her mood involved panty dropping, specifically her own. I'll take a Moscow mule, Lisa told her having seen the drink mentioned in a fan FIC. The tattooed bartender gave her a bit of a side eye, but then left to make the drink. Did people not order Moscow mules in real life? Lisa wondered. Was it just a made-up drink? When the bartender went in back in search of a copper mug, Lisa took the opportunity to look around. The place was dead. It couldn't have been more perfect for Lisa. She was at a bar without having to actually be around people. Could her luck get any better? Just as Lisa began to praise her completely out-of-character decision, her attention was dragged towards the front door. Apparently, she had spoken too quickly. Because as she stared, someone stepped in and headed towards her in the bar. When he chose the stool three seats from hers out of every empty seat in the room, Lisa quickly turned away and reconsidered her obviously questionable decision to go out. Out of everywhere he could have chosen to sit, did he really have to sit right there? It would be like someone sitting next to you in an empty movie theater. Who did that? Crazy people, that's who. With Lisa losing her desire to stay, she did the unthinkable and looked over at the highly inappropriate man. It was just a glance but it turned out that it had been enough. She recognized him. 
The man who had sat three seats from her was little Sebastian and little Thomas's fantasy father. It was her gorgeous boss from Moon X. Recognizing him, suddenly everything changed. Staring blankly at the rows of bottles in front of her, Lisa wondered what she was supposed to do. Would he recognize her? He had to, right? She had just worked with him all day. Besides, it wasn't like she was forgettable. Hadn't she humiliated herself as she fumbled into the conference room that first time? Who would forget that person? Lisa groaned remembering the event. She felt like such a knob. Recalling it all, she wondered if she actually wanted him to remember her. Sure, it meant dishonoring the memory of little Sebastian and Thomas, but they were bound to fall prey to the temptations of the supermodel life anyway, so screw them. Do you know if there's a bartender? The good-looking man suddenly asked Lisa. Lisa, partially hiding her identity, didn't look at him as she replied. Yes, she's in back. Oh. Okay, he said before again becoming silent. As the silence grew between the two, Lisa decided that she was being ridiculous. The two of them were alone at a bar, and he worked at Moon X. Her whole purpose of coming to the bar was to extend her time associated with Win Wyatt. If talking to one of his engineers wasn't going to do that, then what the hell would? Taking a deep breath and fighting back the last of her hesitation, Lisa gathered herself and turned her head to face the gorgeous man. Waiting for the inevitable recognition, she stared at him waiting for him to turn. When he finally turned and stared, Lisa smiled bashfully. As if he didn't recognize her, he offered her an awkward smile back and then looked away. Lisa was confused by this. Was this guy just the rudest person she'd ever met? She decided it was possible. However, what was even more possible, and the best topper for the day's humiliation, was that although they had spent the day working together, he didn't recognize her. Lisa whipped back around considering the possibility. It had only been a few hours since he had called her, and had asked her to bring his schematics into the conference room. She had fumbled in and tossed an armful of paper onto the desk. How was she not seared into his brain one way or another? Was she seriously that forgettable? Reaching for her tail and putting it firmly between her legs, Lisa was about to get up and go when the bartender returned with a full copper mug. There was no way she could leave now. What was she going to do, make a scene as she crossed the empty room? As the bartender placed the drink in front of Lisa, Lisa was surprised to hear the gorgeous guy's voice again. That looks cool. What did you order? He asked drawing Lisa's attention. Unsure of how to treat him, she decided to pretend like she didn't know who he was either. It's called a Moscow Mule. Is it good? Lisa turned back to the mug and took a sip. It was okay at best. Yeah, it's really good, she said with the bartender's intense gaze bearing down on her. You know what? I'll have one of those, the gorgeous man said to the displeased bartender. The bartender gave Lisa a look letting her know that this was her fault, and then headed to the back to find another copper mug. Did I say something wrong? The gorgeous guy asked Lisa quietly. I think she's just edgy. That just might be her vibe. The gorgeous guy chuckled. You might be right. When the guy beside her laughed, she was reminded of how good-looking he actually was. What was he doing here? And if this was his regular hangout, why wasn't he familiar with the bartender? Do you come here often? She asked before realizing what she was saying. Oh wait. That sounded like a pickup line. I'm not trying to pick you up. I was just wondering if you've been here before because you didn't know the bartender. That's all, she said doing her best to backpedal. The guy laughed again. Oh, I didn't think you were hitting on me. Lisa wasn't sure how to take that.
As she considered, he continued. I've never been here before. Have you? No. I'm not from this part of town. I was working at a job close by and decided to come here for a drink, she said sure that he would finally make the connection. Oh. Cool. Yeah, I had a challenging day at the office myself. Talk about really needing a drink, he said completely oblivious to who he was talking to. Really? Lisa replied, unable to believe that he still hadn't recognized her. The guy shook his head. Yeah, it was a tough day. Lisa stared at him wondering how much she should try and jog his memory. After a moment, Lisa decided not to. If he hadn't recognized her by now, he wasn't going to. Maybe that was a good thing. If he didn't recognize her, maybe she could ask him about working at Moon X without it being awkward. What happened at work? Lisa asked, starting to relax. The man sighed. I can't really talk about it. Lisa smiled. What? Are you a spy? She asked, pretending she didn't know what he did. No. But you might be, he said with a charming smile. Damn was this man good-looking. Do I look like a spy? She asked, genuinely curious. No, he said with a chuckle. Lisa feigned surprise. No. Then wait. Let me try again, she said before making her best spy face. The gorgeous man broke out into laughter. I see it now. Yes, you are definitely a spy. It's a good thing I didn't tell you. It's a good thing, Lisa agreed. Do you mind, he said gesturing towards the bar stool next to her. Lisa stared at the man for a moment, wondering what was going on. How was she doing this? Never in her life had she ever been so cool and casual talking to a stranger. Yeah. Go ahead if you aren't afraid I'll get all your secrets, she said charmingly. I think I'll be fine, he said, sliding off of his stool and onto the one beside her. Drew Winner, he said, sticking out his hand and introducing himself. Lisa considered making up a name. But after she realized that there was probably no way he would know her name if he didn't recognize her face, she told him the truth. Lisa Sammy. Nice to meet you, he said with an interested smile. About to speak again he turned when he saw Lisa's eyes dart away. The bartender was returning with his drink. Thank you, he said after the copper cup was placed in front of him. What do you think? Lisa said, ushering him to take a sip. With the bartender still staring at him, he tasted the drink and then nodded his head with approval. I'm really good, he said, tossing a look at the bartender. The tattooed woman wandered off. Lisa, who was watching her, waited for her to get out of earshot. Now, what do you really think? Drew took another sip and smacked his lips together, tasting it. I want to say not very good, borderline terrible. Lisa grabbed his arm as her face lit up. I know, right? But you couldn't say that because of the way the bartender was looking at you. It was like she was waiting to murder me in my sleep. Right. Lisa agreed. Then what do we do? Do we keep drinking it? I think we have to. In the movies, people like her always know where you live, Lisa explained. Oh my god, you're right. Then how do we do it? Do we just knock the drink back? There's probably another place close by with way better drinks. Well, we can't drink it slowly. That would just prolong the pain. Okay, then we knock it back. Drew took hold of his copper cup, encouraging Lisa to do the same. What should we drink to? Lisa held up her cup. To Mother Russia. Wait, did I say that aloud? I meant America. To America, of course. Drew laughed. To America, of course. 
both poured their drinks into their mouths and swallowed until there was no more. Lisa exhaled trying to soothe her burning throat while Drew coughed. Smooth, Drew said humorously. Can we get the check, please? He said in the direction of the bartender. Lisa leaned down in search of her purse when Drew stopped her. No, allow me. I have to thank you for such a great drink recommendation, he said loudly. Oh, of course, she replied loud enough for the bartender to hear. With the bartender staring at the cash register, Lisa leaned over to Drew. I think she's still planning to kill us in our sleep. Drew peeked back at the unsuspecting woman. I think you're right. Let's get out of here, he said before retrieving cash from his wallet and leaving it on the bar. Quickly escaping outside, both laughed. Lisa noticed when Drew touched her in camaraderie. Lisa again asked herself what was going on. So where should we go to next? Drew asked enthusiastically once they were outside. I don't know. Didn't you say you knew somewhere? Reminded, Drew took out his phone and searched Yelp. There's another bar about a mile and a half away. What's it called? The Dank Hole. Are you serious? Drew smiled. I'm joking. It's called the Armpit. Come on. No, really. Look. It's called the Armpit. Lisa looked at his phone. Then we definitely have to go. That's what I was thinking. I'll meet you there. Drew asked, already heading to his car. I'll meet you there, Lisa said watching him leave. Lisa got into her car and watched as Drew pulled off. What was going on between the two? Lisa didn't have a lot of experience with hookups, but it sure felt like that was where this was going. As soon as she realized it, she was overwhelmed by panic. Lisa wasn't a virgin, of course. More than once during college, she had had the pleasure of having awkward sex. But that was college. You were allowed to drink yourself courageous and make bad decisions in college. But she was an adult now. She wasn't supposed to do stuff like that. And this was her opportunity to end this. Drew had gone on to the next bar. She could drive home and never see him again. Why would she do that, though? Here was a guy who was hotter than anyone she had ever met. He worked for Moon X and knew Win Wyatt. And they were getting along really well. Why would she choose to go home? The only reason would be so that she could hide in her room. Hide from what, though? From life. From feeling uncomfortable. How could she pass up the chance to spend time with the best guy she might ever meet? And if the night did lead to sex, perhaps it was the alcohol kicking in, but that sounded fantastic. Feeling an unexplainable confidence growing within her, Lisa decided that there was no way she could pass up on joining such a gorgeous man at the next bar. Typing the bar's name into Google, the directions came up. Heading there, she saw Drew's car already parked. When she pulled into the parking lot, he exited his car to greet her. Are you ready for the armpit? He asked with playful seduction. You know it, big boy, she joked in reply. Drew offered her his arm as if entering a fine restaurant. Lisa took it and did her best impression of royalty. The inside of the bar lived up to all of their expectations of what a place called the armpit would look like. If a dive bar had an ugly cousin, this would have been it. The place needed the alcohol, mostly as a disinfectant. But Lisa decided that as long as they didn't touch the floor, the walls, the bar, or any of the patrons, they would be fine. They only lasted there for one quick drink as well. Having finished their white Russians, they found themselves again in front of their cars. Should we keep going? Drew asked, clearly having a good time. Oh, now we're on a shitty dive bar tour. There's no stopping us now, Lisa replied, genuinely having the time of her life. Then do you want to leave your car here while I drive? I can bring you back. 
Lisa thought she knew the question he was asking, and now with two drinks in her she knew what she wanted. Yeah, you can drive, she said, wanting him to take control. The last bar was a little different. It was a place called the Manhole. Drew had been a little hesitant considering it was a gay bar. But buzzed and titillated by the added possibility of seeing two men kiss IRL in real life, Lisa really wanted to go. When you're doing a tour of the shittiest bars in Los Angeles, how could you turn down a bar with a name like that? She argued convincingly. Stepping inside, Lisa and Drew agreed that from a shitty dive bar perspective, the manhole lived up to all of their expectations. It was the dankest place that either of them could have imagined. And what topped it off was the bartender who had a lazy eye. Dance with me. Lisa asked, feeling amazingly free of all of her usually social awkwardness. Really? Here. Drew asked clearly uncomfortable but taking it in stride. Lisa got up and began grooving to the 70s music. Of course. Do you hear these fine disco tunes? Are you really going to pass that up? Relenting, Drew exited their booth and followed Lisa to the empty dance floor. Lisa knew that everyone in the bar was staring at her. Was this because she dancing wrong somehow? Was it because she was the first ever woman to enter the establishment? Who knew and who cared? She was three drinks in and dancing with the hottest guy she'd ever met. Life was good. Dancing close enough that her breasts brushed his taut chest, Lisa looked up into his steely gray eyes. They seemed to want her as much as she wanted him. The only question was, why wasn't he kissing her? When he rested his hands on her curvy hips and leaned down, the question was moot. Drew kissed her like a desert absorbing the rain. He needed her. Parting her lips, he took her. And when his hands rounded her ass and slipped between her legs, Lisa needed him to. I live near here, he suggested. Yes, Lisa replied, positive that she shouldn't have. Quickly tossing more money onto the table, Drew took her by the hand and led her out. Exiting the parking lot still on foot, Lisa realized he hadn't exaggerated. His place was very close. The two, hurrying down the sidewalk, took the first left a half block away, and then entered the glass doors of a condominium complex. Exiting the elevator on the third floor, Lisa reached forward and held Drew by the side of his hip. He was almost all muscle. More than that, she could feel his taut jeans. Not only was his dick hard, but it was big. Immediately losing the last of her inhibitions, Lisa fumbled around his hip in search of his member. When she found it, he stopped. No longer able to ignore her, he turned around, grabbed the back of her neck and kissed her again hard. This time his tongue intertwined with hers and pulled her inside of him. Relenting to his will, Lisa fell back. Still in the hallway, she hit a wall. Drew, who had her breast in his hand, massaging her. Lisa, who moaned in yearning pleasure, reached for his belt. The next few seconds were a flash of lust and desire. Unbuckling his pants, Lisa reached in and withdrew his member. She was right. It was big. Catching her halfway down her arm, her breath hitched. She needed him inside of her, and she needed it now. Drew, forgetting where he was, didn't need any more encouragement than that. Reaching under her dress, he slipped his hand between her legs. Even his fingers were big. Swollen and wet from his touch, she peeled her lips away from his and spun around presenting him with her lace-covered ass. Squeezing her ample rump, he slipped his hand between the lace and her skin. The sensation was glorious. Feeling the electricity as his fingers approached her crotch, she whipped her head back. Then when his other hand joined and relieved her of her panties, Lisa braced herself for what she knew would come next. Hi, this is the author. Steamy things are going on in the story right now, but because of the platform you're listening to it on, I can't play it. But 
If you'd like to listen to those steamy things, you can get a version of this audiobook narrated by me, the author, on Audible, and you can get it for free by clicking on the link in the description below. So please, check it out. Otherwise, continue listening. Catching his breath, he leaned forward onto Lisa's back. The way he touched her made her think they could stay in their embrace forever. But when she heard the rumble of the elevator door opening, Drew quickly withdrew his still hard member and scrambled to the door closest to them. Feeling Drew's urgency penetrate her haze of euphoria, Lisa did what she could to pull herself together and join Drew by his door. As he fumbled with his keys, she pressed her chest against his back. Still awash in orgasmic pleasure, she giggled at everything going on. And just as the elevator's doors opened and Lisa thought that they were about to be caught, the two of them spilled forward and the condo door closed behind them. Did they see us? Lisa asked, thrilled by the idea. I don't know. Did they see us? Drew asked, amused. They probably saw my ass, she admitted. Then lucky them. You want to see my ass, she said, smiling and showing him her dress-covered rare. No. I want to see all of your ass. I want to see all of you, he clarified. Lisa, still high from the orgasm and drunk from their night out, was loving everything going on. Without a word, she looked around. It was a nice place, but that hardly mattered. She just needed to know what she was working with. Finding the couch, she moved in front of it and gestured for him to sit. Drew, immediately taking a seat, stretched his long arms out, laid back and spread his legs. Getting comfortable, he stared at the beautiful woman in front of him. Lisa, staring back, tossed off her shoes and seductively touched her dress-covered breasts. Loving what he was seeing, Drew reached for a remote control. Turning on music, Lisa's hips swayed seductively. Circling her full breast with her fingertip, she watched him as she unzipped her top. Peeling it off, she eased her dress down her legs before stepping out of it and daintily kicking it aside. Now only in her bra and panties, Lisa turned her back on Drew giving him a full show. Lisa's body might not have been perfect but she knew she had a great ass. Shifting it from side to side, she allowed it to distract him as she reached behind her back and unlatched her bra. When that too hit the ground and their eyes were again locked, she turned back around and lifted her hands high in the air. As Lisa danced for him, there was no question that Drew was aroused. His bulging tool poked through his still unzipped pants. This was the first time that Lisa could see it. It was impressive. Lisa continued to dance, making her movements wider and sultrier until Drew couldn't take any more. Getting up, he took Lisa's hands. Leading her to the bedroom, she climbed onto the bed. Kneeling facing him, her healthy-sized cups jiggling in front of her. It was now Lisa's turn to watch Drew undress and God did Drew have a good body. His newly revealed abs were rippling and his strong thighs were perfection. The man was perfect. As his completely naked ass joined her on the bed, he immediately moved his lips to her nipple. Slowly tracing the edge of her areola, Lisa melted in his arms. With Lisa leaning back, Drew lowered her onto the bed. Feeling drunk for more than just the alcohol, Lisa's eyes rolled back. The warmth of his gentle caress was astounding. Perfectly satiating one nipple, Drew kissed across her chest to the other. Taking his time to do it right, Drew gently flicked the tip of her nipple with his tongue. The sensation was driving her wild. Leaving Lisa desperate for more, Drew left his large warm hands on her breasts and kissed down the curve of her body. Not missing an inch, he continued until he passed her waist and... Hi, it's the author again. Yeah, more steamy things are happening. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to get a version of this book with the steamy bit still in it, narrated by me, you can click on a link in the description below and sign up for a free trial and get the book for free. 
So please consider that. Otherwise, continue listening. Lisa's mind was crackling when she came to again. With her legs crossed and her hands clutching her sex for warmth, she searched for Drew. She found him on all fours over her legs. Suddenly needing him to hold her, she couldn't be happier when he crawled towards her torso and did exactly that. As Drew moved slowly to her side, Lisa sank deeper into her sea of pleasure. When Drew wrapped his arms around her and held her, Lisa never wanted him to let go. The warmth of his body, the strength of his grip, she could have laid with him forever. And it was as she thought that that she eventually fell asleep. Lisa started out having wonderful dreams that night. But that was before her dreams turned. What quickly dominated her subconscious were images of other sexual encounters. It wasn't just her few sexual experiences. It was all of them, from her second-grade crush on Marcus Washington, the cuties boy in her class, to the guy she had thrown herself at in college. What sullied all of those experiences was her inescapable awkwardness. No matter how hard she had tried, she had never been able to figure out what all of the rules were. Sure, there were stretches where she could fake it, life after a few drinks. But soon after, she would see him again, and she would be reduced to doing her best impression of Raymond. It was to that thought that she woke up in a pool of sweat. With her eyes opened wide, she could tell that it was still somewhat dark. She couldn't see a clock, but her best guess would be that it was still sometime around 5 a.m. If he's not awake, I could still get out of here, she thought desperately hoping that he was still asleep. Having woken up facing the wall, Lisa slowly turned her head. Searching for the man who she wished had somehow ceased to exist in the middle of the night, she found him with his back to her. Was he asleep? Was he as awake as her? Even worse, was he a light sleeper who was sure to wake as the bed shook during her escape? Quietly laying and staring at him, Lisa decided that there was only one way to figure any of this out. She needed to get out of bed, and she needed to do it before he got up to get ready for work. Slowly easing towards the edge of the bed, she froze when he stirred. Her heart was beating so hard that she was sure he could hear. Lisa felt terrible that she was having such an intense reaction toward the guy who had to be the greatest guy she could ever imagine. But it was what it was. Perhaps she wasn't meant to be with anyone. It was a terribly heartbreaking thought but not one she had time for now. Priority for her was getting out of there as quickly as she could. The consequences of what she was doing were best dealt with from the safety of her own warm safe bed. Allowing Drew's body to settle, Lisa slipped the first of her legs off the side of the bed towards the floor. When that didn't stir him, she scooched her body and did the same to her second. She was doing it, and what she discovered was that sliding across the bed was loud. Seriously, what made it so friggin' loud? Were the bed sheets made of maracas? Her sliding across the bed sounded like a rainstorm. Did bedsheet manufacturers even take people slithering out of bed into consideration when they chose such deafening fabric? Probably not. Geez, how inconsiderate were they? Successfully pouring her body onto the floor, Lisa poked her head back up to see if Drew had moved. He hadn't. Lisa couldn't believe it, she was about to be free. Rolling her naked body onto her feet, she got up and tiptoed towards the door. She hadn't tiptoed in years. What would he think if he were to turn over and find her frozen in a mid-sneak pose? Just the thought of it made Lisa panic. And it was with that thought that she abandoned her skulking and began to flee. As Lisa opened the bedroom door, Drew moved again. She had woken him. She was sure of it. She couldn't abandon her plan now, though. She just had to get to the living room, put on her clothes, and get out of there as soon as she could. Locating her dress on the ground, Lisa quickly picked it up and slid it on. As she did, she was filled with so much shame. None of this was good. 
Her decision to sleep with him, her decision to leave without saying goodbye, each was worse than the next. She couldn't change any of it though, because worse than all of that was the overwhelming dread that came from awkward confrontation. With her dress on, Lisa scooped up her panties, bra, and shoes and went in search of her phone. At one point she had stored it in her bra, but where was it now? Did she have it when he had fucked her in the hallway? Did she have it when she stripped for him? Determined not to have to ask Drew, Lisa scoured every inch of the apartment as quickly as she could. Miracle of miracles, she found it. Somehow, it was sitting on top of her purse. She didn't even remember bringing her purse. With the night become more of a blur by the second, Lisa took a last look back at the bedroom door and got out. Hurrying down the hallway, she considered how humiliating it would be if he poked his head out now and asked her to explain what she was doing. Just the thought of it practically brought her to tears. Repeatedly pressing the elevator door, she was mortified to hear how loud the elevator dinged when it opened. Did anyone design things with the walk, escape of shame in mind? What type of world were we living in? Safely in the elevators with the doors closed, Lisa took a moment and put on her shoes. Her plan hadn't included much more than this, but she knew she would eventually need shoes. Momentarily wondering if she should call an Uber from the lobby, she changed her mind when she thought about Drew rushing downstairs in search of her. Fleeing into the brisk morning air, Lisa finally considered how much of a mistake she had made by leaving Drew's bed. Had she just destroyed the best shot at love she would ever have? The further she got away from Drew, the more she thought she had. None of this could be helped though. And if she had to spend the rest of her life alone in her room as a result, so be it. Perhaps she didn't deserve to be with anyone. Perhaps she was incapable of it. In either case, she regretted everything she had done tonight. Drew really had been a good guy, and he hadn't deserved this. Lisa retrieved her phone and called an Uber. When she had requested one, and it was on its way, she silently cried. Chapter 2 Lisa Lisa drove the twelve miles to the valley, thinking about how much she hated herself. Why was she like this? Why couldn't she just be normal? A normal girl would have done everything she could to hang on to who had to be the greatest guy in the world. A normal girl wouldn't have sneaked out in the middle of the night. She couldn't even imagine how she would have felt if she had sex with someone to wake up and find that they had disappeared in the night. She would have felt beyond awful. Yet here she was doing it to someone else. But isn't this what I had to do, she asked herself. If I hadn't, wouldn't he have been disappointed to see her naked in mourning? Or, wouldn't he have been disappointed to find out that I'm not the outgoing girl he had met in the bar? Wasn't it better that I left for all of our sakes? It was those thoughts that she focused on as she completed her trip home. It wasn't that she preemptively ended something which could have been wonderful. It was that she saved both of them a tremendous amount of disappointment and pain. Sure, there was a part of her that longed to climb back into Drew's strong arms. But since her leaving killed the chance of that ever happening, why nurture it? Doing her best to take her mind off of what had happened the night before, Lisa turned her attention to her plans for the rest of her day. She hadn't gotten a call about any new temp assignments, and that was okay. She could have used a day off after everything that had happened. Besides, it wasn't like she needed to make rent. There weren't a lot of advantages to living at home with your parents, but not having to pay rent was definitely one. The obvious disadvantage, of course, was that you had to live at home with your parents. It wasn't so bad when your parents weren't crazy. But Lisa had no such luck. Pulling into the driveway, Lisa braced herself knowing what would happen next. She hadn't initially planned to stay out all night. The only thing she actually planned to do was to extend her experience of working at her dream job. 
Who would have guessed she would have run into her hot boss, would have had a great time bar hopping with him, and then would have gone back to his place for the best sex of her life? If she would have guessed that would have happened, maybe she would have called her mom and told her she was going to be late. She didn't know that, however. And now she had to deal with her mother's extreme lack of chill. When it came to demeanor, Lisa was more like her father. That wasn't saying much. Her father was less chill and more physically present, but in every other way absent. In other words, if her father played extreme sports, his sport would be being an introvert. But between both of her parents, Lisa was clearly more like him. Knowing she couldn't put it off any longer, Lisa got out of her car and headed to the house. Opening the door as quietly as she could, she closed the door behind her and slinked to her room. The proximity of her parents' bedroom to the front door made it near impossible to sneak past, however, and her mother came out just before Lisa could enter the hall. Lisa. Lisa's mother said in a frantic British accent. Lisa's body drooped as she realized she wasn't going to make it to her room. Lisa, where have you been? It's 6.30 in the morning. What are you doing coming home at this time? Lisa turned around and faced her mother. Her mother's thin pale face was highlighted by the dark circles under her eyes. She had clearly not slept, and Lisa assumed that she was going to be blamed for that. Lisa knew she could do one of two things. She could either allow her mother to continue to treat her like a child, or she could force her mother to think of her as an adult. But all of her previous attempts at making her mother think of her as an adult had failed. What could she say this time that would make a difference? Where do you think I'm coming from, mother? It's 6.30 in the morning, and I'm wearing the same clothes I wore when I went to work. I'll give you three guesses, Lisa said with uncharacteristic bluntness. Do you think this is funny, young lady? I was up worried all night. Mom, I'm an adult. I was out all night because I met someone. That's what adults do. I didn't ask you to stay up. If you chose to, that was your choice. But don't blame me, she said unapologetically. Lisa's mother stared at Lisa shocked. Staring back, Lisa remained stone-faced. She knew she couldn't back down if she was going to change the way her mother saw her. They were having a battle of will, and if Lisa backed down now, she may never be able to change her mother's views. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for Lisa's resolve to melt. Staring into her mother's tired eyes, she began to regret what she said. Maybe she was handling things all wrong. She had always thought of her mother as a cold, uncaring person who only wanted to control her. But maybe she was being unfair. Maybe her mother did care for her, and like Lisa, sometimes had a hard time showing it. Slowly realizing the error of her ways, Lisa was about to apologize when her mother broke her silence. Do you think any guy's going to love you if you give yourself away like a whore? Her mother asked viciously. Lisa was shocked. Her mother had said a lot of mean things to her over the years, but she had never said anything like that. How was she supposed to respond? I'm not a whore. Just because you only had sex once in your life doesn't mean that everyone else can, Lisa said desperate to defend herself. How dare you talk about your father and my relationship like that? You're the one who called her daughter a whore because she stayed out once. What type of mother does that? One who stayed up all night waiting for you. You're unbelievable. You know that? Lisa said furiously before turning and heading to her room. You think that you're going to meet some man and he is going to take you away from all this. I hate to burst your bubble. He's not. You're ridiculous if you think a respectable man will want a fat girl who sleeps around all the time. If you believe that, you're ridiculous, she repeated. The only ones who are going to be there for you are your family. It won't be some man. 
But if you keep acting like this, you won't even have that. You'll just be alone, and what would you do then? Oh. What will you do then? Lisa did her best to block out her mother's words. She couldn't, and they cut her deep. Her mother's themes were familiar, but this particular attack was new. Lisa had no defense against it. All she could do was hurry into her room and lock her door. Even that didn't block out the sound of her mother's voice. So throwing herself onto her bed, she put her pillow around her head, blocking her ears. Lisa tried to pretend like she no longer heard her mother, but she did. Even if she hadn't, she could guess what her mother was saying. Her rail-thin mother was saying that she was fat. Her married mother was saying that no man would ever love her. And all of it was being topped off with the idea that Lisa would never amount to anything. She had heard this all before and the older Lisa got, the worse her mother got. Lisa had often thought about moving out and finding her own place. But how could she? Finding permanent work was near impossible for a girl like her. And without a job, how would she pay rent? With her pillow still pressed against her ears, Lisa fought the thought that her mother was right. Perhaps she might not ever amount to anything. And as bad as her mother was, maybe she should consider that she at least had a place to live. Refusing to slide any further down this emotional slope, Lisa pushed the thought out of her head and instead remembered the evening she had just had. How incredible would it have been if she hadn't left and Drew had fallen in love with her? Perhaps they would have had a life together. She could have moved into his condo and she could have been the perfect girlfriend and later the perfect wife. Unable to maintain the fantasy for long with her own destructive behavior so fresh in her mind, Lisa closed her eyes and forced herself to think about something else. She thought about the day she had spent at Moon X. It really had been the greatest day of her life. The others on the Win Wyatt fan fiction forum would never believe her day if she told them. And thinking about her fandom friends, Lisa remembered the one place she could always find refuge. Getting out of bed with purpose, Lisa headed across the room to her computer. Waking it up, she found her bookmarks. With a click, she was presented with a selection of Win Wyatt fan fiction stories. There was one, however, which was her favorite. It was about him and Bowie Palmer. That was the one she needed to read this morning. And once she found it, its salacious storyline allowed the memory of her mother's biting words to fade away. Hours later, after her mother and father had headed to work, Lisa journeyed out of her room to grab breakfast. This was the true start of her day. And after a rough morning, she needed to cook something special. A stack of pancakes and a few bacon strips later, she considered if she had any errands she would have to run. She didn't, which meant that she could return to what she loved most, losing herself in a Goodwin Wyatt sexy story. As morning turned to afternoon, Lisa was about to make her daily call to her temp agency when her cell phone rang. Looking at the caller ID, she was surprised to see the name of her temp agency. Hello, Lisa asked hesitantly. Hello, Lisa. This is Brandy from Office Temps. I'm calling to find out if you're available for an assignment tomorrow. Hi, Brandy. Yes, I'm available. Wonderful. It's at Moon X. It seems they liked you over there. You will be reporting to Sarah Ronnie in Wynn Wyatt's office, and this would be a three-week assignment. Does that all sound good? Lisa listened stunned. Did you say Wynn Wyatt's office? Wynn Wyatt's office, that's correct. Are you fine with that? Lisa did her best to contain her excitement. Yes, that would be fine. I can do that. Excellent. Then I'll confirm you for tomorrow. You should be there promptly at 8.30. 8.30? Yes. I got it. And do you still have the address? Yes, I definitely still have it. All right.
Then have a good day tomorrow, and let me know if anything comes up. Don't worry, I'll be there, she said before thinking it all of the way through. Ending the call and staring at the phone, Lisa tingled with excitement. She couldn't believe it. She was going to work in Wynne Wyatt's office. Did this have something to do with him coming over and asking her name? It had to, didn't it? She could hardly believe that she was going to return to Moon X and see him again. It was as she thought about who she meant by him that she remembered Drew and how she had fled his bed in the darkness. The inevitable awkwardness consumed her like white-hot rings of fire. She felt nauseous. Needing to throw up, she ran to the bathroom and perched herself over the toilet. Although she wanted the relief that would follow, nothing came. Instead, left in a nebulous world of painful self-doubt, Lisa collapsed onto the cold bathroom floor wondering what she should do. Why was she like this? Why couldn't she just be a normal person? Why did she have to screw everything up? Torturing herself mercilessly, something eventually became clear through the haze. No matter how she felt or what unfathomable discomfort she had to go through by seeing Drew again, she was going to work in Wynne Wyatt's office. She might be crazy, but she wasn't crazy enough to pass up that opportunity. This was the greatest dream of her young life, and if she was ever going to fight past the hesitation that had so often ruined her life, it was going to be now. With her mind finally set on what she was going to do, Lisa left the bathroom and retreated to her room. Obsessing over the details of the good and bad that could happen the next day, the rest of Lisa's evening flew by. As tense as it had been with her mother that morning, things were again calm throughout the night. Having made dinner as usual, Lisa's mother called her when it was ready, and the two sat at the table and ate together. For them to eat without her father was customary. Her father's plate was always delivered to him in his man cave. It was there that he ate every meal alone. This tradition had been going on for so long that Lisa barely thought about it anymore. And with everything spiraling in her mind, there was no way she was going to give it much thought tonight. Sleeping as little that night as she did the night before her first Moon X assignment, Lisa was awake before her alarm went off. Dressed and ready long before she had to leave, she sat in the kitchen mindlessly smearing more and more cream cheese on her bagel. What was she supposed to do when she was at Moon X? How was she supposed to act in front of Wynne Wyatt? Was there any chance that she wouldn't see Drew? And if Drew saw her, would he recognize her? He hadn't recognized her at the bar. Wasn't there a chance that if she kept a low profile, he wouldn't recognize her again? It was on that hopeful note that Lisa eventually left for her second day at Moon X. After an hour in Los Angeles morning traffic, Lisa arrived at the Pluto parking lot with 25 minutes to spare. She figured she would need the extra time. Who knew how long it would take her to cross the freeway this time? And not wanting to end up roadkill, she sat in her car studying the pattern of the speeding vehicles. Seriously, how is anyone supposed to cross the street without dying? She asked herself, still confused. However, after not being deterred by anything else, there was no way she going to let a few lanes of traffic stop her now. Gathering courage, Lisa got out of her car and approached the edge of the busy four-lane street. Once again holding her breath and thinking only of the gorgeous wind wide, Lisa's heart raced as she spotted a gap in the traffic and went for it. Stepping forward, the wind from the speeding vehicles jostled her hair. She was almost knocked off her feet. Not letting it slow her down, she quickly gathered herself. Pushing on, she made her first step onto the asphalt. Feeling the cars whip by in front of her, she decided it was time for her to make a run for it. Closing her eyes, Lisa charged across the lanes, not stopping until she again felt the grass under her feet. She was halfway there. 
Opening her eyes and again stepping onto the edge of the asphalt, she considered how crazy this was, and then lurched forward throwing her body in harm's way. Seriously, how did Moon X not lose employees every week like this? As Lisa crossed the street, Lisa saw her entire life flash before her eyes. She wasn't sure how she felt about seeing so much fanfiction, but it was what it was. Again, safely on the grass, Lisa caught her breath, gathered herself, and finally made her way to the main entrance. Seeing the same front desk attendant as the last time, she wondered if he remembered her. Hi. I'm here reporting to Sarah Ronnie in Wynne Wyatt's office, Lisa said, feeling important. I'll let her know. You can have a seat, he said, gesturing towards the chairs. Lisa had a seat and looked around the lobby considering that she was going to be here for three weeks. Lining the walls were pictures of rockets in various stages of existence. On the wall next to the front door was an artistically drawn engine schematic. On the wall behind the front desk attendant was a rocket surrounded by smoke as it launched. And on the right side of her were photos of a Moon X rocket docked at the International Space Station. They were all amazing images. Lisa. A woman almost old enough to be Lisa's mother said, as she exited the hangar doors. Yes. Sarah Ronnie. Nice to meet you. Come in, Sarah said, gesturing for Lisa to follow her. As Sarah led Lisa through the hallway and into the familiar hangar, she made light conversation. So you've worked here before? Yes. Two days ago with the combustion department, I think it's called. I see. So you're familiar with the rules around here? Lisa wasn't sure how to respond. Was Sarah talking about the rule that everyone had to be cool when Wynne Wyatt was around? Somehow Lisa didn't think that was what Sarah was referring to. I'm sure I've been told them, but maybe you want to tell me again just in case. You cannot talk about anything you see here with anyone, especially someone foreign-born, Sarah began. You should have signed the paperwork for that before your first day. Yes, of course, Lisa said, remembering the paperwork she had signed. There are no pictures allowed anywhere inside. That includes selfies and pictures of your food. Also, give Mr. Wyatt and Mr. Palmer a wide berth. They are both very busy, and this is a professional place of work. And most importantly, whatever you do, do not run across the freeway. I'm sorry. What? Lisa said, caught off guard. It is absolutely forbidden to run across the freeway. It might seem faster, but it is not allowed for your own safety. Lisa was now very confused. How else was she supposed to get a crossfly? Was she supposed to walk a mile to the closest stoplight and use the crosswalk? Okay, that's good to know, Lisa said, wondering how her life would be now that she could never cross the freeway again. She had enjoyed having a car. Oh well. Too bad it was now lost to the forbidden zone. Sarah escorted Lisa to Win Wyatt's office. Entering the door she had marveled at two days before, she realized that they didn't lead to Win Wyatt's desk. Instead it led to an open room with two large desks and a smaller desk that faced the wall. With a woman sitting at one of the large desks and Sarah clearly occupying the other, Lisa figured out which desk was going to be hers. Lisa, this is Beverly, Mr. Wyatt's second assistant. Hearing that, the early thirties slim Filipino woman got up and shook Lisa's hand. Nice to meet you. You too, Lisa responded. Second assistant? She asked a little confused. Sarah replied. Yes. I'm Mr. Wyatt's executive assistant, and Beverly is his second assistant. What's the difference? As his executive assistant, my job is to join him in all business-related meetings, keeping notes and following up with any relevant questions that might come up. What do you mean? Sarah took a deep breath, not doing much to hide her disapproval.
Let's say that someone in a meeting references a company or product that Mr. Wyatt is unfamiliar with. If he requests, I will make note of it. When the meeting is done, I will assign its research to Beverly. She would then put together a fact sheet and give it to me. I would then edit it to the way I know Mr. Wyatt likes it, and I would give it to him. Or let's say that Mr. Wyatt requests a follow-up meeting. I would make note of it and then pass the information along to Beverly, who would coordinate schedules with the attendees and set it on Mr. Wyatt's calendar. Lisa absorbed the information for a moment. She had been in a number of offices since she had started working as a temp, but she had never seen one set up like this. I see. So what will I be doing? I don't know, Sarah said annoyed. I assume I will be informed once Mr. Wyatt comes in this morning. Until then you can have a seat at that desk, she said pointing. If your assistance is needed, you will be informed. Lisa wasn't sure what she had done wrong, but she was getting the impression that she had done something. It was pretty obvious that Sarah didn't want her there. Lisa could only guess why. And to avoid making any enemies on her first day, she headed to her desk without another word. Completely content to just sit there, Lisa's next 30 minutes was spent sitting in silence. She knew that one of the most important skills of an office temp was the ability to quietly sit and do nothing. She wasn't sure why this happened so often on temp jobs, but it did. Why would an office pay her to come in if they didn't actually need anybody? At least a lot of them asked her to answer phones that never rang. Here she wasn't even told that. Hell, Lisa hadn't even been instructed to turn on her computer. Lisa continued to sit quietly for what felt like hours. She was fine with that though. If she wasn't here, she would be at home reading stories about Win Wyatt. Instead, she had somehow become a part of Win Wyatt's real life. What was more, she was getting paid for it. If this was all she was going to do for the next three weeks, it was fine with her. Slightly after noon, things did change, however. It was around then that the atmosphere in the office suddenly shifted. It was like how the weather felt different just before a storm. Starting to feel excited, though she still wasn't sure why, Lisa's heart began to race. Feeling short of breath, Lisa looked around wondering what was going on. A familiar bellow of laughter told her. His voice was so distinct that there was no mistaking it. He had arrived, and he was getting ever closer to the main office door. By the time that Win Wyatt had entered the room, Lisa was in full fangirl mode. She couldn't help it. All she could do was ride it out and stay as cool as possible. Striding across the space, he looked so cool. The man was more handsome and better built than any genius CEO should be. How was it fair that he was so perfect? When Sarah got up and greeted him, Lisa's chest clenched. This was it. He was going to turn and notice her. He was going to look into her eyes, and it was going to be magical. As Lisa sat waiting with bated breath, Win Wyatt completely turned his back on her and entered his inner office doors with his executive assistant in stride. The only person who had looked at her was the man who walked with him. Bowie Palmer's gaze was brief. And once Win Wyatt disappeared into his office, Bowie Palmer did as well. Settling down from the intense excitement, Lisa reveled in the good news. She had not peed herself. That was reason to rejoice. There was bad news, however, and that was that Win Wyatt didn't know she existed. Okay, maybe he did know she existed. It was just that he didn't seem to care. With Lisa's heartbeat slowly returning to normal, she took a moment to consider the pros and cons of what had just happened. On one hand, she had been so close to him that she could have run over and pulled out a strand of his hair. Not that she would do that. That would be crazy. But the point was that she could. On the other hand, instead of going on, 
Lisa took a moment to replay the thought of pushing her fingers through Win Wyatt's curly dark hair. So many fanfic stories ran through her mind. She then imagined Win Wyatt standing naked before her, reaching his hand behind her neck and clutching her. The kiss that he would give her would be epic. Her knees would wobble, and as if she were some 100 pounds pixie chick, he would lift her into his arms and carry her off to his bed. Just as Lisa's fantasy got good, a door opened, snapping her awake. Turning towards the sound, she wasn't prepared for who she saw. Certainly, she had expected to see Drew again. But she hadn't expected to have him walk in while she was knee-deep in a fantasy about sex with his boss. Sitting frozen, unsure of what to do, Lisa stared as he scurried past her desk and entered his boss's office. Drew hadn't noticed her, and he had had a look on his face that had made him almost unrecognizable from the night they had spent together. He looked like he didn't want to be there. He clearly had serious work to do, so what would happen if he saw her? Lisa's stomach clenched thinking about it. Slowly reconsidering having accepted this assignment, Lisa's mind raced as she imagined how Drew would respond when he saw her. Tucked against the wall like she was, she had been easy to miss. However, exiting Win Wyatt's inner office doors was another matter. There was no way he could miss her when he came out. Hearing Win Wyatt's office door again open, Lisa told herself to hide her face. She didn't, though. She couldn't help it. If her world was about to implode, she needed to see it happen. It was just as much of a whirlwind when Win Wyatt exited as when he arrived. Win led the pack as they left the office. Following closely behind was Bowie and Sarah. Trailing the pack was Drew. As far as Lisa could tell, Win Wyatt never looked over at her. She couldn't be sure, however, because the person who Lisa directed all of her attention towards was the man who stared at her shot. Drew had definitely noticed her. Lisa felt like she needed to throw up. Lisa, can I have a word with you? Sarah said, snapping Lisa out of her locked gaze. Unmistakably dumbfounded, Lisa looked back at Sarah who had stopped at her desk. She wished she hadn't though. Turning meant that she missed Drew and his boss's exit. What did Drew look like when he left? Was he angry? Did he look like he was going to make things even more awkward when he saw her again? Lisa. Sarah repeated. Not wanting to be called a third time, Lisa quickly got up and joined Sarah at her desk. Yes? Can I help you with anything? Lisa asked as cordially as possible. You can help Mr. Wyatt with something. I spoke to him about your assignment, and he has a very specific job for you. Really? What? She asked suddenly refocused. Sarah took a deep breath before continuing. Mr. Wyatt is looking for someone to fill the role of a personal assistant. Lisa paused not knowing what to think. Do you mean like someone to get his dry cleaning and stuff? Of course not. He has a household staff that takes care of such things. Of course he did, Lisa told herself feeling foolish. The man was a billionaire. He probably had the household staff of British period drama. Right. So what exactly will I be doing? Sarah sighed again. Mr. Wyatt needs someone like you to schedule evening outings. Evening outings? Lisa asked confused. Yes. Perhaps you're familiar with the popular clubs around Los Angeles. Lisa stared at Sarah not sure how to respond. Was she kidding? Wasn't Sarah looking at her? She was a heavy girl who no one had asked to prom. Did she look like someone who knew where the hip clubs were? Did she look like someone who knew whether or not people still use the word hip? Sure. I know a couple of them, Lisa said lying through her teeth. Good, Sarah responded slightly relieved. Then perhaps you can arrange for Mr. Wyatt to attend one with Mr. Palmer on Friday night. 
He mentioned something about bottle service and wanting to make sure that it was a fun evening. Is that something you can do? Here was Lisa's dilemma. On one hand, Lisa was sure that it was not something she could do. If she could, she might have done it for herself, or even chosen to go out on a Friday night more than a handful of times in her life. On the other hand, Wynne Wyatt was asking her to set up some fantasy scenario, as if she was writing Wynne Wyatt fanfiction using the real Wynne Wyatt. How the hell could she pass that up? Sure. I can arrange that, Lisa announced Jock the words were coming out of her mouth. Excellent. Then I will leave this in your capable hands. When all of the details have been arranged, please type it up in an itinerary. I will present it to him once done. Please note that this assignment is of the highest priority, so use any resources you deem necessary to accomplish it. Oh, and it's 12.30. Feel free to take your lunch now. Lisa left Sarah's desk with a confident smile on her face and a tsunami of turmoil in her heart. What the hell had she gotten herself into? She didn't know anything about the hottest clubs or clubs or socializing in public. In a moment of courage, she had gone to a bar after work. That was the sum total of her experience at bars, and it was a miracle that she had done that. But somehow she was now supposed to arrange a fun night out for the world-famous Wynne Wyatt and Bowie Palmer. What type of clubs did billionaire playboys even go to? Was this a fight club scenario? Was the first rule of billionaire clubs that you don't talk about billionaire clubs so that people like her never found out? Lisa had brought her lunch from home, but feeling like she was going to pop, decided to get out of the office. She needed to walk off her anxiety. Because, sure her assignment felt impossible and beyond anything she was capable of doing, but she couldn't disappoint Wynne Wyatt, could she? Wandering through the hangar and then outside, Lisa spotted food trucks parked in the parking lot. Heading over, she checked out the menus. They had to be the cheapest food trucks she had ever seen. Smothered pork chops over rice with coleslaw was $4. That was crazy. You couldn't even get a value meal from McDonald's for that. Clearly needing to take advantage of whatever mental health issue had caused such low prices, Lisa found the end of the line and placed her order. This great lunch was going to help, but eventually she was going to have to figure out how to arrange a night out on the town for two billionaires, and she only had two days to do it. Staring at all of the employees who were gathered, Lisa let her mind wander. Not thinking of anything in particular, a Win Wyatt fanfic came to mind. It was one that shipped Wynne and Bowie. The premise was that Wynne and Bowie had just broken up with their girlfriends. Deciding to have a boys' night out, Wynne got jealous when he saw Bowie making out with a girl at the club. It's then that Wynne decides to show Bowie what good kissing was like. That had never been Lisa's favorite story, but she wondered if that could happen if she could set up the perfect night. The thought didn't make things easier for Lisa. In fact, having Wynne and Bo's future together in her hands made things worse. Could the hopes of every Wynne Wyatt fangirl really rest on her shoulders? Officially working herself up to a near panic, Lisa felt a tap on her shoulder that would make things worse. Her face burned as she turned and saw who it was. Drew. Lisa yelped frantically. Drew looked as confused as he looked excited. Lisa, what are you doing here? Getting lunch, she said, dodging the question. No. I mean, what are you doing here at Moon X? Working, she replied sheepishly. You work here. Kind of. I'm a temp. And you just happened to get a job at Moon X a day after you left me without saying goodbye. Lisa's head thumped as she struggled to come up with an answer. Well, not really. I've worked here before. You've worked here before? When? Lisa's skin burned like she was on fire. At once she felt like she was going to pass out and throw up. 
She was obviously also losing control of her lips because she would never have chosen to tell him the truth otherwise. The day we met. The day we met. You mean that the hard day you had was at Moon X? Yes, still not recognizing her. What department did work in? I worked in yours, she said, beat red. It was only then that Drew put it all together. You. You were the one to bring in the schematics. Lisa forced a smile. I don't understand. Why didn't you tell me? Lisa opened her mouth but words didn't come out. And why did you leave without saying goodbye? Lisa had no reply. What was she supposed to say? That she regretted what had happened between them and didn't want to be confronted with her horrible decision in the daylight. Was that even true? Certainly, she had had one of the best nights of her life with Drew. He was unquestionably an amazing man. It was her. She was just a special type of insane that couldn't allow herself to be happy no matter how much she wanted it. But was that what she was supposed to tell Drew? In spite of everything, she still desperately wanted Drew to like her. So instead of giving him any excuse at all, she stared blanking at him moving her mouth like a bubble-blowing fish. Okay, I get it. You weren't interested in me, and you didn't want to have to say it. Lisa wanted to yell at him telling him that wasn't it. She was interested in him. It was much more complex than that. But she didn't. I'm sorry I bothered you, Drew said looking sad as hell and starting to retreat. I'm glad you found an assignment. I'm sure Moon X is lucky to have you. And you don't have to worry about things being awkward. I will never bring this up again. I'm sorry, he repeated before turning and scurrying off. Lisa knew that she shouldn't have felt relieved that he was gone, but she did. She really did. What was wrong with her for Christ's sake? She would probably never have a chance with such a great guy again. Drew was amazing. Yet all she had to do was say anything to him to keep him there and she couldn't. She felt almost as bad as she would have felt if he had stayed, almost. Lisa. A man within the food truck called out. Lost in thought, Lisa collected her food and looked around for somewhere to eat. There were a few tables, but she desperately needed to be somewhere where a few tears wouldn't label her the new crazy girl at work. Only knowing one other place to go, she pointed her body in the direction of the freeway and her car, and took off. With her food in hand, she trotted up to the grassy area in front of the freeway and then ran across. Hey! She heard a guy yell behind her. Lisa looked back and saw the security guard she had met as she tried to enter the parking lot on her first day. He was waving at her, trying to get her attention. She knew why. She had broken one of the company's biggest rules. But what was she supposed to do, abandon her car and never cross the street again? That was ridiculous. Turning around, Lisa again picked up her pace, jogging to her car. Quickly getting in, she stuck the key into the ignition. About to start it up, she suddenly asked herself, where am I going? As she sat trying to figure it out, she had a flood of memories. The first was of the painful sadness in Drew's eyes as he walked away. The next was of the impossible task Win Wyatt had given her. It was all so overwhelming. Leaning forward, Lisa put her face in her hands and cried. This was all too much for her. She had been so excited when she had arrived at work just hours ago. Now it felt like everything bad that could have happened did. Lisa cried uncontrollably until a loud knock jolted her face out of her hands. Turning towards her window, she saw him. It was the security guard who had tried to get her attention. She considered starting her car and pulling away. Instead, Lisa gave in to her fate and rolled down her window. I know. I shouldn't have run across the freeway. But what am I supposed to do, fly across? 
Can you tell me that? She asked overwhelmed. The sympathetic guard tightened his lips and then pointed at a small concrete structure near the freeway. Miss, I only wanted to let you know that there's a walkway that goes under the freeway. Lisa looked back at the small concrete structure. There's a walkway under the freeway. Yeah. Didn't I mention that when you arrived a few days ago? You remember me from a few days ago? Of course. How could anyone forget a pretty girl like you? She wasn't sure why, but at that moment that man meant the world to her. Hearing his words almost brought her back to tear. Thank you, she told him. Next time I'll use the walkway. Okay. You do that. And you feel better, you hear me. He said playfully. Lisa smiled. I will. And with that Lisa watched the round dark-skinned man walk away. Lisa often did everything she could to avoid interacting with others, but she was glad she had this time. He had made her feel better. Was it the information about the walkway? Or was that he had remembered her, in spite of it having been a few days and him seeing 100 people a day? Lisa often felt very forgettable. It was partly why she felt more comfortable locked away in her room. If she didn't put herself out there, she didn't have to be rejected. Could her need to sneak out of Drew's bed have to do with the fact that he hadn't recognized her, even though they had spent the day working together? Whatever the reason, there was something about what the security guard had said that rejuvenated her. Deciding not to drive anywhere, Lisa took the key out of the ignition and chowed down on the delicious plate of food. The pork chops tasted better than any she had had in a long time. And remembering that she had only paid $4 for the meal, Lisa wondered if there was some sort of catch. Finishing lunch and feeling full, Lisa sets the plate aside and reclined her seat. Suddenly, everything was feeling a lot more doable. She could find somewhere that Wynn and Bowie could party on a Saturday night. Hell, she could even work with Drew, even though Drew probably hated her now. With a full belly and the really nice things that the security guard had said, she was feeling like she could do it. She was again up for the challenge. Although Sarah hadn't specified it, Lisa assumed that she had an hour for lunch. To that end, she still had a few minutes left. So wanting to make the best use of her time, she turned her thoughts to something that might help her win wide fanfiction. Letting her mind wander, she considered which of the stories were the closest to her situation. Certainly none of the fanfiction authors had ever interacted with Wynne Wyatt, but Lisa had always been impressed with how insightful the stories were. Many of them seemed to describe him in a way that could only be done with an intense study on the subject. And if the author was willing to do that much research to mirror the real Wynne Wyatt, then their insights had to be useful now. Initially, when thinking about the stories, nothing helpful came to mind. But just as her lunch hour was coming to an end, she remembered something. It was a story which started with Wynne Wyatt heartbroken after his breakup with Bowie. Feeling desperately alone, Wynne buys a Los Angeles club and creates a VIP section from which he could watch everyone else have fun. The roped-off area always had beautiful women fawning over him fighting to get his attention. Yet, unable to get over his lost love, he drank champagne from the bottle and peered out at the beautiful people losing themselves in what was an orgy of music and dance. Sure, that was the darkest part of what turned out to be a gut-wrenching romance, but there was inspiration there. In the story, he had endless bottle service. Sarah's instruction included bottle service. In the story, he was draped with beautiful women. Isn't that an element someone like Wynne Wyatt would need to have a good time? Overcome with renewed energy, Lisa got out of her car and headed towards the concrete structure and underground walkway. Approaching it, she wondered how she had missed it before. Sure, it wasn't big, but now that she knew what it was, it was hard to miss. 
Descending the stairs into the broad, well-lit passageway, Lisa felt like she was walking through a subway station. She could imagine how taking this route at night might get a little creepy. It was infinitely more appealing, however, than becoming roadkill on her second day at the job. Ascending to the opposite side of the freeway, Lisa charged back towards the main hangar at her desk. She now had a plan. Step one was to find a list of the hottest clubs in Los Angeles. Step two was to call and make reservations for bottle service. How much easier could that be? After doing some research, Lisa discovered the answer was that it could have been a lot easier. Which of the many L.A. clubs would someone like Wynn Wyatt consider to be the hottest? Would it be the top spot for celebrity sightings, according to Google? Or would it be the number one spot for hot DJs? The problem was that Lisa had only ever gone to one club in her life. It was in Minneapolis, Minnesota back in college, and it was a gay club. Lisa didn't think that watching naked men dance in glass boxes was going to help her now. First, this was Los Angeles and not Minnesota. And second, Wynn Wyatt probably wasn't interested in naked men dancing in glasses boxes. Excuse me, Sarah. Lisa said, distracting Sarah from something that looked important. Yes, what is it? Sarah asked curtly. By any chance, would you know the type of clubs that Mr. Wyatt was thinking of? Did he want something upscale? Something down to earth? Or, maybe he's really into a certain type of music. Because if he likes trap music, I think I have the perfect spot, Lisa said with a smile. Sarah turned, giving Lisa as little of her attention as she could. Don't ask me. I know nothing about clubs, and I don't know how Mr. Wyatt spends his personal time. Frankly, it's not my job, and I have way too much else to do. I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. But if you can't, let me know now and we'll find someone who can. No, no. I can do this. I was just wondering if you had any insights that would be helpful. I'm just doing my due diligence, Lisa said with a forced smile. You don't have anything to worry about. I'll take care of this. Realizing that she had almost talked herself into unemployment, Lisa decided to tackle this on her own. It wasn't like she didn't have options. All of the clubs she had found were on LA Weekly's hottest clubs list for a reason. They all had to be really good, didn't they? Wasn't that how hottest clubs lists worked? After another hour of intensely stressing over the situation, Lisa figured out how she would make her decision. She would assign point values to all of the clubs from all of the lists she found, and the one with the most points in the end was where she was going to choose. That had to work right. The Argyle, Lisa decided, after crunching all the numbers. It wasn't exactly in the heart of Hollywood. But Snoop Dogg had G'd there, so it couldn't be that bad. There was even a way of setting up bottle service online. Excuse me, Sarah. Sorry to bother you again, but how would I pay for the bottle service? Is there a card or something I can charge it to? Lisa asked with as much confidence as she could muster. Sarah looked across the room at her from her desk. Sarah stared at her for a moment before answering. Lisa couldn't be sure, but it looked like Sarah was at a loss for words. I have a credit card you can use, Sarah explained as she reached under her desk to retrieve her purse. So you've chosen a place? Yes. The Argyle, Lisa said, hoping to get reassurance for her selection. The name means nothing to me. But you've been there. Lisa froze. She hadn't been anywhere much less a place like this. No, she admitted hesitantly. Sarah stopped her search for her card. You haven't been there? No. But everywhere says it's one of the best clubs in L.A., Lisa assured her. Sarah sat up straight and stiffened her demeanor. If you haven't been there, 
then how will you inform Mr. Y where he'll be sitting, or what he'll encounter as he enters the establishment? Is he even supposed to enter through the front door, or is there a side entrance? And if he enters through the front door, is there a doorman he must speak to? Do you know any of this? Lisa shrank listening to Sarah's bombard of questions. Do you? Sarah asked again. Because these are all things that Mr. Wyatt will want to know. No, I don't know any of that, Lisa admitted embarrassed. Then I suggest you find out. And if you're wondering how, I suggest you start by going there. Lisa stared at Sarah for a moment, trying to process everything she had said. How was someone like her supposed to go to a place like that? On top of that, she had just blown a fifth of her discretionary spending on her $4 lunch. She couldn't even afford a drink at a place like this. And because of some questionable spending in college, she didn't have a credit card she could charge it on. I don't think I could afford a place like this, Lisa admitted sheepishly. I mean, I would love to go if I could but I don't know if I can. Sarah looked at her and sighed sympathetically. Dear, didn't I say that this was your job and that you were to use whatever resources you needed to accomplish it? Yes. Well, don't you think that includes petty cash and travel expenses? Travel expenses? Lisa asked reflexively. Of course. I told you this is your job while you're here. On Saturday, Mr. Wyatt would like to go to a club in Los Angeles. However, next week he'll be traveling to Vegas. Presumably he'll want to visit a nightclub there. The week after that is New York. The following week is Toronto. Your job is to arrange his nights out for him so that he doesn't have to think about it. Was I unclear when I explained it to you? Sarah had been very unclear. Lisa had thought that finding a club for Saturday night would be her entire job. Considering it again, she did feel foolish for thinking it. But there was no way she would ever guess that someone like him would think someone like her could do a job like this. I'm sorry. I must have been confused, Lisa suggested. Well, has everything been cleared up? Yes, thank you. And how much will you be needing from petty cash? Still a little dazed, Lisa did what she could to make a tally in her mind. Would she be charged a cover for not being a stick-thin party girl? Did the Los Angeles clubs have two drink minimums? How much did the drinks here cost? Maybe $40, Lisa suggested, hoping she hadn't asked for an exorbitant amount. Sarah looked at Lisa again and stared. Lisa melted under her gaze. Lisa was about to justify the amount when Sarah reached in her desk and pulled out an envelope. I'll give you $200. It's the most that can be spent per event without requiring receipts. Remember that. But by tomorrow, I expect to have Mr. Wyatt's night out detailed in full. Do you understand? Lisa barely knew what was going on, but she knew what she was supposed to say. I understand. You'll have it all written up first thing tomorrow morning. Sarah paused again. I think you are failing to realize that this is your job. Think of it as working the night shift. I'll expect to have the report on my desk by 4 p.m. tomorrow. Can I count on that? Yes, ma'am, Lisa said, still very confused. Very good, Sarah said, handing her a stack of 20s and then returning to her work. None of this was anything that Lisa could have imagined when she got up this morning. Needless to say, this was not her typical temp job. It was like she had stepped out of her life and had entered some crazy, bizarro world where impossibly interesting things happened to exceptionally boring people. All of this was nuts, but when you're already in a squirrel's nest. Hey, Sarah. If I'm working the night shift, would you mind if I left early to take care of a few things before researching the club? Lisa asked hesitantly. Of course. Go. 
Your job is to arrange Mr. Wyatt's nights out, not to sit behind a desk. Do what you need to do. Just have that report to me by for tomorrow. And with that, Sarah turned back to her screen and pretended like Lisa didn't exist. Barely believing what was going on, Lisa collected her purse and slowly backed out of the office. Walking as if escaping the scene of a crime, she made her way through the hangar darting her eyes as she went. It was not until Lisa was outside that she was sure that no one was going to stop her. She had been given $200 of petty cash to spend however she liked, and she was being paid to go to a club. The being paid to go to a club part made sense. That wasn't something she would normally do or ever choose to do. But they had just given her $200 cash. What were they thinking? Crossing under the freeway and approaching her car, Lisa wondered what she should do now. How was she going to research the Argyle? Was she just supposed to go there and look around? I guess that makes sense, she told herself. Lisa drove home and retreated to her room. There she found what time the place opened. The club opened at 9 p.m., so she would be there at 9. She just had to choose her most club-appropriate dress and get started on her makeup. After all, she only had five hours to get ready. Lisa never had the occasion to wear much makeup, but she knew that that was what YouTube tutorials were for. Her problem, however, was what she was going to wear. She didn't exactly have club attire. The closest she had was a dress which had a blue skirt with little steamships on them. She thought it was cute. She wasn't sure how the bouncer at Hollywood's Hottest Club might respond. With two hours left before the club's opening, Lisa was dressed and ready to go. She was also so nervous she could have puked. What the hell was she doing? Sure, this was her job and she was doing it for Wynwide. But girls like her weren't supposed to go to places like this. It just wasn't the natural order of things. Why are you dressed like a whore? Lisa's mother asked her over dinner. Why do you have a talk to me like that? Why do you always have to be so mean to me? I raised you to know how a proper young lady is supposed to dress. Lisa's thoughts immediately flashed to Drew's naked body thrusting inside of her. Maybe I'm not a proper young lady. Every thought about that. Well, congratulations because that is exactly how you're dressed, her mother said viciously. Screw you, mother, she said, getting up and leaving the table. How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you talk to me like that? She shouted back. I'm your daughter. You're supposed to make me feel good about myself, not be an evil bitch. Quickly grabbing everything she thought she'd need for the night, Lisa stormed to her car and headed out early. Her shouting match with her mother managed to distract her for a little bit. But the closer she got to the club, the more her chest clenched and her stomach churned. A block away, she wondered if she could go through with this. She saw pictures of the type of people who got into the Argyle. They did not look like her. Past that, she was going to have to interact with a lot of people she didn't know. Would she humiliate herself? Was she doing that just by thinking she could get in? Becoming weighed down by the thought of it all, the only thing that kept her going was that she was doing this for Win Wyatt. If she ever were to humiliate herself for someone, she was going to do it for him. Parking her car and walking down the sidewalk, she felt like she wanted to cry. This was why she didn't go out in Los Angeles. This feeling. Knowing that she was out of place here. The thought of it actually made her body ache. And after she spotted the bouncer, she hurt even more. Hi, Lisa said to the 250-pound black dude standing out front. The guy gave her a brief look and then turned away. She knew that dismissive look. If it was up to her, she would have kept on walking. But it wasn't up to her. She was being forced to do this. This was her job. Is this the Argyle? 
she asked, her voice shaking. Without a word, the man extended his gargantuan arms and pointed at the sign over the door. Oh yeah. I'm one to go in, I guess. The hugely intimidating guy looked at her again, gave her a quick glance from head to toe, then again looked away. Go stand in line, he said coldly. As abrupt as he was, his words actually gave her a sense of relief. He could have told her to go away. He didn't. That meant that she had a shot at getting inside. All she had to do was stand in line and wait her turn. They probably were just not set up yet. This was awesome. Once nine o'clock came and went, a few more people appeared in line behind her. It wasn't until 9.30 that the bouncer let the first of them in. It wasn't Lisa. You. Not you, the bouncer said ushering in the group standing behind her. Lisa caught his eye and gave him a questioning look. Groups and couples, he responded to her surprise. Lisa didn't like it but she figured it made sense. She wouldn't do things that way, but a place like this would want a cluster of people. It wasn't personal against her. That was the way clubs worked, right? After an hour passed and she was still the first person in line, she realized that her initial fear was coming true. He wasn't going to let her in. She had been standing in line for over an hour, though. On top of that, she was the first one there. It couldn't be that busy inside already, could it? If so, how did they get in? Was there a separate entrance? When yet another hour passed and she was still the only original person in line, Lisa started to get mad. She didn't want to be here. She had to be here. This was clearly discrimination. Isn't there some sort of law against this? She asked herself. Finally, when the bouncer called the two Barbie-thin girls behind her who had been waiting for two minutes, Lisa couldn't take any more. Not wanting to make a scene, she stepped closer to him unintimidated by his size. Look. I've been standing in line for two hours. I was the first one here. When are you gonna let me in? She asked angrily. It was then that the oversized man truly looked at her for the first time. Lisa tightened her lips and gave ground. Yeah, I don't know why you haven't gotten it yet. You ain't getting in, he said matter-of-factly. I've been waiting here for two hours. If you weren't gonna let me in, why didn't you just tell me when I got here instead of making we wait in line this whole time? Why do you think? We need people to stand in line. What? She asked starting to boil. You know how this works. Or is this the first time you're going out in Los Angeles? Lisa suspected that it was a rhetorical question, but there was something in her that made her answer. Yeah, it's my first time, she said meekly. It was then that Lisa saw something surprising in the large man's eyes, sympathy. He paused and looked at her again. But this time, he looked at her like she was a person. Look, I don't know where you're from. But let me give you some good advice. A girl like you is not going to get into a place like this. I'm not saying it to be mean, I'm just saying it as a fact. My boss would fire me if I let someone like you in. But think of it this way, when I was your age I looked more like you than the way I look now. Someone like me couldn't get in here either. But you don't understand. I have to get in, Lisa said starting to tear up from a mixture of disappointment and embarrassment. Seeing her break down, the big man sighed as if he were genuinely feeling her pain. And why is it that you feel like you have to get in? Because I work for Win Wyatt, and I'm supposed to be arranging his Saturday night out. I thought I could just set it up online, but one of my bosses said that I had to come and research the place myself. But now you're saying that I can't get in and I don't know what to do, she admitted no longer able to prevent the tears from rolling down her cheeks. Wait, did you say that you're arranging a night out for Win Wyatt? Yeah. 
and now he's probably going to fire me because I couldn't even get in to do my research. Win Wyatt's, the guy with the rocket company. He asked Dunn. Yeah. Lady, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? I have no clue. And now he's going to find out and I'm going to lose my job. The big guy's intimidating demeanor was now completely gone. It was replaced by frustration and tension. Will you let me give you some advice? Yeah, sure, Lisa said, fighting to gather herself. First of all, you're doing this all wrong. You never show up at the door if you're scouting for someone like him. No. No. You call up and you leave a message saying who you are and who you're arranging the night for. Someone will call you back because places like this need people like him to come. Then when they call you back, you tell them that you need to come down early and check it out. As long as you can prove that you work for him, you won't have to stand in line. They'll even give you free drinks to make sure you have a good time. But if you do that, you can't come wearing what you're wearing now. You have to come dressed like you belong here. And if you don't feel like you belong here, you have to pretend. That's what I did. And now I get to decide who gets in. Do you get what I'm saying? Lisa took a second and absorbed his advice. It all made sense. Yeah, I get it. And here's something else that might be helpful. Is he coming to party, or is he bringing his girl? I was told that he was looking to have a fun night out, Lisa told him. Then that's something important you have to communicate. You see, guys like me are the gatekeepers. We see everyone who's getting into the club. So, let's say your boss gets a VIP section with bottle service and wants some pretty girls to join him to have a good time. If I know that, I can pick the fun ones out and send him your boss's way. Are you starting to understand how all this works? As horrible as Lisa felt moments earlier, a wave of relief was washing over her. Yeah, I am. And here's another thing. If you want really good girls sent his way, it is customary to tip the bouncer. Oh yeah. Right. Lisa calculated in her mind. So like 20 bucks or something. The big guy laughed. Is your boss not a billionaire? Yeah. Then you tip appropriately. So like 50. Start at 100. And people like your boss never like dealing with cash. So that means that you gotta make sure that all of this shit is taken care of before he gets here. Lisa stared at the once intimidating man more grateful than she could express. This is so helpful. Thank you. Now tell me something, was I really helpful? Definitely. You were so helpful. Then this is one of those situations where you would give the bouncer a tip, he said unapologetically. Oh right. Of course. It was then that Lisa realized why Sarah had looked at her strangely when she had suggested that she would only need $40. Clearly Sarah knew more about the way these things work than she was letting on. Digging in her purse, Lisa withdrew a few twenties and handed it to him. Thank you. Now let me get you set up with someone who will help you arrange what you need. And remember next time, wear something appropriate. Don't make me look bad on a Saturday night. The big man gave her a smile. I'm sorry, what's your name? She asked him. Now you're catching on. My name's Dion. Thanks again, Dion. I really appreciate it. No problem he said before turning back to the line and allowing his asshole bouncer face to return. This time the sight of it made Lisa chuckle. Lisa entered the still empty club and had a much easier time from there. One of the hosts showed her around pointing out where they would seat him and why it was the premium location. It being on the second level meant that only other VIPs could get there, 
but his table would be visible enough for others to see him and want to join while also giving him the privacy he might want in certain situations. After that, the host walked her through the various levels of bottle service, which differed by the quality of alcohol and the amount. After her ordeal trying to get in, Lisa felt good telling them to reserve the best of everything. Dion was right. Everyone was acting like they needed Win Wyatt there. And because they needed him there, they were treating her like a VIP. Lisa never felt more important in her life. With a full tour of the place and assurance that the place would be hopping on Saturday night, the host left Lisa to have fun giving her a few drink tickets to do it with. She felt obligated to use one of them, but this really wasn't her type of place. Finishing off her one drink, she pointed herself in the direction of the exit and left. Being sure to acknowledge Dion on her way out, she caught a glimpse at all of the beautiful people who were now standing in line. They were trying to figure out who she was and how she had been able to get in while they couldn't. It made her feel special. And in the end, it turned out to be a really fun night out. The next day when Lisa submitted her itinerary, Sarah was impressed. When word got back on Monday that Wynn and Bowie had had a good time, Lisa felt even better. Wynn and Bo's next outing was going to be in Las Vegas. Lisa arranged to fly out two days early to do what she needed to do. With that came more petty cash and this time a travel expense budget. This was turning out to be a lucrative adventure for Lisa. But she quickly learned that she needed every cent she got. Dressing like she belonged at fancy clubs was expensive. What she also learned was that once she figured out all of the rules, going to clubs was kind of fun. By the time Lisa was on the third week of arranging things, she had really gotten into the swing of things. By the end, she really felt like she knew what she was doing. It was getting hard for her to think that her assignment would soon be over. But what was harder than that to accept was that during all of her time working for him, Wynne Wyatt still barely acknowledged her presence. All that changed, however, after Lisa handed in her final itinerary and showed up to the office on her last day. Having gotten used to her flexible schedule, she strolled into work at 2 p.m. This was probably not the day to do it because as soon as she stepped foot through the outer office doors, Sarah approached her with a stern look on her face. What's the matter? Lisa asked, sensing something was wrong. Mr. Wyatt would like you to see you in his office immediately, Sarah told her. A cold chill rattled down Lisa's spine. Is something wrong? Did I screw up something? Just report to his office, please, Sarah said, not giving an inch. Lisa stared at Wynne Wyatt's office door, slowly being overcome with panic. For the life of her, she couldn't figure out what she had done wrong. Why was she being summoned? Dropping her purse off on her desk, she quickly glanced down at what she was wearing. She wasn't appropriately dressed, she decided. Having had to buy so many dresses for the clubs, she sometimes wore them to work. She knew it wasn't the best decision, but it gave her an unexpected boost to show off the benefits of her job to everyone trapped behind their computers. She had let her ego get the better of her. And now she was going to have to pay for it by being chastised by Wynne Wyatt, while, as her mother would say, being dressed like a whore. Lisa's legs wobbled as she approached Wynne Wyatt's door. She couldn't believe that this was going to be the way she would talk to him for the first time. The worst part was that she couldn't figure out what she had done wrong. But with her hand on the doorknob, she took a deep breath and then walked in. Mr. Wyatt, you said you wanted to see me. Lisa said, shaking. Wynne Wyatt was staring intensely at his computer screen while clacking at his keyboard. Yes, he acknowledged without looking at her. Please have a seat. I'll be with you in a second. Assuming he meant one of the chairs in front of his desk, Lisa sat down feeling like she had been called to the principal's office. Seated, Lisa looked around. 
On the walls were pictures of his rockets, along with pictures of him shaking hands with President Obama. His office didn't feel very personal. It was more like a display of some of his most impressive possessions. Lisa looked on impressed and thoroughly intimidated. Mr. Wyatt, if there's something I did wrong, I truly want to apologize. If you let me know what it is, I'll get it right the next time. I mean, if there is a next time. I know my assignment is ending. But if you were to give me another shot at it, I promise I'll get it right. When Wyatt looked up from his computer. What? No. You didn't do anything wrong. He finished up what he was doing, and then turned giving her his full attention. No, the reason why I asked to see you was that I wanted to congratulate you for doing such a great job. Bowie we will tell you, neither one of us have had a better time in our lives. At each stop, everything has just been fantastic. Lisa went from terrified to elated in an instant. Really? Absolutely. What you have done has exceeded my expectations, he said, offering her a toes-curling charismatic smile. Oh my God. Seriously. I'm so happy, she announced beside herself with joy. Yeah. In fact, since this is your last day, I wanted to invite you to perhaps join Bowie and me at the club tonight. I just want to make sure that you know that this is not required. You don't have to feel obligated to come. No. Are you kidding? I would love to come, Lisa said ecstatic. And you know this isn't a work-related invitation. He asked hesitantly. Lisa stared at him momentarily. What did he mean by that? If it wasn't a work-related invitation, then what was it? The only thing left for it to be would be a personal invitation. Could that be right? Sure, no, it's not work-related. I got it. And you get that this is your last day under my employ. Unfortunately, Lisa said hinting that she would love to continue on. Unfortunately, but it is, he said firmly. No, I get it. It is, she said, fighting to hide her disappointment. Okay, great. Then if you'd like to join us, you know where we'll be, Wynn said again, flashing his winning smile. I definitely do. Because I set it up, Lisa said awkwardly. Yes, you did, he replied, not quite sure how to respond. Anyway, I want to thank you again for the wonderful job that you did. You're welcome, she said cordially. It was my pleasure. Great. And I hope to see you tonight. I'll be there. With Wynn Wyatt turning his attention back to his computer, Lisa got up and walked out. This really was it. She had been hoping that they would extend her assignment. Now it was clear that they weren't going to. This might be the last time she stepped foot into Moon X. The idea of it broke her heart. With no further reason to stay, Lisa collected her things, got a signature for her time card, and said goodbye to Sarah and Beverly. Although out of Wynn Wyatt's office, she was slow to exit the hangar. Sure, she hadn't spent enough time there to make any friends, but there was one person there who was sure to care that she was leaving. Taking a slow walk around, she eventually ended up in the combustion engineer's department. It was the first place where she had worked. It was here where she had first seen Drew. And on her last day, she was hoping to see him again. After their encounter in front of the food truck, he hadn't looked at her again. There were times when she was at her desk and Drew would enter, but it was like she didn't exist. He would walk in, have his meeting, and walk out. It had hurt Lisa to have to experience it, but she understood. This was of her own making. She just wished things had gone differently. Seeing Drew at his desk, Lisa kept her distance and didn't linger for long. Would something change between them if he knew she would no longer be working there? Perhaps, but she wasn't willing to find out. 
Since their encounter, he had made clear his distaste for her. Somehow, she was going to have to live with everything she did to ruin things with him. And she was going to have to move on. Crossing under the freeway for the last time, Lisa decided what she needed to do next. Maybe Wynne Wyatt had offered her a pity invitation to join them at the club tonight. Maybe he wasn't really expecting her to show up. She was going to, however. Not only was she going to show up, but she was going to have the best time of her life. After all, the girls from her Win Wyatt fanfiction forum would kill for an opportunity like this. She was going to live it up, and she was going to make this a night that she would never forget. Chapter 3 Lisa Where are you going? Lisa's mother asked her as she got ready for her night out. My boss invited me to a goodbye thing, Lisa replied putting the finishing touches on her outfit. You're going to a work event dressed like that? Her mother asked her disapprovingly. Lisa turned to her mother, not wanting to hear it tonight. Why do you always have to make me feel so bad about what I wear? It's just that a girl like you should be deliberate about how she dresses. And what type of girl would that be? A mom. Do you mean fat? Is that what you're trying to say? Because I'll have you know that there are a lot of guys who like me just the way I am. Dear, you're a pretty girl. It's just that you need to dress in a way to highlight your strengths. Stuff like this just makes you look like a stuffed sausage whose mother never taught them how to dress, she spit casually. Lisa whipped around and gave her mother a death stare. A stuffed sausage? Is that what you think I look like? How could you even say that to me? What am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to stand here and say nothing? She asked defensively. Yes. You are supposed to stand there and say nothing. That would be perfect. Can you do that please, mother? You saying nothing would make my day, Lisa said grabbing her stuff and pushing past her. Then maybe it would be better if I wasn't around. Would you like that? Would you rather that I was dead? Is that what you want? Lisa spun around and peered at her mother with frustration. Why do you always have to be so dramatic, she shouted. Can't we just have one night where you once tell me that I look good? Or that I'm smart? Or that you aren't embarrassed by me or something? Do you always have to make me feel bad about myself every time I leave the house? Lisa headed for the door not waiting for an answer. Where are you going? Her mother insisted again. What? Are you going senile as well? I told you I'm going out, Lisa concluded before exiting and slamming the door behind her. And maybe I won't be coming back, she shouted as she charged towards her car. Lisa knew she shouldn't be surprised that her mother would go after her tonight. She took any opportunity. What she couldn't understand was why her mother had tried so hard to ruin the night that obviously meant so much to her. Her greatest fantasy for the better part of her adulthood was actually coming true. She was going to go hang out with Wynne Wyatt. It was unbelievable. He was practically the cause of her sexual awakening. Before she began reading his fanfiction, she had been wondering if she was asexual. But the stories about Wynne Wyatt and Bowie Palmer finding each other, and falling in love with each other aroused her more than Lisa thought possible. It was to the mental image of them kissing and undressing each other that Lisa had touched herself for the first time. It was to the thought of Wynne Wyatt thrusting himself into Bowie that Lisa had first orgasmed. If it wasn't for those stories, Lisa doubted that she would have lost her virginity in college. So much of who Lisa had become was because of the romance and sex that she had read between Wynne and Bowie. Now here she was about to party the night away with them. The thought of it was beyond words. 
Lisa drove the 30 minutes across town and parked at a meter three blocks away. She then walked up the familiar sidewalk to the Argyle. This was only her second time here, but having visited some of the most exclusive clubs in the country, she now knew what she was doing. Dion, she said, as she approached the large bouncer standing at the head of the line. Is my special guest already inside? She asked with confidence. Dion looked at Lisa, recognizing her immediately. He is, Dion said with a smile. Thanks for taking care of that, Lisa said, extending her hand, slipping him $100 bill as she did. Dion leaned back and explained to one of the hosts who she was. The host then escorted Lisa into the club without hassle and led her to the roped-off stairs that led to the second level. She's with Mr. Wyatt's party, the host explained to the man in front of the velvet rope. Passing the divider, Lisa continued up the stairs towards where Wynne and Bowie sat. This was it. She knew she was about to experience a pinnacle in her life, and she was nervous. Her palms sweat. Her legs wobbled. And her heart beat at 1,000 miles per hour. If it wasn't for her sheer will, she would have passed out where she stood. Lisa wasn't about to let that happen, though. Pushing through her frantic excitement, she scanned the VIP crowd looking for the face that she would have known anywhere. She found it in the nest overlooking the dance floor. He was right where she had arranged for him to be. With her heart beating out of her chest, Lisa took a moment to scan everyone else with them. There were a lot of beautiful young women. All of them were skinnier than she was. And all of them had unnaturally large breasts. Lisa hated them all. On the other side of the nest was Bowie Palmer. In all of the Win Wyatt fanfiction stories, Bowie had been portrayed as the soulful shy one. Watching him as he interacted with the girls, Lisa could see why he got that caricature. Bowie wasn't the hottest guy in the world, but he had a real normal guy appeal. Even without his money and genius, Bowie would be the type of guy that any mother would want their daughter to date. And in spite of all of his success, he managed to maintain a humility that showed through even now as he danced with a half-dozen airheaded beauties. Lisa. When Wyatt yelled when he spotted her standing a few feet away. Lisa, come on, he encouraged, waving her over. Lisa's chest clenched when she heard Wynne say her name. This was all stupidly ridiculous. How could Wynne Wyatt not only know her name, but want her to join them? Who knows? But at this point, she wasn't about to question it. She was just going to scurry over and enjoy. Lisa, you know Bowie, right? Wynne said, getting his friend's attention. We've never met, but I know who he is. Hi, Lisa said, extending her hand. Bowie immediately left the pretty girl he was with and approached Lisa. You were working with the combustion department, weren't you? Caught off guard, Lisa thought back to her first day with the company. The first time they had ever interacted was when Wynne had asked her her name and Bowie had made a comment about it. How could Bowie have remembered that? Yes, that's right. Lisa has been the one arranging all of our night outs. So if you've been having fun, she's the one to thank. Bowie looked back at Lisa and smiled. I've been having an incredible time. Thanks for all of your hard work, he said formally. Stop that, Wynn playfully demanded. She doesn't work for us anymore. Her last day was today. You can treat her like a normal human being, Wynn explained. Lisa looked at Wynn confused. Creating a hospitable work environment is very important to us, Wynn clarified. But you don't work for us anymore. So, now we can tell you how beautiful you look tonight if we want to. By the way, goddamn, he said, giving her body a quick once-over. Lisa's body tingled unsure of what was going on. With all of the Barbie-looking women surrounding him, did Wynne Wyatt just flirt with her? What was happening? 
and whatever it was, Lisa didn't want it to stop. Thank you, she said bashfully. Bowie thinks the same. He's just too much of a gentleman to tell you. Lisa turned and looked at Bowie. He looked like the shy best friend who was letting his buddy wingman for him. Was Wynne trying to tell her that Bowie was interested in her? If that was the case, she was definitely all in. Really? Lisa asked stunned that any of this could be true. How could I not? You are a very beautiful lady, he said, not completely able to lower his guard. Suddenly everything came into focus for Lisa. She understood why Wynne Wyatt had invited her to party with them. She understood why Wynne had asked her name on that first day. As hard as it was for Lisa to believe, Wynne had done it because Bowie was interested in her. Why else would someone like Wynne take an interest in someone like her? She had never been able to understand it. Wynne doing it for his buddy was the only explanation that made sense. Thank you. Lisa said dumbfounded at the possibility. Would you like a drink? Bowie asked slowly moving closer to her as if he were a kid with a crush. I would love one, she replied before watching him make a drink with the vodka and cranberry juice on the table next to them. For the hours that followed, Bowie ignored all the other women fighting for his attention and focused his full attention on Lisa. Initially, they talked. And then they danced. But when all of the alcohol caught up to her and she became lost in the fanfiction that had somehow come to life, Lisa threw her arms around Bo's shoulder. It was then that Bowie leaned in for a kiss. Lisa was happy to oblige. Bowie kissed Lisa like a shy teenager. Lisa loved it. How could he remain so humble and bashful with a life like his, and a friend like Wynne Wyatt? Bowie had to be the best-kept secret on the planet, and she was the one to discover it. There was no way that she was going to let him go. And from the way Bowie was reacting, he didn't seem like he wanted her to. As the night went on, Lisa decided that if he wanted to, she wanted to be with Bowie tonight. Pushing her ample breasts against his chest as they danced, she moved her body with the beat of the music. She could feel it arousing him. Lisa wanted him to know that she was willing to do whatever he was interested in. Was it the alcohol that was making her so courageous? She didn't know. But moving her hands to his ass, she hoped that he would get what she was suggesting. We are about to head back to my place. Would you like to join us? When asked Lisa, interrupting their dance. Lisa looked into Bo's eyes for permission. He wanted it just as much as her. Sure. I'd love to, she told Wynne, hoping Bowie would understand what she would really love to do. Wynne, gathering together four of the most beautiful women, led the gaggle out with Lisa pulling up the rear. Do you know where you're going? Wynne asked as he waited for his chauffeur to pull up. No. What's the address? Wynne gave it to her, and she scrambled to save it on her phone. I'll see you there, Lisa said to Bowie. I hope so, Bowie replied, barely taking his eyes off of her. Walking back to her car, Lisa thought again about what she was doing. Was she in any state to drive? Was any of this a good decision? She was about to go to Wynne Wyatt's home with the intention of having sex with Bowie Palmer. Was there any chance of this ending well? Eventually seated in her car, Lisa decided to stop overthinking things. How could she pass this up? She couldn't. One of the men that she had fantasized about for so long wanted to be with her. This was her fairy tale. Feeling surprisingly sober, Lisa started her car and followed the navigation into the Hollywood Hills. Wynne Wyatt lived in an incredible two-story estate which overlooked all of Los Angeles and the valley. The home was grand and elegant, and unmistakably it reflected a man with great taste. With the large gate opening as she arrived, 
Lisa pulled into the large circular driveway. She could hear the music blooming from within. Clearly the party hadn't stopped for Wynne. She hoped that things were a little different for Bowie. Stepping through the large French doors and spotting her date for the night, she discovered things were. Would you like a tour? Bowie asked her as reserved as ever. That would be amazing, she said, savoring every minute of being in Wynne Wyatt's home. Bowie started by leading Lisa through the living room. The four beautiful women were all dancing around Wynne suggestively. Where are you guys going? Wynne suddenly asked as he noticed Bowie and Lisa walk off. I'm giving her a tour. Lisa looked back at Wynne, curious about his response. It wasn't what Lisa had expected it to be. She was thinking that he would have given Bowie some type of encouraging look or celebratory response. Instead, he looked disappointed, maybe even a little lost. Unable to figure that out, Lisa put it out of her mind and enjoyed whatever the night held for her and Bowie. Slowly walking her through all the rooms on the first floor, Bowie next led her to the stairs. Upstairs was where the bedrooms were. Lisa knew this. She wondered if Bowie was going to be forward enough to linger in one of them, allowing the night to progress further. Lisa found that out when they entered Wynne-Wyatt's master suite. Entering, Lisa was amazed at what she saw. The bedroom had a sitting area and spa that was practically bigger than the house she grew up in. If Wynne-Wyatt wanted, he could host another entire party up here. Leading Lisa past the lounge chairs, Bowie sat on the bed. Lisa sat next to him. You're very pretty, Bowie said shyly. Thank you, Lisa replied, her heart fluttering as Bowie leaned in. This time, when Bowie kissed her, Lisa sensed no reservation. Pressing his lips against hers, he gently pried open her mouth. Enjoying his tongue as it explored hers, her aroused body was desperate for him to ravage her. When Bowie leaned her backwards onto the bed, Lisa got her wish. The shy gentleman was gone. In his place was a strong man who knew exactly what he wanted. Gently caressing her breast, he slid his free hand up her dress. As snug as it was, he touched every one of her curves. Reaching behind her and finding her zipper, Bowie eventually eased her dress up her body and over her head. Lying beneath him in nothing but her panties, Lisa stared up at Bowie wantonly. As his lips settled on the pink surrounding her nipple, she flinched. When he moved his tongue rhythmically circling her nip teasing her flesh, she writhed. When he dove in and consumed her erect flesh, Lisa tossed her head back and groaned with pleasure. Not knowing how much longer she could wait, Lisa reached down and pulled at Bo's shirt. He obliged, taking off. Looking down, she was mesmerized by the image of Bowie Palmer kissing her breast shirtless. It was intoxicating. Either she was much drunker than she thought she was or her lust was stealing her away. I want you to fuck me, Lisa suddenly heard herself say. Are you sure? Yes. I want you inside of me, she said, nearly begging for his member. Bowie, who had been kissing his way down her body, looked up and made his way back toward her lips. Fumbling with his belt as he moved, Lisa got only a glimpse of his dick. It was nice. When he pushed aside the lace covering her sex, she got another surprise. It was bigger than it looked. Hi, it's the author again. Yeah, more steamy things are happening. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to get a version of this book with the steamy bit still in it, narrated by me, you can click on a link in the description below and sign up for a free trial and get the book for free. So please consider that. Otherwise, continue listening. Lisa took the opportunity to regain her breath. As she did, she thought again about what she had seen. Had Wynne Wyatt been staring at them? Opening her eyes, she looked. He had been and he hadn't left. Why was he standing there looking at them like that?
She didn't know. But as she continued to stare, she figured out the emotion he expressed. It was longing. But what was he longing for? Having read so much fanfiction, her mind went to one place. Gwen Wyatt had to be longing for the fleeting touch of Bowie Palmer. What else would make sense? Caught by Lisa's gaze, Wynne lowered his eyes and prepared to escape. Wait. Stop, she insisted, finding her voice. Wynne froze hearing her words. Lisa wondered why he stood profile not looking at her, but realized why when Bowie looked at her and then followed her gaze to Wynne. What was Wynne supposed to do? He had been caught watching his best friend have sex. What excuse could he give for being there? How many secret moments had this invasion exposed? Wynne Bowie said as his still hard member flinched within her. Feeling Bose involuntarily respond to seeing Wynne, told Lisa everything she needed to know about what to do next. You don't have to go, Lisa told Wynne as he battled with himself as to what to do. Where are your girls? Bowie asked his best friend not letting go of Lisa. I put them in a cab, Wynne explained still unable to look at either of them. Lisa's eyes darted between the two men. It was like neither was sure what to say. Lisa knew because she had read about this moment many times. Would you like to join us? Lisa heard herself say. It would be okay. Right, Bowie? Bowie looked at Lisa as his mouth dropped open. The look on his face almost made her think she had made a mistake. His now throbbing member, however, told her that she hadn't. Yeah, Bowie finally admitted shyly. It was only then that Wynne looked up and met Bo's eyes. Bo's member flinched within Lisa again, but Bowie looked away. Knowing what she needed to do, Lisa caught Wynne's gaze and reached out her arm. Wynne understood and left the door. Slowly approaching them, Wynne's eyes turned back to his friend. Bowie hadn't moved. More than that, Bo's breath quickened. Seeing how nervous Bowie was both filled her with sympathy and aroused her more than she could have guessed. Lisa reached down and intertwined her fingers with Bo's. He clutched her firmly back. Then allowing their eyes to meet for a second, Lisa turned to the man who was now undressing at the end of the bed. As much as Lisa liked Bowie, there was no mistaking what she felt about Wynne. Wynne had been the subject of almost every one of her fantasies. So to watch him undress in front of her was everything she had ever dreamed about. Unsurprisingly, Wynne Wyatt was hot. His body was sculpted to perfection. Allowing his shirt to drop to the ground, Wynne's broad shoulders took center stage. But when he unbuckled his pants and allowed his bulge to spring free, Lisa found herself re-aroused, subtly moving her hips brushing Bo's hefty member along the ridges of her insides. Wynne Wyatt standing naked before her was unlike anything Lisa could have imagined. He was toned and rippling. He was well-proportioned and glorious. Add that to his genius billions of dollars and incredibly impressive manhood, and there was nothing Lisa could do to resist anything that he wanted. Climbing onto the bed, what Wynne wanted was evident. Dragging half of his body against Bo's naked side, Wynne stopped when he was pressed against Bowie and staring into Lisa's eyes. It was clear he wanted them both. But the one he reached his arm around, the one Wynne ignored, making his desire for him unmistakable, was Bowie. Staring into Wynne's eyes, Lisa practically pushed Bowie out of the way to kiss Wynne. Bowie had started gentling fucking her, so having the two on top of her was amazing. Wynne kissed as good as he did everything else. Parting Lisa's lips gently, Wynne caressed the side of her cheek as he lost himself in their embrace. Hers wasn't the only attention he consumed, however. While he kissed Lisa, Wynne moved his hand down his best friend's back, stopping on his ass. Opening her eyes for a moment, Lisa saw this. And knowing what would make this the most erotic night of her life, she broke away from his kiss and stared into Wynne's sparkling eyes. Do it, Lisa muttered, knowing she couldn't be more direct than that. 
Please do it. Wynn stared back, seemingly unsure what she wanted. Searching, he made a gesture to push Bowie from on top of her, but she suddenly latched her arm around Bo's waist and resisted. No. Not that. Do what brought you here, what you've always wanted to do, Lisa explained, not wanting to say any more. Luckily, what Lisa had said was enough. A little scared, yet unwilling to be deterred, Wynne suddenly turned to Bowie, twisted Bo's head towards his and kissed his best friend hard. Their passion was a damn breaking. Starting slowly, their full lips danced upon one another until with the fury of a beast, Wynne mounted Bo's firm ass and perched his member on the opening of Bo's hole. Hi, this is the author. Yep, more steamy things are happening. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to get a version narrated by me with the steamy bit still in it, you can get it for free by clicking on a link in the description and signing up for a free trial. Please check it out. You might enjoy it. Trying to remember every detail of what she had seen, Lisa let her tired mind wander. And although she had not wanted to, awash in the pleasure of the most amazing night of her life, Lisa Sammy unwillingly fell asleep. When Lisa next woke up, it wasn't quite morning. With the overhead light still on, she could tell it was dark outside. Why had she awoken? She wondered. The answer came when she looked to her side and saw Bowie. He had his back to her as he lay curled on Wynne's chest. I love you, Bowie repeated softly. I've always loved you, he admitted to a sleeping Wynne. Listening to Bo's confession, Lisa wondered what she was supposed to do. It seemed that Bowie didn't have the feelings for her that Wynne made her believe he did. He was in love with his best friend. What did that mean for her? Would this night be all they would ever have? Closing her eyes and pretending that she hadn't stolen a glimpse at such a deeply intimate moment, Lisa couldn't get back to sleep after that. Listening for further confessions of love, nothing else came. Instead, Lisa lay in the glowing nightlight, wondering what would eventually become of her. Was she supposed to leave, never seeing them again? Or was her part in their love story not quite done? Lisa didn't know, but she was desperate to find out. Chapter 4 Lisa What had to be hours flashed by in minutes. When Lisa opened her eyes again, the light in the room had shifted. Although the overhead lamp was still on, an early morning blue tinge lit the bedroom through the many large windows. Bowie, who looked like he had slept as much as Lisa, got out of bed and crossed the room to the bathroom. Hearing him pee, Lisa wondered whether she should pretend that she was asleep and hadn't heard it. Realizing that watching him get fucked was slightly more intimate, Lisa decided to turn towards the bathroom and wait for him to return her gaze on the way out. Good morning, Bowie said, letting her know that he wasn't planning to return to sleep. Morning, she replied in her raspy voice. Did you want breakfast? He asked standing beside the bed naked. Staring at Bo's body made Lisa think about the last time she had woken up in a man's bed. It was Drew's and she couldn't escape fast enough. She didn't feel that this time. She felt like she could have laid with the two men all day. In fact, she wanted her time with them to last as long as it could. Were you making some? Lisa asked hopefully. No. But I'm sure Wynne Chef is here. She could whip you up something. Would you be joining me? I can't. I have to head back home. Then I'm good, Lisa conceded while hoping that this wasn't the end of their time together. Okay, Bowie said starting a hunt for his clothes. Watching the man she had slept with getting ready to end the best night of her life, Lisa fought past the heavy weight pressing on her chest and spoke. Can I ask you something? Sure. What is it? Was last night just a hookup? She asked increasingly nervous about the answer. A what? Bowie replied with a chuckle. 
You know. One night stand or something. Bowie stopped getting dressed and stared at Lisa. Seeing the vulnerability in her eyes, he sat on the bed next to her and rested his hand on her leg. I had a wonderful time with you last night. Things happened that I hadn't expected. I don't think either one of us had expected it, he said referring to Wynn. Now things are a little complicated. You mean because you're in love with your best friend? Lisa asked not liking where the conversation was going. When Bowie stared at her blankly she continued. I heard you say that you loved him. I don't know if he heard you. I'm not sure he was awake. Bowie relaxed his face knowing that he had nothing else to hide. Yeah. That's part of the complication. But that's not everything. What else is there? She asked thinking she could overcome the first complication. Bowie stared at Lisa briefly trying to read her face. Then, I guess we have been able to keep it a secret better than we expected. Secret? Yeah. I assume Wynn never told you why he hired you for your job. No. In fact, he never even spoke to me until he told me it was my last day and invited me to join you two last night. Bowie chuckled. Well, that would be Wynn. But I guess now that we're here, I can tell you, as long as you promise you won't tell anyone else before we announce it. Suddenly very interested, Lisa perked up. You can trust me. I promise I won't mention anything to anyone. Bowie stared at her for a second. I believe you. Bowie shifted getting more comfortable as he squared his shoulders to Lisa. What do you know about our mission at Moon X? Lisa thought for a moment. I'm guessing it's to deliver satellites to space. Well, that's not exactly right. That's currently our core business. But our mission is space tourism. What do you mean? I mean that our long-term goal has been to ferry people on a journey around the moon. Oh. Hence the name Moon X, Lisa said putting things together. Bowie smiled. Exactly. And to that end, the company needs volunteers to be the first. So what better way to show that we have faith in the safety of the rockets? You and Wynn are gonna fly around the moon. Lisa said with sudden realization. Wynn and I are going to fly around the moon, Bowie said more relaxed than he had right to be. When are you going? Lisa asked rattled. In seven days, he said calmly. Oh my God. Yeah. We've been training for months now. In fact, the reason Wynn hired you was because we only had a three-week window before our final week of intensified training. Wynn thought it was a good idea that we live it up while we could because, you know, anything could happen. A sharp pain shot through Lisa's chest. She was terrified for Bowie. Anything could happen. Don't worry. We've had 50 successful launches in a row. The chances of anything happening to us are pretty low. We wouldn't put our lives and the survival of our company in this much danger if it weren't. Okay. So you two are becoming astronauts and flying into space. When will you be back? With the flight and all of the post-flight medical checks hopefully in four weeks, Bowie explained. Then maybe we can get together then and see what happens, she suggested vulnerably. Bowie looked away and thought about it. The silence drew out longer than Lisa had anticipated. The truth is that I really haven't given much thought to what happens afterwards. But you're right, life does continue. Bowie thought for a moment more. What about what I told you about, you know, being in love with him, he said gesturing to the sleeping wind. I'm pretty sure that I could be okay with it, Lisa said sincerely. How? Lisa thought about the countless fanfiction stories about the two of them that she had read. It's complicated, she said, getting a chuckle from Bowie. It's complicated? 
then I guess we're all just a bunch of complicated people. But what I guess is important is if you would want to see me when you get back. Bowie looked at Lisa vulnerably. I know this is going to sound weird but I do like you. Why would that sound weird? Lisa asked confused. Because, you know, I'm in love with him. Why would that matter? Lisa asked genuinely unsure. Bowie was taken aback. You know it's not done. You have to choose one gender or one person. But why? Bowie paused and stared at Lisa. You know what? I don't know. I guess you're right. It doesn't matter. And you know what else? What? I would definitely like to see you again when I get back. And I'm pretty sure I'm gonna want to see a lot of you when I get back. I mean, if you're okay with that. Lisa's face glowed from her smile. I think I would be okay with that. Wow, this might have been the greatest 24 hours of my life. Thank you, Lisa Sammy. I don't think any of this would have happened without you. Lisa's heart ached with love. Hearing him say that was the greatest gift he could have given her. And knowing that their time together was going to continue was all she could have ever asked for. Thank you, Lisa said, not sure how else to reply. Bowie left the bed and continued getting dressed. He really was the greatest guy ever. Not only was he thoughtful and gentle, but he was smart and one of the bravest people she had ever met. The only one braver was the man asleep beside her. I'll talk to you soon, Bowie said, giving her a kiss goodbye. It's a date, Lisa said, reminding him. Bowie chuckled. It's definitely a date. Elated, Lisa watched Bowie leave and then sunk into the fluffy bed cover beneath her. How had she gotten so lucky? Yes, Wynne Wyatt was one of the most eligible bachelors in the universe. But she could only ever fantasize about having a life with him. Wynne was too much of everything. He was too good-looking, too outgoing, and too much of a playboy. Granted, the fact that he felt as he did for Bowie did mean that there was more to him than the superficial things she listed. But Bowie was solid, and someone she could imagine herself having a life with. And if that life involved a life with Wynne, it was even better. Taking a moment to consider what a life with both men would be like, Lisa turned and faced the gorgeous man still sharing her bed. He really was breathtaking to look at. Realizing that she probably had permission to touch him, she gently slipped her hands onto his toned chest. The warm tingle of arousal consumed her. Closing her eyes, she was content to lay there forever. Wynne Wyatt, however, woke up a few minutes later. When Wynne opened his eyes, he turned to Lisa. She was looking back nervously, unsure of what he would do. Knowing that Wynne could spring out of bed and leave like Bowie had, she was relieved when he didn't. Hey there, Wynne said, sounding slightly hungover. Morning, Lisa replied with a smile. Wynne slowly closed his eyes, threatening to go back to sleep until his eyes popped open, remembering the night before. Searching the room, he asked, where's Bowie? Although it was irrational and she had already chosen who she wanted a life with, Lisa's heart hurt hearing him ask for someone other than her. He left. I think he mentioned something about needing to get ready for training. Lisa had remembered exactly what he had said. She hoped her vagueness would prompt Wynne to share more about it. All right. That's today, Wynne replied slowly forcing himself to wake up. So, how long do you think you two will be away for? About a month, I'm thinking, Wynne said, rolling onto his shoulder and looking at Lisa. Staring into Wynne's eyes sent a wave of warmth rippling through her body. In that moment, it was hard for Lisa to think about anyone other than Wynne. I had fun last night. Thank you for inviting me, Lisa said with a smile. Yeah, it was fun. And I'm sure Bowie had a good time as well. I bet he did, Lisa said suggestively. 
Have you two ever done something like that before? Wynne practically blushed. No. That was the first time. Unexpectedly, it pained Lisa to see how taken he was with Bowie. Lisa took a moment to think about her jealousy and decided it didn't make any sense. For years, her greatest fantasy had been chipping Wynne and Bowie. On top of that, Bowie had said that he wanted to be with her. So why in the world would Wynne's desire to be with Bowie make her jealous? As Lisa continued to stare at Wynne processing what was going on, she suddenly realized something. In every Wynne and Bowie fanfiction story she had read, the two of them had found each other and had lived alone together happily ever after. There had never been a character like her. Always Bowie forced Wynne to choose between a woman and him. Wynne chose Bowie every time. In every story, the love they shared was poetic, while the character-female character in her position was the complication. Do you love him? Lisa asked, already knowing the answer. I do. And I've loved him for a long time. I think he loves you too, Lisa said, suddenly conflicted about what she should say. I hope so, Wynne admitted vulnerably. Before he left, Bowie mentioned something about the three of us getting together when you get back to Earth. When we get back to Earth, Wynne repeated with a chuckle. That sounds so weird to say. When I was a kid I dreamed about being a captain on a spaceship having adventures. I was a big fan of science fiction. And now, here I am about to take a trip around the moon in my own spacecraft. I guess dreams do come true. Lisa drank in Wynne's presence again. Yeah, I guess dreams do come true. Lisa paused. So, do you think we should get together once you all get back? Lisa asked, feeling her heart rate increase in anticipation of his answer. With a soft look in his eyes, Wynne reached up and brushed the side of her face. Of course. I suspect that Bowie will want to be spending a lot of time with you. Lisa froze not expecting that answer. It didn't seem to make sense considering both men's confessions of love for each other. What about if you find out he wants to be with you too? She asked putting her cards on the table. Lisa, I've known Bowie for a long time. I'm sure that he cares a lot for me. We're best friends after all. But I'm pretty sure that he doesn't feel for me the way I feel for him. And I'm okay with that. What happened last night was special. But there is a reason it happened last night, instead of any other time we've partied together. It was because of you. He likes you. I knew he would from the moment I saw you. If I want to keep Bowie in my life, I have to accept that he may never love me the way I love him. But if the three of us hang out again, maybe I'll have a chance to be with him the way I have always dreamed of. That is if you don't mind. Lisa listened to Winston. He truly didn't know how Bowie felt about him. He had some type of crazy impression that it was her who he loved and not himself. Lisa didn't know how she felt about that, but the idea of it gave her a glimmer of hope that what had happened between the three of them might happen again. I think the three of us could have something special together, Lisa told him hoping that there could be a three of them instead of a poetic pair. Wynne smiled in response. Happy with her suggestion, he removed his hand from her cheek. Today's a big day. I guess I should go. Taking that as a signal, Lisa began to peel herself off the bed as well. Yeah, I guess I should go too. No. Stay. There's no need to rush off. Gina can make you breakfast when you're ready. Enjoy the spa. Take a swim. Someone should be enjoying this place. And because Bowie and I are on this insane schedule, doesn't mean that you have to be. Really? Of course, Wynne said before exiting the bed and taking a shower. Lisa spent some of her time alone, thinking about everything the two men had said. Neither men knew how much the other one loved them.
They also both thought there could be a place for her in their lives. The idea made Lisa feel hopeful. The other thing Lisa thought about while Wynne was gone was how incredible it was that she hadn't let her introversion get the best of her. Wasn't that what had caused her to flee Drew's bed? The fact that she didn't feel that way with Wynne or Bowie had to mean something. Didn't it mean that the three of them were meant to be together? After almost an hour Wynne came out of the bathroom fully dressed. Well, I guess this is it. The next time you see me I would have been to space. Wish me luck, Wynne said with one of his irresistible smiles. Good luck, she told him before he crossed the bedroom and disappeared into the hallway. Lisa continued to lay in bed thinking about everything that had happened. When Lisa could no longer stay in bed, she got up and explored the bathroom. It had a two-person whirlpool bath, a separate multi-head shower, and a seating area. Connected to it was a wardrobe that was larger than her bedroom at home. Lisa thumbed through the evenly spaced suits and dress shirts. Everything in the closet had to cost more than she would make in a month. Taking a leisurely bath and then finding one of Wynne's robes, Lisa headed downstairs in search of Gina. Bowie had mentioned Wynne having a chef. Gina must have been her name. Hi, can I help you find something? The stout 50-something Filipino woman asked. Lisa looked at her, wondering how many girls in robes she had asked this question to before. Was it her job to usher girls like her out? Wynne had mentioned that I should talk to you about breakfast. You're Gina, right? I am. Yes. And he mentioned that to me as well. He said I should take care of you. What would you like? Gina asked with a genuine smile. Starting to feel at home, Lisa ordered up pancakes, eggs, and a bowl of fruit. It was delicious. After, Lisa considered sticking around and taking a dip in the pool. She couldn't get herself to impose that much, however. And knowing that her mother must be going insane at home, she decided to bring her fantasy to an end and re-enter the real world. Arriving home past midday, her mother was indeed beside herself. She said some awful things to Lisa as Lisa walked to her room, but Lisa refused to hear it. If there was one day that she wouldn't allow her mother to ruin, it was this. She had lived out her greatest fantasy, and if everything went exactly right, it was possible that she could live her dream for the rest of her life. When Monday rolled around and her parents had left for work, Lisa grabbed a bowl of cereal and parked herself in front of her computer. She didn't have to go looking for news about Wynne and Bowie. The announcement that they would take a trip around the moon was everywhere. Lisa watched everything she could on it. First, there was an hour-long press conference where Wynne talked about how space travel had always been his dream. Then there was the endless coverage about the rocket they would use, the route they would be taking, even the spacesuits they would wear. Wynne Wyatt was unquestionably a marketing genius. And like he had undoubtedly planned, every day before their launch was an end-to-end -end series of stories about how Wynne and Bowie would change the world and reshape what it meant to be an Earthling. Lisa, not getting any new work assignments in the interim, watched everything she could get her hands on. She kept asking herself what the world would say if it knew that Wynne and Bowie had had sex. Would it make their heroic adventure even more romantic? Here were two brave men about to change the world while each was secretly in love with the other, without the other knowing it. This was an epic love story. And if everything went exactly right, Lisa had a shot at being a part of their romance. On the day that Wynne and Bo's historic launch, Lisa got up early. The launch was scheduled at 8 a.m., and coverage began before sunrise. Sitting at her desk wearing pajamas, she worked her way through an oversized bowl of cereal. This was it. Soon they would enter space and when they came back, her new life with the men could begin. The official countdown started one hour before launch. During every second, Lisa considered the possibilities. 
had they already shared how much they loved each other. Edwin realized that they didn't need her. When the countdown was down to a minute, Lisa was officially frazzled. Her heart was racing out of control, and her palms were sweating as if she were the one in the rocket. She counted along with the woman on the live stream. 9876, she said as she felt tears begin to well. 54321. Ignite engines, the woman ordered. As she did, a storm of smoke and fire bellowed from under the craft. The sound was thunderous. And as the 20-story rocket slowly lifted into the air, the woman announced, We have liftoff. Lisa, who unknowingly had dug her fingernails into her chair's armrest, didn't dare take a breath. The rocket raced higher and higher off the ground in a majestic stream that Lisa could never have imagined. Watching, she understood why Wynne had dreamed of this. It was thrilling and exhilarating, and the most amazing thing she had ever seen until out of nowhere, the flames which beat against the launch pad with the fury of hell, slowly creeped up the side of the rocket and burst into a ball of terror. The rocket carrying Wynne and Bowie exploded. In an instant, shards of metal that had encased the two men were spread out a mile from the launch site. Lisa watched stunned not believing what she was seeing. Were the two men who she hoped to spend the rest of her life with dead? Lisa didn't know. Chapter 5 Lisa Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Lisa kept repeating, unable to process what she had just seen. Mom! Mom! She shouted. Lisa's mother entered her bedroom frantic. What is it? It exploded. What? What are you talking about? Her mother asked, confused. The rocket with Wynne and Bowie on it. It exploded. Concern washed over her mother's face as her mother stared at the computer screen. Seeing the carnage in front of her, her mother immediately left the bedroom for living room TV. Lisa followed her, unsure of what else to do. Quickly finding the remote control, Lisa's mother turned on the TV searching for a news channel. Images of the explosion were plastered all over the screen with the words breaking news. They're dead, mom. They're dead. Quiet, dear. You don't know that, her mother said sitting on the couch. How could they not be? The rocket just exploded. I saw it. It exploded. Transfixed on the screen, Lisa's mother didn't say a word. Lisa, finding herself covered in tears, climbed onto the couch next to her mother and threw her arms around her. Lisa bawled as her mother morbidly watched. The two sat doing nothing else until an hour later, when the newscaster announced that the recovery team had found the reinforced capsule containing the two men. I am being told that the capsule is still largely intact. It is still possible that one or both of the men could have survived. Your thoughts, General McFadden, the white-haired newscaster said. Although unlikely, the inner capsules are designed to withstand forces up to and exceeding the type of explosion that the two men would have experienced, the general explained hopefully. I am now getting word from the crash site. At this time, it is being confirmed that at least one of the astronauts is dead. Hearing that, Lisa couldn't breathe. Her worst fear had come true. The white-haired newscaster who was touching his ear was listening carefully to what he was being told. Now we're being told that one of the astronauts is still alive. The identity of the survivor has not been shared yet. But it looks like one of the astronauts has survived. I will repeat that in case you are just tuning in. We have confirmation that upon launch, the rocket containing the billionaires Wynne Wyatt and Bowie Palmer, owners of Moon X, the company who owns the rocket, has exploded. And at this time we have reports that one of them has died due to the forces of the explosion, and one of them has survived. We will keep you up to date with the latest as we learn more. Lisa was beside herself with emotions. One of them was still alive. Who?
And who did she wish it was? Losing either of the men was a devastating tragedy. But Lisa had to admit that there was one who, if lost, she wouldn't be able to recover. She refused to think his name as she watched the news coverage. She dared not consider what her life would be like if she had lost them both. It took another hour to find out what Lisa waited for with bated breath. In the middle of an interview with an engineer from NASA, the white-haired newscaster touched his ear again. It looks like we can now confirm the name of the survivor. Wynne Wyatt, founder and face of Moon X, has survived the explosion and is currently in critical care at the nearby medical center. That means that Bowie Palmer, the man who spent his life in the shadows of his best friend, has died today in an explosion that in all the excitement no one would have imagined occurring, least of all him as he said in an interview that I did with him earlier this week. As Lisa watched the interview with the man who she had been with just a week earlier, she collapsed onto her mother's body and wept. Her tears were as much in sorrow as it was relief. She had known Bowie. She had had sex with him. Wynne had told her that Bowie had had feelings for her. And now here he was dead. She was beside herself with grief. As much as she mourned, however, there was a part of her that knew her truth. As sad as it was that Bowie was gone, Lisa wasn't sure if she could go on if Wynne Wyatt was the one who had died. This would have been a tragedy either way, she told herself. But losing Wynne would have been too much. Lisa remained glued to the screen every second for the next few days. Her mother, making the connection between her night out and her sorrow, did everything she could to accommodate her daughter. Initially, Lisa was inconsolable. As Wynne Wyatt was elevated from critical condition to stable to expected to make a full recovery, Lisa re-entered life. Until then, not only did Lisa's world get put on hold, but it seemed like everyone else's life had as well. Almost as if her temp agency knew not to call, she hadn't heard from them. So when her cell phone finally rang, and she happened to be composed enough to answer it, she was surprised to hear what the call was about. Hello, Lisa. This is Brandy from Office Temps. I'm calling to find out if you're available for an assignment, the chipper woman said from the other end of the phone. Lisa considered her state of mind before replying. Was she ready to go back to work again? Oh, hi, Brandy. What's the assignment? It's for Moon X. It seems they really like you there. They are wondering if you would be interested in doing something a little different. Lisa listened shocked. Just the mention of the name Moon X flooded her with emotions. She didn't understand why the company would be reaching out to her during a time of such tragedy. What? What do they want me to do? Lisa asked, trying to hold herself together. Did you hear about the explosion? They had a rocket, and apparently it exploded with the company's owners on board. Yes, I heard about it, Lisa said, barely able to breathe. You worked in Wynne Wyatt's office before, correct? Yes, she spat, needing to hear more. Well, Wynne Wyatt, as I'm sure you know, was injured in the explosion. His office is looking for someone who could be a sort of personal assistant for him. I told them that we didn't find personal assistance, but that I would ask you just in case you were interested. Lisa couldn't answer fast enough. Yes. I'll take it. You'll take it. Yes, whatever it is, I'll take it. Wonderful. Then how about I call them back, get a few more details, and then give you a call when I have them. Lisa hung up the phone stunned. Was it just coincidence that they had called her? It couldn't be. Sarah would have been the one to call in the assignment. Had she handpicked her to help Win Wyatt now? Or like before, had Win requested her himself? When Brandy called back with the details, Lisa got a better idea of what she was expected to do. Instead of the office, she would be working out of Wynne Wyatt's home.
She was supposed to be the liaison between Wynne and everyone else. This was the role that Sarah took pride in playing, which meant that the assignment had to come from Wynne himself. Wynne wanted to see her during his time of need. That could be the only explanation. Lisa felt honored and the thought of it brought her to tears. With her first day being tomorrow, Lisa knew that she had to immediately pull herself together. There were a few things she had neglected in the past weeks, and she needed to look nice for Wynne. After a fair amount of shaving and plucking, Lisa thought about how Wynne would look when she saw him. The image that appeared in her mind made her pause. Wynne had been in an explosion. The man who was sitting beside him was killed, and he was put into critical care. Were his arms and legs broken? Was all of his skin burned from his body? How was she going to react if she found Wynne bandaged like a mummy and disfigured? The excitement that Lisa had about seeing Wynne tempered after that. There was no telling who she would find. Scouring the internet in search of reports on his injuries was fruitless. She would have to go in blind. But readying herself for the worst, she decided that no matter the condition he was in, she wasn't going to change the way she felt about Wynne. Waking up the next morning, Lisa discovered that she was even more nervous than she could have imagined. The excitement was gone. In its place was fear and sadness. Over breakfast, she tried to figure out what she could possibly say to him about Bowie. Bowie had loved Wynne. Had they gotten a chance to tell each other how they felt before the accident? Lisa desperately hoped they had. Unable to delay it any longer, Lisa washed her breakfast plate and headed to her car. Driving to Wynne's place, Lisa felt burning in her chest. There was a part of her that wanted to turn around and drive home. She knew she couldn't do that, though. Wynne had to have requested her himself. She had to be there for him no matter how scared she was. Buzzing in past the gate of Wynne Wyatt's palatial home, Lisa parked her car and stared. Remembering who was there the last time she arrived, she wiped a tear away. Gathering herself and reminding herself that she was doing this for Wynne, she got out of her car and approached the front door. Come in, Gina told her. Mr. Wyatt is in the downstairs bedroom at the end of the hall. Presuming that Lisa knew where to find it, Gina began to walk off. Wait, Lisa said more forcefully than she had intended. Sorry. I was just hoping that you could, she said before pausing. When she began again, her voice was softer. What should I expect when I see him? I mean, is he all right? Gina answered with sorrowful eyes. Tightening her lips with sadness, Gina left Lisa standing by herself in the foyer. Alone, Lisa's chest burned with trepidation. She didn't want to take a step further, but she knew she had to. Forcing herself to put one foot in front of the other, Lisa crossed the living room and began her tortuous journey down the hall. Standing in front of his bedroom door, she stopped. This was it. There was no turning back now. Lisa did everything in her power not to cry. No matter what she saw, she was going to be strong for Win. She might not be able to do anything else to help them, but she could at least do that. With an overwhelming lump in her throat, Lisa knocked on the bedroom door. Come in, a female voice said from within. Unable to breathe, Lisa turned the knob and pushed open the door. Inside was an empty king-sized bed, a woman dressed in a nurse's outfit, and a man who sat in a wheelchair with his back to her. Um, she said suddenly realizing she didn't know what to call him. Mr. Wyatt. Lisa, a tired-sounding voice replied. I'm glad you were available for this assignment. Of course. Anything you need me to do, I'm here for you. Thank you, he said, still not facing her. A long silence drew out between the two. Neither moved. Um, I'm so sorry about Bowie. I'm just so sorry. Wynne's head dipped before he replied. Thank you, he said, his voice cracking. 
Again, if there's anything I can do, just tell me. With that, Wynn's motorized wheelchair turned around. It was a slow reveal. Wynn Wyatt, dressed in silk pajamas, had bandages on his arms, hands, and the side of his face. The part of his face that wasn't bandaged was bruised. His eyes, which had always been bright and alive with enthusiasm, were now murky and bloodshot. And his spirit, which always seemed vibrant, was a shadow of its former self. It took everything in Lisa not to react with the heartbreak that she felt, but she didn't. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you, he said, allowing a tear to roll down his cheek. Struggling as he lifted his arm to wipe his face, he did his best to straighten his spine and become the powerful CEO of a billion-dollar company. So, I guess you're wondering what you'll be doing here? Maybe. As you can see, I'm still recovering. And, as hard as it may be to believe now, my doctors say that I have a good chance of making a full recovery. But I can't wait for that. As you can imagine, the explosion has set the company back. Bowie and I had been counting on it being successful in order for it to bring in a new round of funding. It isn't something that's well-known, but the company is not well-situated financially. Without a hefty new round of investment, the longest we could potentially stay afloat would be another five or six months. That is why I have been hesitant to show the world the pathetic state I'm in. Any show of weakness could be the company's end, and the last thing that I'm going to do is allow Bo's death to stand for nothing. Mentioning Bo's name again caused him to have to take a moment. So when I was thinking about how I could communicate with the office and everyone I need to to save the company, I considered who I could trust to keep my condition secret. You immediately came to mind, Wynne concluded offering her a painful smile. Of course. As I said, whatever I can do to help you I will. But since I'll be communicating with her, I have to ask. Why didn't you just ask Sarah to be your liaison? Wynne looked deep into Lisa's eyes. Because I wanted to work with someone who knew Bowie like I did. Reflexively, Lisa looked over at the nurse. She briefly wondered if the nurse had any idea what Wynne was referring to. Deciding that she couldn't have, Lisa relaxed and looked back at Wynne. Okay. Thank you for the explanation. Now how can I help? The first thing you can help me with is, well, Bo's funeral. Lisa's chest clenched hearing his words. She fought herself to speak. Yes. Of course. As much as Lisa thought she knew what she was agreeing to, as the day progressed, she realized she had no idea. Helping Wynne with Bo's funeral wasn't a matter of assisting with his funeral arrangements. What Wynne had meant was that Bo's funeral would be his first public appearance. If his company was to survive, he would need to appear strong and capable. And whereas usually that wasn't an issue, right now, Wynne couldn't walk. I need you to call up the head of research at my robotics company and arrange for him to bring over Exoskeleton 271. He'll know what I'm referring to. He needs to do it secretly, and he's only allowed to bring over one person to help. Both will need to sign a non-disclosure agreement when they arrive, when instructed. Lisa, doing what she was told, was surprised to find out what Exoskeleton 271 was. It was an experimental, minimally visible exoskeleton with artificial intelligence. It was designed to be like a bicycle seat with legs. The user would gain support as he stood, and the artificial intelligence would learn over time how much walking to do for the user, and how much to allow them to walk on their own. We're planning on doing our big reveal of 271 in a couple of months, Wynn explained. Investors questioned me when I purchased the robotics company. I had a feeling it would be useful, but I never imagined that I would be the one using it, Wynn said, giving a sad, ironic smile. Lisa sat by and watched as over the next two days, Wynn taught himself how to use the exoskeleton. 
The pain that Wynn experienced seemed unbearable. Lisa's chest hurt every time Wynn winced. In the end, however, Wynn was on his feet and walking. Lisa wasn't sure who would really care, though. The man, only days before, had been in a rocket explosion. If he arrived in a wheelchair, she was sure that he would be forgiven. I have to be one of the pallbearers, Wynne kept explaining to the head of the exoskeleton's development. I need to be strong enough to help carry the casket, he insisted. Mr. Wyatt, it's practically a miracle that you're standing at all. Already you're going to have to walk with a cane to stabilize yourself. I'm not going to do that, Wynne said firmly. Then at very least, you're going to have to hold onto someone's arm. But whatever you do, you'll be in no condition to help carry a casket. Lisa watched as Wynne worked his near-miraculous persuasion skills. This wasn't something that any of his team was willing to negotiate away, though. Still, Wynne wouldn't give up. And finally, when the head of development stroked his speckled beard and looked at Lisa, Lisa knew it was up to her to keep Wynne safe. Can everyone give me and Mr. Wyatt a moment, please? Lisa spoke up nervous as hell that she might be overstepping her bounds. Expecting at least a little pushback, everyone complied without hesitation, and quickly Lisa found herself alone with Wynne. I know that you want to appear as if nothing has happened, but something has happened. You were in an explosion that killed Bowie. You can't pretend like you weren't. But I told you. My investors need to see me as strong and capable. You survived the most horrendous explosion I've ever seen. How is that not strong? You're walking away from the most tragic experience of your life. How does that show anything other than how capable you are? You don't understand, Wynne insisted, feeling his frustration seep in. I need to do this for Bowie. I need to be strong for him. I need to carry him now, because he carried me so many times during his life. Lisa thought for a moment. What do you think he would say if he were with us right now? Do you think he would be telling you that you should be carrying his casket, considering the condition you're in? Or do you think he would be telling you what everyone seems to be saying, which is that the best way you could honor him is to take care of yourself? Wynne thought about it for a moment in silence. Tears rolled down his cheeks and were met by an unlikely smile. He would be telling me that I'm a damn fool for thinking I should be lifting a casket when I can't even stand up on my own. Lisa chuckled. Bowie sounds like a smart man. I guess brilliant minds do think alike. Lisa gave him a playful look which caused Wynne to laugh and brush the tears from his cheeks. Okay. But there's no way I'm walking with a cane. I told you. I got you. Whatever you need, Lisa said extending her arm. The smile that flashed across Wynne's face sent a wave of warmth through Lisa's body. Injured or not, Wynne was every bit the man she hoped and expected him to be. Walking Wynne down the aisle at Bo's funeral was more intense than Lisa could ever have imagined. Cameras were everywhere. Outside, in front of the funeral home, there were more camera trucks than hearses. And what Lisa could hear every reporter talking about was how amazing it was that Wynne was walking after such a horrific event, and who it was that he was walking with. Although no one would have held it against him if he hadn't, Wynne managed to hold himself together until he was once again home alone with Lisa. Back in his bed, Wynne cried like anyone would if they lost the love of their life. Watching this, Lisa wondered if she should go. In the end, she decided to climb into bed next to him. With her arm around his and her head on his shoulder, she couldn't be more grateful that she was able to be there for him. Electing to sleep over for the first time, Lisa allowed Wynne to get his rest and found a bedroom upstairs. Wynne had told her that she could take whichever one she wanted. Lisa looked through all of them and then chose the bed that she had last shared with him and Bowie. She couldn't say that she slept well considering how much her mind wandered, 
but she could say that she never felt more connected to Wynne. The next day as the two spoke Wynne seemed to have a new lease on life. The hard part was over for him. He had said his goodbye, and he had honored Bowie well. Now it was time for Wynne to do what he did best, engineering. I need you to call the head of combustion engineering at Moon X, tell him to collect all of the engine schematics and have him meet me here. We're gonna go over every inch of the engine, figure out why this happened and how we can fix it, Wynne told Lisa. Sure. By any chance, do you know his or her name? Lisa asked, wanting a head start. Yes. His name is Drew Winner. In fact, I think you've met him. Weren't you working as his assistant the first time I saw you? Wynne asked wistfully. Hearing his name, Lisa froze. She absolutely had met him. In fact, she had had sex with him. Afterwards, she had fled his bed while he slept. Later still, she had sent him away feeling like crap when he had asked her why she had disappeared. Lisa's chest hurt as she considered how all this was going to work. Hello, Drew. Lisa asked nervously. This is Drew. I'm calling from Mr. Wyatt's home office. Yes, he said, seeming to perk up. He would like you to collect all the engine schematics and join him at his home. Of course. When does he want me there? I'm guessing as soon as you can get here. And make whatever arrangements necessary, because he said that you and he will be working here, until you to figure out what went wrong with the engine. Okay. I got it. You can let him know that as soon as I have the schematics in hand, I'll be there, Drew said with sober anticipation. Lisa hung up the phone wondering if he had recognized her voice. How could he? He hadn't even recognized her face and body after working with her for an entire day. Lisa then wondered how he was going to respond when he saw her. After that, she wondered how she would respond when she saw him. Busying herself with setting up a room for them to work, Lisa tried not to think about the night she and Drew had spent together. Until her time with Bowie, Drew had been the most exciting encounter of her life. Drew was more gorgeous than anyone Lisa had ever seen. Yet in spite of all that, she hadn't been able to face the awkwardness of the next morning. Then when he next tried to talk to her, she couldn't even get herself to speak. What would happen now? Would she become speechless, or would he hate her so much that he wouldn't have anything to say to her? Still setting up the room when the doorbell rang, Lisa felt a flash of panic. It was true, she could feel it. She could practically hear Gina let him in and direct him towards her in the study. With a large table set and nothing else to do, Lisa turned her back on the door. She wasn't ready to face him. Hearing him approach, she gathered her strength. But yet, even feeling the heat of his gaze, she couldn't get herself to turn around. Hello. I was told to wait for Mr. Wyatt here, Drew said in his youthfully baritone voice. Lisa. He asked suddenly, recognizing her. Hearing her name, she knew she had no choice but to face him. Turning around she met his eyes and was reminded of how she felt the first time she saw him. Her body felt like it would shake apart from emotions. Drew, Lisa acknowledged. Lisa, what are you doing here? I'm Mr. Wyatt's assistant, she acknowledged sheepishly. Drew stared at Lisa startled and confused. He looked like he had more to say but was interrupted by Wynne who wheeled up behind him. Drew spun around seeing him. Drew, Wynne said formally. Wynne. As he said it, a wave of grief washed over Drew's body. I can't tell you how sorry I am. I just can't even begin to say. Wynne looked up catching Lisa's eyes. Do you think you can give us the room? I'll text you if we need anything. Of course, Lisa said, unable to resist getting a last glimpse of Drew before she left. With the door closed behind her, Lisa retreated to the living room and waited. 
It took about 20 minutes before she got her first text. It was from an unknown number. Lisa, this is Drew. Can you retrieve schematic A4C6? It's in my car. The doors open. Lisa stared at the text for a moment, considering how Drew had gotten her number. Deciding that he had to have gotten it from Wynn, Lisa headed out to the car that she remembered from a few weeks prior. In the back seat were numerous rolls of paper. Fishing through all of them, Lisa found the schematic she was looking for and took it inside. Knocking on the door before entering, she found the two men seated across from each other at the table. Both of them looked emotionally exhausted. Lisa couldn't help but wonder what the two had said. We'll probably be needing a few others, Drew told Lisa before she left. I'll set them up in the room next door, Lisa said, trying to be as professional as possible. Having brought in all of the schematics, Lisa couldn't help but be reminded of the first day that they had all met. Today, like before, Lisa got continuous requests for new schematics. Yet in spite of how similar it all was, it was remarkable how much had changed. Her job arranging night outs for Wynn and Bowie, the sex she had with Drew and her two ex-bosses, Bo's death, her life seemed almost unrecognizable. Another thing that had changed from the first day were the number of breaks Wynn had to take throughout the day. When he did, Lisa would see Drew wandering around their shared space. When she would catch his gaze, he would immediately look away. There was obviously something that he wanted to say to her, but she definitely couldn't guess what that was. At the end of the long day, both men exited the study heading in opposite directions. Wynn headed to his bedroom needing to lay down, while Drew headed for the door looking ready to head home. Should I expect you back tomorrow? Lisa asked Drew as he approached the front door. Drew looked back at Lisa again, looking like he had something to say. Yes. Wynn and I discussed beginning at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'll be here, Lisa told him as cheerfully as she could. Drew looked at her, nodded and was about to head out when he stopped. A tortured look again flashed across his face. Listen, I feel like I owe you an apology. You don't, Lisa replied. No, I do. I should have remembered who you were when I saw you in the bar. Oh, about that. Then of course you do. Please don't let me stop you, Lisa said, trying to lighten the mood. Drew chuckled. Okay. I deserve that. I'm sorry. And I need you to know why I didn't recognize you when I saw you in the bar. I was a little distracted that day at work. That was the day when Wynn and Bowie told me about their plan to be on the first test flight. Before then, our plan was to send an empty capsule around the moon. Michael Jackson could have come from the dead to deliver the schematics that day, and I wouldn't have recognized him. Moonwalk and all. It was Lisa's turn to chuckle. I'm sorry I didn't recognize you, but I couldn't help it. I was just somewhere else that day. Lisa thought for a moment. I get it. It wasn't anything personal against me. Thank you for explaining it to me. Thank you for understanding. And just so you know, the night we had spent together was one of the greatest nights of my life. Lisa froze. And without another word from either of them, Drew opened the door and exited into the night. Chapter 6 Drew Drew left Wynn's home with his head spiraling with emotions. Too much had happened today. Firstly, he hadn't expected to see Lisa. Drew had attended Bo's funeral and had seen a woman on Wynn's arm. But she was wearing all black and large sunglasses that hid her face. Besides that, he simply would never have considered that she would be by Wynn's side. So, seeing her today had thrown him for a loop. Secondly, seeing Wynn in the state he was in was devastating for Drew. He had always seen Wynn as this magnificent man who was barely human. 
Lin was brilliant, charismatic, and admittedly pretty good-looking. So to see him broken and hurting, possibly because of something Drew had done, was almost too much to bear. Whether or not Drew had been responsible for the explosion was the final thing that made the day the most overwhelming of his life. Drew had identified a design issue which came with a low probability of failure, and it was possible that that was the cause of the explosion. The issue was something Drew had told Wynn and Bowie about. In fact, this was the topic that dominated their four-hour meeting on Lisa's first day. Throughout the meeting, Drew had been insisting that in spite of the 0.001% chance of failure, the risk was too great to allow for human passengers. It had been Wynn who had talked him into approving the flight. Protocol dictated, however, that no rocket would leave the pad without Drew's signed approval. No one could override that, not even the owners of the company. So when the rocket slowly lifted off the pad and exploded killing one of the company's founders and injuring the other, Drew had a tough time seeing how in one way or the other it wasn't his fault. Somehow, until today, all of this had remained an abstraction, however. But seeing the strong and powerful when Wyatt bandaged and confined to a wheelchair, it brought it all home. All of it was real and his fault. In one way or another, Drew was responsible for what had happened, which meant that in one way or another, Drew had killed Bowie. It was as Drew drove down the busy 405 freeway that all of this slowly dawned on Drew. He had injured the man he cared deeply about and had killed Bowie Palmer. Intentional or not, he had done it. He had killed another human being. The weight of the realization collapsed on Drew like a mountain of bricks. As the emotions he had fought off all day took hold, Drew searched for the nearest off-ramp. When none became available, Drew worked his way to the far right lane and then pulled his car onto the shoulder. Parked on the side of the freeway, everything that Drew had been fighting came rushing to the surface. He had killed a man. With that thought came a torrent of tears. He couldn't stop them. Everything about the day had been too much. Drew cried on the side of the freeway for 20 minutes, unable to do anything else. It was only after that that he was able to gather himself. Even then the gravity of the situation weighed him down. Yes, it was possible that what he had identified wasn't the cause of the explosion. The forensic team wasn't done with their analysis yet. But how could there have been another cause? How could he have known such an issue existed and still have signed off on the launch? But more importantly, how was he going to live with himself now? When Drew arrived home, he did everything he could to get to sleep. Nothing worked. The day's events and the details of the explosion kept racing through his mind. By sunrise he might have dozed off for an hour or two but not more than that. Accepting that that was all the sleep he was going to get, he sat up and considered what he would be doing for the rest of the day. He was going to be continuously re-examining what was probably the greatest mistake of his life. Drew's heart hurt thinking about it. Good morning, Drew said a little surprised to see Lisa open the front door to Wynn's home. Hi, she replied casually. In all of his angst about Wynn and the explosion, looking at her now made him realize that he hadn't thought much about Lisa. Was he finally over her? He was hoping he was. The way she had disappeared from his bed and then had given him the cold shoulder as he tried to talk to her had hurt him tremendously. Drew hated to think that it was his distraction over her that could have led to him missing something and the accident, but that was also a possibility. He couldn't let himself be distracted by her again. Not only was it inappropriate considering their jobs, she wasn't interested in him. He had to come to grips with that no matter how attracted to her he was. In spite of turning from her and walking away, Drew couldn't help but relive the way she looked at him as she opened the door. Her eyes were firmly locked on his and her stare seemed to linger. What did that mean? 
Certainly, it could have had something to do with his apology the day before, but what exactly? Had the apology smoothed things over better between them? Drew hoped so. Although he knew that he couldn't let himself fall for her again, he did want to at least have her as a friend. Continuing through the house and re-entering the study, Drew found his boss already examining schematics. Seated in his wheelchair, Drew took the opportunity to look at him in a way that he couldn't if Wynne knew he was there. Even bandaged and wheelchair-bound, Wynne was still inescapably attractive. There was something about his spirit. It was like there was nothing that could keep him down. The man had turned his profits from the sale of his internet company into a car company worth hundreds of millions, and then had turned the hundreds of millions of dollars from his car company into a billion-dollar rocket company. There was literally no one else in the world like him. Knowing he had stood long enough, Drew knocked on the doorframe letting Wynne know he was there. Excellent, you're here, Wynne said, turning around. Last night I thought about the multi-vector release valve. If that was the fault of the explosion, then what would also be necessary would be a right-angle pipe, which would have caused a buildup of pressure at the pipe's joint. Drew thought about the idea for a moment. You know what? I think you're right. The only way the multi-vector release valve could fail would be if there was a pressure buildup. And since all of the conduits passed inspection when we tested it, the only other explanation left would be something anomalous like a pipe at a right angle. Drew said suddenly, inspired to look at the problem in a new light. Tackling the problem side by side with Wynne, Drew had to continuously remind himself that Wynne was his boss. It was so easy to see him instead as a fellow engineer. In fact, he was sure that Wynne encouraged it. It would make sense. And Drew did do the same thing with his subordinate engineers. It was the only way to create an atmosphere where everyone felt comfortable saying, No, you're an idiot. The thing you're suggesting is wrong. Somehow, however, Drew had always felt a little something extra when working with Wynne. There were moments when the moment would get the better of Drew, and he thought of Wynne in a more personal way. That was foolish, of course. Wynne Wyatt's exploits with beautiful women were legendary. There was no way his feelings for Wynne could be reciprocated. Excuse me, Mr. Wyatt. Wynne's nurse said, poking her head in the door. It's time for your treatment. Okay. I'll be right there, Wynne said, ushering the nurse away. I have rehab, Wynne informed Drew. Maybe we can pick this up after lunch. Let's say in an hour and a half. Sure. No problem. Drew watched as Wynne drove away from the table. Wynne, can I ask you something? Wynne turned around facing Drew. What is it? Are you going to be okay? I mean, with the injuries. Do the doctors think they'll be, um, permanent? Drew asked suddenly needing to know. No. They say I should make a full recovery. Most of this is just a lot of bumps and bruises. Drew paused, wondering if he had already wandered too far across the line. His curiosity got the better of him. And the chair. Do you need it? I saw you walking at the funeral. Wynn smiled. Let's just say that it comes in handy to own a robotics company. Drew didn't share Wynn's flippancy. Then, is that something you're going to be dependent on? No. That was just to get me through the funeral. For the sake of the company, I thought it was better that I be viewed walking as opposed to, Wynn looked down at his broken body. As opposed to this. But miracle of miracles, I received a lot of burns, but nothing was broken and there was nothing that won't heal, he said, tightening his lips for a subdued smile. I'm really glad to hear that, Wynne admitted relieved. Thank you for telling me. Saying nothing more, Wynne spun his chair around and headed out. Drew watched and then stared blankly at the schematics. He was again distracted. 
but this time it was with the good news that Wynn would make a full recovery. Realizing that he wasn't about to get anything productive done at the moment, Drew left the study en route to the kitchen. It was there where he found Lisa. It seems we haven't needed you as much today, Drew said trying his best to make casual conversation. No, I guess not. We might need you a little later, though. So stay tuned. Will do, Lisa said with a polite smile. Both stood awkwardly as Gina finished lunch and served it on the kitchen island. When Gina took Wynn's plates to him, Drew and Lisa found themselves alone. Feeling like they had to talk about something, Drew brought up the only safe topic he could think of. Wynn said that the doctors think he'll make a full recovery. Yeah. That's what he said. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The idea that he could go through something like that and make a full recovery. He's a pretty amazing man. He is. And to be able to work the way he is after losing his best friend. I couldn't do it, Drew admitted. Yeah. And Bowie was more than just a friend. What do you mean? When Lisa didn't immediately respond, Drew looked up at her. She looked like a deer caught in headlights. Drew stared at her perplexed by what he was seeing until, as if a jam had cleared her face relaxed and she continued casually. I meant that he was his business partner too. Drew continued to stare at Lisa as she randomly moved the food around on her plate. Clearly she was lying. Well, perhaps she wasn't lying. But that hadn't been what she was thinking when she said it. Excuse me. I have to go check on Mr. Y, Lisa said before getting up and leaving the kitchen. Drew watched Lisa go bewildered by her reactions. This had been such an innocent question. She had said that Wynn and Bowie had been more than friends and Drew had asked for clarification. If Lisa meant that they were business partners, why had she stared at him like a deer in headlights? And why would she have left the kitchen like she was fleeing the scene of a crime? As Drew finished his lunch, he continued to think about this mystery. What else could Bowie have been to win? He was certainly also like a brother. The whole world knew that. So if that was what Lisa meant, why hadn't she said it? No, it had to be something else. And the only thing that Drew could think of that might have engendered Lisa's reaction was if they were literally more than just friends. In other words, Lisa's reaction would have made sense if Wynn and Bowie had been lovers. But that didn't make sense either. Wynn was a world-class playboy. He had dated some of the most beautiful women in the world. Past that, there was still a question of why Lisa would suggest something so personal about the two men. The only thing that would make sense would be if Lisa knew it as a fact. And how would she know something like that unless she had witnessed something between them? Drew considered what Lisa might have witnessed to make her think that Wynn and Bowie were more than friends. For such a statement, it had to be something unquestionable, but what could it be? Still considering all of this, Drew returned to the study and his work. Wynn joined him shortly after, and Drew realized that he now saw his boss in a different light. He was more human somehow. More approachable. Drew watched Wynn wondering if this was all in his head, or if something about Wynn had changed since the accident. Still feeling a little distracted, Drew pushed himself to focus on the schematics with Wynn. They were slowly making progress on a theory that could explain the explosion when Wynn groaned. Are you okay? Drew asked seeing Wynn flinch. I'm fine. Rehab is just kicking my ass, that's all, he explained. Drew brushed the incident off until Wynn stopped, this time closing his eyes and tightened his lips in pain. Would you like me to call someone? Drew asked, becoming concerned. Don't. Actually, can close the door, please? Drew did as he was asked, and as soon as the door was closed, Wynn let out a grunt that folded his body. Drew, unsure of what to do, rushed to Wynn kneeling in front of him. 
Putting his hand on Wynn's shoulder, he tried to catch Wynn's gaze. Is there anything I can do? In between waves of pain, Drew replied. I don't think so. This might not be a rehab thing. It's my chest. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Do you feel any pain in your arms? No. It's definitely my chest. My heart is beating really fast. Drew wasn't a doctor, but he took his marathon seriously enough to learn the signs of a heart attack. The most common sign was a pain in your left arm. It could also be your right or both or neither. But there was usually a pain in an extremity, accompanied by discoloration of one's lips or face. Wynn had none of that which made Drew think that this was something else. Have you ever had a panic attack before? Drew asked still trying to catch Wynn's gaze. With that Wynn finally looked at him. A panic attack? No. I don't have panic attacks, he said defiantly. You might not have had one before, but I think you're having one now. Drew stared at Wynn, considering all the things he could do to help. He could just wait it out or try to talk him down. But there was one thing that he knew would work better than all the rest. And, if it hadn't been for his conversation with Lisa, he wouldn't have considered it. Can I try something? I think it might help, Drew explained. Yeah. Anything. Just make it stop. With his permission, Drew got up, moved directly behind Wynn's chair, knelt down, and then wrapped his arms around the chair in Wynn's chest. He was expecting Wynn to flinch or try to pull away. He didn't. Wynn just sat there and accepted it. With Drew's hand on Wynn's chest, he could feel Wynn's heart pounding wildly. His own heart ached feeling Wynn's pain. Wanting badly for both of their hearts to slow, Drew tightened his grip and leaned forward, resting the side of his head against Wynn's. It was finally then that Drew felt Wynn's heart slow and Wynn's head relax against his. Without loosening his grip, the two men relaxed in Drew's embrace. The truth was that Drew didn't want to let him go. It wasn't necessarily that Drew was scared for Wynn. It was more that he wanted to protect Wynn from anything that might hurt him. He wanted to keep Wynn safe. And more than that, holding Wynn in his arms made him feel more relaxed than he had in a very long time. It was not until there was a knock on the door that Wynn removed his temple from Drew's and Drew stood up. What is it? Come in, Wynn directed, also gathering himself. Lisa opened the door and stepped inside. Sorry to disturb you. I was wondering if you all were going to need me anytime soon. Wynn looked at Drew who shook his head. No. I don't think so. Why do you ask? I'm having a little crisis at home. I thought if I wasn't needed, I would go take care of it. That's fine. Is it anything serious? Wynn asked. No. It's just that my mother's crazy but I figured I'll go deal with that then pick up some supplies and come back here. She stated as if asking a question. Yeah, it's fine. I think we're good. Great, Lisa said before looking at Drew briefly and exiting. With the two men turning back to work, Drew had a lot to think about. What had just happened between him and Wynn? Had they made a connection? And what was up with Lisa leaving to go home at nearly 5 p.m. but saying that she would return? Did she live nearby? Was she staying here? If she was, how long had she been doing that? The two men continued working until a little after six when Wynn was called back into rehab, and the two men called it quits for the day. Driving home, Drew thought about how Wynn had felt in his arms. Wynn had definitely leaned towards him as he held him. Did that mean that Wynn had liked Drew holding him? And did holding him work because it was a medical treatment, or did it work because, like Lisa had implied, Wynn was open to being touched by a man? Exhausted by the previous night's lack of sleep and everything that had gone on today, Drew slept like a baby that night. His dreams were wonderful. 
He had dreamt that he and Wynne had gone for a run on a Malibu beach and then had sat on the cliffs staring out at the sea. In the dream, the two men sat with their shoulders against each other's. Then, as if it was as natural as breathing, the two men leaned their heads together and could briefly read each other's thoughts. When Drew awoke, he decided that his dream had been the most intimate experience of his life. His heart ached as he realized that he could never experience anything like it in real life. He wondered if he was wrong for wanting something so intimate with Wynne. After all, weren't they working on a theory that would prove that he was responsible for Bo's death? Good morning, Lisa said cheerfully opening the door for Drew. Morning. Did you get things settled with your mother? There is no cure for crazy, Lisa joked, causing Drew to chuckle. Entering the study, Drew found Wynne already at work. It turned out that he had been working for a while. In the middle of the night, he had had an idea about how to solve their valve failure issue. Taking a look at it, Drew wasn't sure if it was the complete solution, but it did seem like a promising start. Everything about the day seemed lighter and more pleasant until after lunch, Wynne had another panic attack. This time knowing what to do, Drew shut the door and wrapped Wynne in his arms. Wynne lightly held Drew's arms against him and didn't release him even when he began to speak. I don't know why this keeps happening, Wynne said embarrassed. I've got you. That's fine. I don't have to go anywhere, Drew reassured him hoping that Wynne wouldn't want him to let go. It's just that rehab takes so much out of me that by the time I'm done, I have a hard time blocking out the things I shouldn't be thinking about. You could ask them to ease up on your exercises, Drew suggested. I can't. I need to be back on my feet as quickly as I can be. The company is already in enough trouble as is. I need to show people that I'm strong enough to take care of what's going on. Everyone at Moon X is counting on me, Wynne said, for the first time revealing some of the pressure he was under. It's no wonder you're having these attacks. I would probably be feeling the same thing or worse if I had to deal with what you are. Thanks, Wynne said somberly. But I want you to know that I'm here for you. Seriously, anything you need. Considering I am a part of the reason we're in this mess, I'm here to do whatever's necessary to help you out of it. Right, Wynne said with a disappointed sarcastic chuckle. Drew, taking the hint, let Wynne go and stood in front of him. Unable to look Drew in the eye, Wynne continued. You're doing whatever's necessary. Of course that's what this is. You're being forced to comfort a boss who can't keep his shit together, Wynne said embarrassed. No. No, it's not like that at all. I like being able to help you, he decided to say. It makes me feel like I'm not the only one being wrecked by all of this. Wynne's eyes flicked back to his hearing the vulnerability in Drew's voice. Drew continued. I can't begin to tell you what all of this has done to me. Since the explosion I've spent every day trying to figure out how I can hold it all together. Drew sat on the table in front of Wynne feeling the weight on his shoulders. I'm the one responsible for all this. I should never have given approval for the launch. I'm so sorry Wynne. I'm so sorry that all this is happening to you. No longer able to hold it back, Drew buried his face in his hands and cried. This time it was Wynne who comforted him. Putting his hand on Drew's knee, Wynne slowly squeezed his taut thigh. It was not your fault, Wynne told him. If Forensic says that it was the multi-vector valve, then it was my fault. All of this would be my fault, Drew said slowly pulling himself together. First off, have you heard the saying that the buck stops here? Well, this is my company. The buck stops with me. Second, we still don't know what caused the explosion. But even if it was the valve, we're creating technology that's pushing the edge of science. Mistakes will happen. Both Bowie and I knew the risks. Drew took a deep breath and then stared into Wynne's sympathetic eyes.
He really was the greatest man that he had ever met. But in spite of Wynne's efforts to shift blame onto himself, Drew wasn't sure if he could abdicate his responsibilities that easily. Drew did certainly appreciate Wynne trying, though. As relieving as that conversation had been for both men, that wasn't the last panic attack that Wynne had. Eventually, Drew knew to jump into action as soon as Wynne's eyes darted up to his. There was no way that simple fatigue was causing these attaches, but Wynne never suggested anything else. Certainly, the more of them Wynne had, the earlier Drew learned to catch it. Eventually, Drew figured out that discussions about the coolant system were what was most associated with Wynne's shortness of breath. When the topic came up, Drew reached across the table taking Wynne's hand. It turned out to be exactly what Wynne needed. Eventually, it was as Drew held Wynne's hand that Drew decided to ask Wynne why the coolant system had this effect on him. The question, however, was interrupted by a knock on the door. Invited in, Lisa placed a red folder on the table between them. It's the forensic report, Lisa said, having no idea about its importance. Drew stared at the folder with his heart racing. This was it. This was going to tell him whether it was his fault that Wynne was injured and Bowie Palmer was dead. Feeling his jaw clench and a wave of heat wash across his face, Drew fought the tears that welled in his eyes. Time slowed to a crawl as he watched Wynne open the folder. As Wynne's mouth formed to read aloud what it said, Drew braced himself for what would come next. Chapter 7 Wynne How did I know that? Wynne asked stunned. I can't believe it. How did I know that? Wynne asked Drew desperate for an answer. Staring at the sheet of paper, Wynne felt his face burn. It was happening again, Wynne thought. He was losing control of his body and panic was setting in. Wynne dropped the sheets of paper onto the table and leaned back struggling to breathe. It didn't help. His breaths were getting shorter and shorter, and the only thing he could think of was to look across the table at Drew. Seeing the fear in Wynne's eyes, Drew got up, rushed around the table and threw his arms around Wynne. The warmth of Drew's body was like coming up for air. Although he still couldn't breathe, he could feel himself swimming to the surface. Feeling Drew's cheek against his, the countdown to breaching the tide had begun. By 4, 3, 2, 1. Wynne gasped, feeling his lungs fill with air. He had never before felt so much like he was drowning. He felt awful. His already achy body was pulsing with heat. His chest hurt and his mind spiraled out of control. The only thing still holding him together was Drew's strong arms. Wynne closed his eyes and lost himself in Drew's touch. He never wanted Drew to let him go. As tightly as Drew held him, Wynne felt like he wouldn't. Wynne could live in Drew's embrace. And with the pain and panic subsiding, Wynne never felt more loved in his life. Are you okay? Drew asked in a low, soothing voice, his lips inches from Wynne's ear. I think so, Wynne replied, trying to catch his breath. Drew held him a while longer, but soon Wynne could feel Drew's strong grip loosen. As much as Wynne wanted him to stay, he knew that he couldn't ask too much of him. This time they hadn't been alone when had Drew rescued him. Lisa was there. How would Drew feel being forced to do something so intimate in front of a woman? Wynne knew that Lisa wouldn't think less of him for it, but that was because Wynne knew her. To Drew, Lisa was a complete stranger. Or worse than that, she was just some employee who might later gossip about what she saw her two bosses do. Still not having gained his full bearing, Wynne did what he could to maintain Drew's dignity. Straightening up and pulling away, Drew sped up his retreat and then stood next to Wynne's wheelchair looking down. There was something in the report that caused a panic attack. You know what it was? Drew asked. Yeah, Wynne replied, pushing the sheets of paper towards Drew. Trying to remain calm, Wynne watched as Drew cautiously picked up the sheets and read. It has been concluded that the explosion was due to the continuous freezing and expansion of the output copper tubing, 
brought on by the unexpectedly cold California nights leading up to launch. It is estimated that there was a level of impurities in the metal used to connect the pipes that exceeded specifications. Although that might not have resulted in the event under normal circumstances, the continuous freezing and thawing loosened the seal on L-joint G64F, leading to a leak of engine fluid which ignited 14 seconds after ignition. Wynn stared at Drew feeling nauseous having heard the word spoken. To Wynn's surprise, Drew had a completely different reaction. His was one of utter relief. It wasn't the multi-vector valve, Drew said stunned. The explosion didn't happen because of me. I wasn't the one who caused this. No, I was, Wynn said finally strong enough to say it aloud. Although he didn't want to, Wynn forced himself to examine Drew's face as Drew turned to stare at him. How is this your fault? Drew asked confused. We had never considered something like this happening in any of our meetings. This was a manufacturer's default. There's no way anyone could have predicted this. But I had, Wynn admitted. When? How? There was something about the first cold night that triggered a thought in the back of my mind. I couldn't figure out what though, so I pushed the thought aside. During the second cold night, it came back, and I considered whether the temperature could affect us in any way that we hadn't considered. I couldn't think of anything, so I decided not to bring it up. I thought it might sound like I was. I don't know what I thought it would sound like. I just didn't think I should bring it up. During the third night, I told myself that what I was experiencing was just nerves. Any one of a million things could go wrong once we launched. There was no reason to second-guess every one of them. I decided to just trust the system we put in place and let whatever that was going to happen, happen. What happened was that Bowie died. And now I know that if I had stopped the launch as soon as I had the feeling Bowie would still be alive, Wynne said slumping his body in defeat. You can't think like that, Drew told him with renewed energy. You're right. Any one of a million things could have gone wrong. This could have been caused by the multi-vector valve just as easily as anything else. Bowie knew this as much as anyone. And knowing this, he still chose to take the risk. That's what makes Bowie a hero, Drew said with a gentle smile. Seeing Drew's smile made Wynn's heart ache, Wynn desperately missed his best friend. Hell now, of all times, Wynn needed to acknowledge who Bowie truly was to him. Bowie was the man that he loved. Wynn had always loved him, and it was Bo's belief in him that had melted Wynn's heart. Wynn had never been happier than the night the two of them had finally been together. Wynn still wasn't sure what that night had meant for Bowie, but it meant everything in the world to win. Bowie was a hero, Wynn confirmed. I have never met a braver man than him. I think I have, Drew said to Wynn's surprise. You. Bowie is a hero. But you are the bravest man that I have ever met, Drew added slowly melting Wynn's heart. Wynn sat in silence considering what Drew had said. He didn't know whether or not he agreed with Drew, but there was something about it that felt so good to hear. Reaching for Drew's hand, Drew offered it to him. Wynn's heart slowed feeling Drew's touch. Yes, Wynn knew that Lisa was still there, but he couldn't restrain himself. He desperately wanted to return to Drew's arms, and Wynn figured that this was as close as he was going to get. This might be, I don't know, inappropriate, but do you think you can stay here tonight? Now that we know the cause of the explosion, we could start on a solution early tomorrow morning. There are a number of bedrooms upstairs that you can take. Wynn paused, wondering what else he should say. What he realized was that he should just say the truth. And I would really like you to stay. I don't want to be alone tonight. Not tonight, Wynne said with a lump in his throat. Of course, Wynne. I told you, anything you need I'm here for, Drew said, sailing adrift in Wynne's eyes. Chapter 8 Lisa 
Lisa stood watching as the two men seemed to bear their souls to each other. She didn't understand what was happening. Had this been going on all along? Lisa had thought that Wynne's feelings for men were limited to Bowie. But there was something going on between these two that Lisa could never have imagined. As Lisa stared, her next thought was of Drew. Never in her wildest dreams would she have shipped Wynne and Drew together. She had spent the night with Drew. There was nothing that had gone on that would have led her to consider that he could have feelings for Wynne or any other man. But like with Wynne and Bowie, seeing was believing. There was definitely something going on between the two. Lisa had to admit, whatever it was was turning her on. Lisa, can you tell Gina that Drew will be staying for dinner? Wynne asked, ushering Lisa out of the room. Of course, Lisa replied, not really wanting to go. And can you shut the door when you go? Wynne added. Lisa left the study and closed the door. As soon as she did, she imagined all of the things that the two of them might be doing now that they were alone. Was Drew going to hold Wynne in his arms again? That could have been the hottest thing that Lisa had ever seen. Had the two men ever made out? What would it look like if Wynne and Drew kissed? Finding Gina, Lisa relayed Wynne's message and added something of her own. Can you set us up in the dining room tonight? The dining room? Gina asked surprised. Yeah. I figure since we have a guest we should eat dinner together, Lisa explained. Although Lisa had spent every night for the past few weeks there, rarely did she and Wynne eat together. Lisa never took it personally. She knew that he liked her staying there. It was just that there was a sadness that Wynne experienced that he couldn't always contain. Wynne always tried to be so strong, even in front of her. No matter what she told him, Lisa couldn't get that to change. And on the nights that the sadness would get the better of him, he would retreat to his bedroom and eat alone. For the past few nights, however, Lisa had thought about Wynne and had left her bed in search of his. Having knocked on his door that first night, she didn't have to ask for what she wanted. With a wave, he invited her to sleep next to him. Nothing ever progressed further than that, although Lisa would have been delighted to do more. No, Lisa just cared about being beside him. She could tell that he needed her, and with it becoming more difficult to suppress her feelings for Wynne, she needed to do whatever she could to help him escape the darkness. Dinner's ready, Lisa said, after listening at the study door and then knocking. Come in, a voice from within said. Lisa opened the door and found the two men once again sitting across the table from each other. Lisa couldn't be sure if they had been working, but it seemed like they had been. I said that dinner's ready, she repeated. Okay. Drew will be out in a moment. Actually, I told Gina that we would be eating at the table. All of us. All of us. Wynne asked surprised. Yes. I figured since Drew would be spending the night, we could all have dinner together. Don't you think? Lisa asked, doing her best to put Wynne on the spot. Yes. We should have dinner together. That would be nice. We'll both be out in a moment, Wynne agreed before again ushering Lisa out. As the three ate dinner, everyone was more silent than they would usually be. Lisa had never been at a loss of topics to discuss with Wynne, and things with Drew had finally taken a turn for the better. No one at the table should have had a loss of things to say to each other. Yet here they were enjoying an incredible meal with incredible company, in silence. Lisa couldn't be sure why anyone else was silent but she knew why she wasn't speaking. It was because all she could think about was what the two men had been doing alone in the study. Did Drew spend his time comforting Wynne? If so, how? Had Drew sat on Wynne's lap and slowly caressed his chest? Did he run his fingers through Wynne's hair and hold the side of his face while their lips met? If so, did Drew kiss Wynne the way he kissed her?
Was he gentle and sweet, or with a man was he rougher and more controlling? All of this and more ran through Lisa's mind as she ate her plate of baked salmon and mixed vegetables. It's very good, Drew said finally breaking the silence. I'll pass the compliment along to Gina, Wynne replied. When the three were finished with dinner, Lisa's heart pattered as she considered what they would do next. Were they going to retreat to the TV room as if they were a family, or did Wynne have something else in mind? It's been a long day, Wynne began. Lisa, can you show Drew the upstairs bedrooms? I think I'm going to retire for the night. You're going to bed? Lisa asked, confused. But you have a guest. Yes. But it really has been a challenging day. Wynne turned to Drew. You wouldn't mind if we pick things up in the morning, would you, Drew? Of course. We can get to things bright and early, Drew agreed with a tight-lipped smile. Wonderful. Then you two have a good night, Wynne said before reversing his electric wheelchair and rolling out. When Wynne was out of earshot, Lisa turned to Drew sympathetically. I'm sorry about that. About what? Well, he asked you to stay the night and then took off. That's all right. I'm happy that there's something I can do to help. You know, I'm not sure I ever told you how much our night together meant to me, too, Lisa said, feeling sentimental. Drew looked at Lisa surprised but quickly recovered. No, you haven't. But you don't have to say that. I know I don't have to say it, but I want to. The night I spent with you was one of the most special nights of my life. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Drew twisted his face confused. Lisa knew what he must have been thinking. If you thought it was so special, then why did you flee in the middle of the night? If he asked, Lisa decided her answer would be because she was a dumbass. But he didn't. Instead, he said, it was pretty incredible for me, too. Okay. Now you don't have to say that, she said humorously. I know I don't have to, Drew said playfully teasing Lisa. No, seriously, the night was pretty special. If you had wanted to extend our time together, I would have loved it. But I respect that you weren't interested. I just wish you felt differently, he said with a sad smile. Lisa's heart melted hearing Drew's declaration. How could anyone resist that? How could she have walked out on him and then treated him the way she had the next time he had tried to talk to her? How could she have ever resisted a man like him? What about now? Lisa asked vulnerably. What about now, what? Do you still wish I felt differently? She said, feeling her heart race. Drew became silent and then slowly enveloped Lisa in his gaze. What about when? Shouldn't that be my question? Lisa asked with a smile. Your question? Drew asked surprised. Yeah, my question, Lisa confirmed. Drew chuckled. Lisa, I'm not the one living with him. She thought about it. Oh yeah. I guess you're right. Lisa laughed. Well, I might be the one sleeping here at night, but I see the way he looks at you. He looks at you like a man in love. And I know because I've seen him give that look before. Bowie. Is that what you were referring to before when you said that he and Wynne were more than friends? Lisa tightened her lips, wondering if she had said too much. That's okay. You don't have to say, Drew said, looking away, satin by the truth. Lisa watched Drew try to mask his feelings. He was clearly heartbroken. Lisa couldn't understand it, but this made her want him more. She knew she couldn't do anything about it, though. Not only was Drew Wynn's guest, but Drew clearly had feelings for him. Wynn said something about there being a bedroom upstairs that I could use, Drew asked, gathering himself. Sure thing. Would you like me to show you now? Lisa asked, disappointed. I think so. It sounds like we're gonna have an early start tomorrow. And Wynn was right. 
It's been a long day. Lisa, leading Drew upstairs, opened the bedroom doors as she approached each one. There are a number you can choose from. I'm not sure why he needs so many considering he lives here by himself, Lisa joked. Well, you never know when the Russian ballet might be in town. All of those prima ballerinas have to be put somewhere, Drew said with a hint of mischief. Good point. The great thing is that they're so small you can sleep them four per bed. And if that doesn't work, they're flexible so you can twist them like pretzels. Lisa did her best impression of a ballet position. Drew laughed. Lisa liked hearing him laugh. Hey, do you want to see his bedroom? Lisa asked not wanting their time together to end. His bedroom. Yeah. Since he hasn't been able to use it, that's been where I've been kind of staying, she said guiltily. So you've been staying up here? Yeah. Why? Where did you think I was sleeping? Lisa knew exactly where he thought she was sleeping. Drew had assumed that she had been sleeping with Wynne. Certainly, he wasn't entirely wrong. But their sleeping together was clearly more innocent than Drew would have assumed. No. You're right, Drew said playfully backing off from his insinuation. This is exactly where I thought you would be staying. Carry on. Show me the room. I don't have to show you it if you don't want to. No. Believe me, I want to, he said sincerely even though Lisa didn't believe him. No, really. He is Win Wyatt. Of course I'm curious to know where he sleeps. Lisa smiled, reached for his hand, interlocked her fingers with his, and then joyfully walked him to the end of the hall. Pushing open the door, she felt a sense of pride that out of every woman in the world, she was the one able to offer such a tour. Drew stood at the door awestruck. This is almost as big as my condo. This is almost as big as the house I grew up in, Lisa said with a chuckle. Can I go in? I mean, do you think he would mind? I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't, Lisa said once again imagining the two men together. Drew let go of Lisa's hand and slowly worked his way around the room. He was looking at everything with the same reverence that she once had. It made Lisa feel good to know that she could give this to Drew. And when he had made a full round including the spa bath and closet, he re-entered the main room and joined Lisa on the edge of the bed. So this is where he sleeps, Drew said delighted. This is where the magic happens, Lisa confirmed. And this is where you sleep. Lisa froze like a deer caught in headlights. Out of nowhere, Drew was now giving her a look that she wasn't prepared for. Certainly it made her body tingle to feel its intensity, but could it possibly mean what she thought it meant? Yeah. This is where I sleep. Lisa could barely finish the words before Drew leaned towards her and pressed his lips against hers. Lisa's thoughts spiraled as he did. Could this possibly be happening again? Were they allowed to do this? Was any of this right? When Drew pulled himself closer and gripped his large hands on her waist, none of her questions seemed to matter. She had thought about her night with Drew so many times. She had imagined that it would never happen again. If this was how Drew wanted their night to end, however, then there was no way she was going to stop it. As Lisa parted her lips, she felt Drew's tongue enter in search of hers. Their tongues twisted and danced against each other. Drew slipped his free hand behind Lisa's neck, bracing her firmly. As Drew took control, Lisa succumbed to his will. She wanted so badly to again feel Drew's body against hers, and as Drew kissed her harder, that was exactly what she got. Drew, knowing exactly what he wanted, eased Lisa up the bed until she was lying on her back. She had worn a blouse that buttoned up the front. Drew, still kissing her, slowly unbuttoned her top and then wrapped his large hands around her heaving bra-covered breasts. Lisa inhaled deeply at the thrilling sensation. Taking his time, Drew massaged her ample D-cups. 
Lisa, sinking into the warm glow of his touch, tilted her head back. With his lips free, Drew looked down and unlatched the front of her bra. Seeing her full flesh in front of him, he moved his lips to her nipple and traced his tongue around the edge of her areola. Feeling particularly sensitive, Lisa reached up to stop him. Drew would have none of it. Collecting her wrists, he pressed them against the mattress above her head and continued his lingual caress. When it seemed that Lisa could take no more, Drew twirled his tongue to gently brush the tip of her nipple and then kissed his way across her chest. Sure to touch every part of her cleavage, he emerged on her other breast and then circled her tongue around her other areola. With her wrist still pinned, Lisa squirmed. Although she needed to resist him, there was no way she wanted him to stop. After tugging at her nipple with his lips, Drew did stop. From there, he continued his trail of kisses towards her belly. Lining it with his lips, he also lightly dragged his fingertips down the sensitive part of her sides. The feeling ignited her sex. And with sparks of electricity snapping between her legs, she gripped the bedsheets preparing herself for more. Hi, this is the author again. Yep, more steamy things are happening. And if you'd like to get a version of this book with the steamy bits in, narrated by me, you can get it for free by clicking on a link in the description and signing up for a free trial. I suggest you check it out. It's really, really fun. In an instant, Lisa found herself back in her body slowly descending the libidinous mountain. She remembered what she had seen and fought for her eyes to move so she could see it again. Adjusting her sights past Drew's body, she spotted him. As if life had regressed to a time before the rocket explosion, Lisa saw Wynn casually leaning on the doorframe. Was this real? Lisa didn't know. She had never seen him out of his wheelchair. But if somehow this was happening, she wanted more. Lifting up her hand, she summoned him forward like she had done before. To her surprise, he walked towards the bed. Still lost in the euphoria, she couldn't figure out if it was really him. When Drew followed her gaze and locked eyes with the man approaching the bed, she inhaled deeply immediately revitalized by the thought of what might happen next. Chapter 9 Drew In an instant, Drew left Lisa and stood in front of Wynne just past the edge of the bed. How? Drew asked, staring at the man who was somehow standing before him. Wynne didn't answer. Instead, Wynne leaned towards him, slipped his hand into the hair above his neck and pulled Drew's lips towards his. The two men kissed with the force of a cracked dam immediately pulling and clawing at each other. Their passion was unrivaled, and when the two men fell onto the bed, it was to Drew's surprise that Wynne pulled away from him and moved his lips towards Lisa's. Drew marveled as he realized Wynne's pent-up passion wasn't just for him. Wynne was also there for her. It was only now that he realized how much Wynne had recovered from when he had first arrived. His bandages and bruises were definitely gone. But more than that, in spite of remaining in the wheelchair, most of his strength had returned. He was no longer the broken man that he had found weeks ago. He was whole and vibrant, and he wanted them both. Drew didn't know what to think. He hadn't even been with a man before. But if there were ever two people he would want to do this with, it was the two before him now. Quickly, Wynne's lips returned to Drew's and it was Drew's turn to be undressed. Taking the opportunity to see what he thought about so many times before, he reached for Wynne's shirt unbuttoning his clothes. With Wynne's shirt off, Drew didn't stop there. Losing himself in the moment, he slid his hand down Wynne's torso not stopping when he felt denim. Traveling a little further, Drew found Wynne's bulge trying to fight its way out. Drew paused, never having touched another man's member before. For a moment he considered removing his hand, but he didn't want to. He wanted more. And if the man of his fantasies was going to allow him, he was going to have it. 
Spreading his fingers, he pushed the outline of Wynne's member between them. With his palm against its head, he slid his hand down, exploring the full length of it. Wynne was big, almost as big as him. The thought of that turned Drew on even more. Needing to see it to touch it, Drew pushed his lips against Wynne's and rushed to unbutton his pants. With the button free and the zipper pulling down, Drew grabbed Wynne's jeans and underwear and pulled them off. In a moment, Wynne was naked before him. He was toned, well manicured, and had an impressive member. Needing to have Wynne inside of him, he took off his own pants and then moved his lips to the head of Wynne's dick. Drew's heart fluttered, having never experienced anything like this before. Caressing Wynne's thigh, he cradled Wynne's balls and kissed the shaft of his member. Brushing the length of it against his cheek, he brought over his other hand and took hold of Wynne's erection. Knowing what he wanted to do to it next, he peeked up towards Wynne's eyes. Wynne was preoccupied kissing Lisa. Taking his opportunity, he brushed his bottom lip up the base of Wynne's shaft and... Hi, this is the author. Yep, more steamy things are happening. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to get a version narrated by me with the steamy bit still in it, you can get it for free by clicking on a link in the description and signing up for a free trial. Please check it out. You might enjoy it. Then collapsing onto the mound of flesh and latching his arms around the bodies, Drew allowed his mind to drift. He was lost in a storm of pleasure, and with nothing to anchor him in the waking world, Drew couldn't help but sink into sleep. Chapter 10 Win. Win, who lay sandwiched between his two lovers for the first time in a long time felt whole. Ever since he had lost Bowie he had felt so alone. That wasn't a rare thing for him. His was a lonely life. What he had learned a long time ago was that a lot of positive things came with genius, but the downside was that it was extremely isolating. Although he never wanted to leave Drew and Lisa's warm embrace, he considered the weight of their bodies on top of Lisa and shifted, encouraging Drew to fall to the side. Wynne was sure to fall in between them. And moving to Wynne as if they could read Wynne's mind, Drew and Lisa wrapped their arms around Wynne and eventually fell asleep. As much as Wynne wanted to join them, like most nights after the explosion, he couldn't fall asleep. The sex had been wonderful and it had helped, but there were too many things racing through his mind and he couldn't figure out how to make them stop. Maybe Drew was right. Maybe he shouldn't blame himself for not voicing his feeling about the freezing nights. But even if Drew was, the result of it was still that Bowie was gone. Wynne missed Bowie so much. There was barely a time that Wynne didn't think about him. How could his friend really be gone? How was Wynne supposed to live life without him? It was that which Wynne thought about for the next few hours, before shifting his attention to something even more pressing. Although neither Drew nor Lisa knew, his company Moon X was in trouble. The money from its last round of funding was nearly gone, and as things stood he was already going to have to invest millions of his own cash to keep things afloat. This was why he and Bowie had decided to risk their life on the launch in the first place. They had needed something spectacular to set everyone's imagination afire. They needed a way to keep the hype train alive. Wynne knew that he was more than just an engineer or the chief innovator of his companies. He was also its chief hype man. But set back by such devastation, Wynne was running out of options. If he didn't come up with something soon, Moon X was going to fail. And disconnected from the hype bubble surrounding all of his companies, his entire empire could collapse one company at a time. Still unable to sleep deep into the night, Wynne began to again think about what had caused the explosion. It could have been prevented with a $10 sensor. No new designs were necessary and no manufactured parts were needed. Considering they had produced multiple rockets to satisfy future launches, they could do a relaunch of their trip around the moon at any time. 
It was as that washed through his mind that Wynne had an idea. Why not do a relaunch? He could go up again. With everyone losing faith in their initiative, what better way to revitalize trust in the project than to prove that even after everything that happened, he was willing to trust his life to their technology. Considering his options, Wynne decided that this was a good one. The showman in him knew there was something missing, though. After such an epic failure, he was going to need something spectacular. What was more spectacular than the two company founders risking their life in their own launch? When the idea came to him, Wynne knew he had it. The question was, would he be able to make it happen? With his new plan firmly in mind, it was then that Wynne was able to get a few hours of sleep. It wasn't much, but it was enough for him to not feel like a zombie the next day. Awake and rolling over between the two resting bodies the next morning, Wynne made a discovery. Much of the pain which had subsided during his lust-filled night was back. He probably wouldn't have to be carried down the stairs, but he was definitely feeling weak. Wynne wondering if it was because he hadn't healed as much as he thought he had. But in the end, Wynne decided to blame it on the very hot, very vigorous sex. Good morning, Wynne said, spotting Lisa's opened eyes. Morning, she said with a smile. Looking at her, Wynne was reminded of why he liked her so much her. She had such a great energy about her. She was always so upbeat and excited about life. How could anyone not fall in love with that? Good morning, Wynne then heard coming from his opposite side. Wynne turned his head seeing that Drew was also awake. Morning, handsome, Wynne replied, genuinely smitten by the gorgeous man. Looking back and forth between the two, Wynne wondered how he had been so lucky. Sure, nothing they could do would make him forget Bowie. Bowie had been his best friend and perhaps the love of his life. But Wynne was grateful to be here now with them. And if everything went right, soon they would all go a lot further. What do you say we all get some breakfast? Wynne suggested with a smile. I'm sure that Gina has prepared something by now. I'm sure she has, Lisa confirmed. How are you feeling? Do you think you can make it downstairs? Wynne reevaluated the aches and pains throughout his body. Yeah, he told her, trying to convince the two of them of his strength. Then should we head down? Lisa asked again. Let's do it, Wynne confirmed before looking at Drew. Sure, Drew said, sliding himself off the side of the bed. As Wynne watched Drew move, he realized just how amazing Drew's naked body was. It was perfect. And seeing his generous manhood swaying in front of him, Wynne decided that there was no wonder he was feeling sore. Following Lisa off her side of the bed, Wynne moved slowly. He wanted to move as confidently as he did the night before, but clearly that wasn't going to happen. With Lisa handing him a rope, he put it on with one thing in mind. He just needed to make it from his bedroom to the breakfast nook on his own. If he could, the rest of what he had to do today would be a lot easier. Feeling Drew and Lisa's eyes on him, Wynne lifted his chin, puffed out his chest and eased himself forward. He wasn't exactly graceful, but Wynne could tell that the two were impressed. They hadn't seen him walk unassisted since the accident. Wynne hadn't wanted to practice in front of them in case he failed. So instead he spent hour after hour walking back and forth during rehab, just so when the time came, he could walk in front of them with confidence. Wynne also had to admit that there was some male ego involved. Wynne liked both Drew and Lisa. Wynne wanted them to see him in a certain way. He wanted them to remain impressed by him and to look at him as if he were someone special. He wanted to be special for them, and he was willing to work his ass off to be that. After crossing the hallway and then descending the stairs, Wynne approached the breakfast table with Drew and Lisa following closely behind. It was clear that they were there in case they needed to catch him. Wynne had considered ushering them away, but decided against it. 
It was one thing to show confidence and another to fall on your face in front of the people you're trying to impress. With plates being put in front of them and Drew clearly feeling a little uncomfortable, Wynn decided it was time to tell his friends about his plan. Looking between Drew and Lisa, Wynn let out a deep exhale. There's something you two should know. It's not something that I would ever want to admit, but I feel I need to tell you, Wynn began. What is it? Drew retorted, sensing Wynn's distress. The company is out of money. We have enough to last another month, maybe another five weeks. But that's it. After that, the company will fold, and all the rest of my companies will probably close with it. Lisa and Drew looked at each other shocked, Lisa more so than her counterpart. Is there anything you can do? She asked desperately. Well, actually, I was thinking about that last night after you two fell asleep and I think there might be something. What is it? Lisa replied. I could do another launch, Wynne suggested gingerly. Lisa grabbed Wynne's attention by touching his arm. Another launch. You. Now? Yeah. Why not? You saw me walk. I could handle it. Besides, it's not like I'll need to be able to run a marathon to do it. Lisa looked at Drew who stared back at her. You can't, Lisa insisted. What if you do it again and there's another explosion that kills you? See, that's exactly why I need to do it. The technology is safe. I mean what caused the explosion wasn't the engine design or anything else. It could be fixed with a $10 sensor. Drew, am I right? When asked, shifting the focus on Drew. Drew looked down thinking about it and then looked up at Lisa. Actually, he's right. The design is safe. If it wasn't for a couple of unexpected cold nights, the accident would never have happened. Lisa stared at Drew distressed. Are you saying that you would trust your life on that thing? I don't know. But what I can tell you is that the science is sound, Drew said confidently. Exactly, Wynn confirmed. And we have another rocket identical to the one used in our first launch. We could add the sensor, do all the necessary tests, and then do the launch and maybe save the company. I don't know, Wynn, Lisa said nervously. You aren't even completely healed. Who would you trust to go up there with you? And that's the thing. I need to go up with someone I trust. Someone whose hands I could put my life in. And who's that? Drew asked hesitantly. Wynn paused. Well, after the explosion the company needs something that will recapture the headlines and change everyone's focus from what happened to what could be. And what better way to do that than launching the rocket with the owner of the company, its chief engineer, and a woman who could be any of the women watching? Lisa gasped. Drew froze before asking, what are you saying, Wynn? Looking between the two, Wynn lifted his chin and leaned forward as if the survival of his company lay in the balance. What I'm saying is that I'm going to do another launch, and I want you two to go to the moon with me. Chapter 11 Lisa Lisa's mouth dropped open hearing what Wynn said. She couldn't have heard that correctly. Did he really say that he wanted her to go with him to the moon? I know it's a lot to ask considering what happened to Bowie. Wynne said before being interrupted. A lot to ask. Lisa disputed. Bowie died and until last night you couldn't even walk. Wynne stared at her saddened. You're right. Bowie did die. But I'm trying to make his death mean something. By sacrificing our lives. Lisa asked disturbed. Technically he wouldn't be sacrificing our lives, Drew added hesitantly. Wait, you're on board with this? Lisa asked confused. It's not that I'm on board. It's just that it isn't quite as dangerous as you might be thinking. What are you talking about?
Bowie died, Lisa protested. Yes, Drew confirmed. But now we know why, and we know that what happened was a fluke. People have been going to space for decades. The science is well established. It's just a matter of whether or not our technology can be trusted. And do you trust it? Lisa asked. Drew looked at Wynne. I'm the chief engineer, and I believe in science. I have to trust it. Wynne smiled at Drew. Does that mean you'll do it? That means that I'll think about it. And whatever decision I come to won't be based on whether or not I'm scared the rocket will explode. It's just that I've never imagined myself as an astronaut. You must have dreamed about it, though, Wynne suggested. I mean, you became a rocket engineer. When you were a kid, didn't you dream of going to space? When I was a kid, I dreamed about being James T. Kirk, captain of the Starship Enterprise. But that was before I was old enough to know my limitations. And that's the worst part about growing up. You start to think that you can no longer dream. But what happens when we stop dreaming? Do you think that Moon X would exist if I stopped dreaming? What about my electric car company? Don't you think that started with a dream? When we stop dreaming, we stop living. I'm offering you the opportunity to feel alive. I'm offering you the opportunity to live again. Traveling to space was the dream you had before the world taught you not to dream. Wynne reached out and touched Drew on the shoulder. Dream with me. Change the world with me. Make history with me, Wynne said, staring into Drew's soulful eyes. Drew stared back in silence for a moment and then replied, Okay. I'll do it. You'll circle the moon with me. Yeah. I'll go to the moon with you, Drew said with a building smile. Wynne reached across the table and grabbed Drew in triumph. Looking confident, he then turned to Lisa. And what about you? Lisa stared at the two men stunned by what she had witnessed. A wave of heat pulsed through her body causing her hands to tingle. The weight of the world seemed to be pressed against her shoulders. All of this was too much. She needed to get out of there, and she needed to fast. I have to go, Lisa told them. Are you sure? Wynne asked. We can talk this out. No. I have to go now, she said getting up and stepping away from the table. With her mind tumbling, she tried to figure out what to do next. She needed her car keys. Where were they? They were upstairs in Wynne's master bedroom. Running to the stairs and then down the upstairs hall, she burst into the bedroom and collected her stuff. Feeling the wind against her naked body, she realized she needed to put on clothes. Finding a pair of jeans and top, she quickly put them on. And feeling the pressure on her mount, she grabbed her purse and a pair of shoes not bothering to put them on. When will you be back? Wynne asked as she sprinted across the living room towards the front door. I have to go, Lisa exclaimed exiting and running to her car. Climbing in and speeding off, Lisa could only think about getting home. She couldn't go to space. What was Wynne thinking? Was he out to kill her or something? Lisa didn't know. But what she did know was that Wynne was crazy to suggest it, and that there was no way that she could do something like that. Arriving home, she found no one else there. The one time she might have wanted to talk to her mother, her mother was at work. So instead Lisa went to her room, locked the door, and threw herself onto the bed. Why had Wynne ruined everything by asking her something so ridiculous? The night before had been the most glorious night of her life. The two hottest, most intelligent, and most incredible men she had ever met had shared something with her that was beyond words. More than that, Wynne Wyatt had had sex with her. In what world was that even possible? Wynne Wyatt, the object of so many people's sexual fantasies, had chosen her to sleep with. On top of that, he felt so comfortable with her that he had allowed a man to take him while she watched. 
If she had told her teenage self that this was possible, her younger self would have slapped her silly for teasing her with such cruel eyes. But it was all true. She had an honest-to-God relationship with Wynne Wyatt. She had a sexual relationship with him. And now he was asking her to help him save his company by going to space with him. It was all so unbelievable that Lisa had no idea what to think. Who can I talk to about this? Lisa wondered. Lisa had never had many friends. She would have liked to think of the girls from the Win Wyatt fan forum as her friends, but were they really? Sure, she had been able to confide in them in the past when things had gotten tough. But there was no doubt how anyone there would respond if they knew what was going on. Of course you should go to space with him. They would all write. Hell, if someone else were going through this instead of her, Lisa would advise the same. But those girls were the absolute last people she could tell any of this to. Everything she was experiencing with Wynne Wyatt was top secret. She had signed non-disclosure forms. She could get sued for everything she owned if she spoke a word about the explosion or Wynne Wyatt's physical well-being. And more than that, she would be violating Wynne's trust. No, Lisa needed someone who she could confide in who wouldn't immediately post it on a forum or turn it into really great fanfiction. And although she couldn't believe she was thinking this, the only ones who fit those qualifications were her parents. Having made this depressing realization, Lisa lay in bed thinking about everything until the first of her parents arrived home. Although her mother was a teacher and theoretically got off work at three, she never made it home until after six. After-school activities sometimes came with bonus pay. With Lisa all grown up, her mother didn't see a reason not to stay late. What that meant, however, was that Lisa's father was the first one home. Lisa didn't speak much to her father. For much of her life, she simply thought of him as a ghost. Sure, she loved him and all of that, but the older Lisa got, the more her father retreated into his office. He didn't even join Lisa and her mother for dinner. In a lot of ways, it was like he had died even though he was still there. Dad? Lisa said knocking on his office door. No one replied. Dad, there's something important I want to talk to you about. Lisa waited for a response with her ear pressed against his office door. Hearing only silence, Lisa was about to give up and check his bedroom when she heard someone grumble from inside. Did you say come in? Lisa asked. I think you said come in. I'm coming in, she said slowly opening the door. Staring at her father for the first time in so long, it became clear to her how much he had changed. There was practically fear in his eyes. He worked in an office with a lot of people. In theory, it was his job to interact with others. How could he be so uncomfortable staring at his own daughter now? What had happened to him? Knowing that she wasn't going to get that answer, Lisa started what she came in to do. Dad, something came up at work that I wanted to talk to you about. Lisa looked at her father for a response. He stared back almost panicked. She looked at her toes in disappointment and continued. I don't know if you know this, but I've been working at Moon X. It's the rocket company that had the explosion a couple weeks ago. Well, I've kind of become friends with Wynne Wyatt, the owner of the company, and he has offered me an opportunity that could be once in a lifetime. Or, maybe it's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. I don't know. I was hoping I could get your feedback on it. Lisa looked up at her father. It was like he was paralyzed and fighting to respond. When he grunted, she took that as her signal to keep going. He wants me to go to space with him, Dad. Do you believe that? He wants me to fly with him around the moon in his rocket ship. That's crazy, right? I mean, that's like a fairy tale that you or mom would have told me as a kid. But it's true. He asked me today. And for reasons that I shouldn't say, 
He thinks it's really important for the company that I do it. But I don't know what to do, Dad. Can you tell me? The longer the silence drew out between them, the more futile she realized her attempt had been. She wasn't sure what was wrong with her father, but there was clearly something. And as much as she needed him to be her father in this situation, she slowly realized it was more than he was capable of. Lisa stood staring at her father for a long time after that. Although the two made eye contact, the longer she stared, the more she felt like she was just looking at a statue. What had happened to the man she had loved? Was he even still inside her father's body? Lisa didn't know, and it didn't look like she was going to find out tonight. Heartbroken, Lisa slowly backed out of the room and closed the door behind her. Returning to her room and sitting on the edge of the bed, she thought about how tired she suddenly felt. Seeing her father like that took more out of her than she could have imagined. It almost would have been better if he had been in a hospital bed. At least then his inability to respond would make sense. Seeing her father also made her consider how much she herself had changed. Just a few months ago, she was on a path towards becoming her father. Lisa wasn't positive about that, but it felt true. Lisa was in risk of hiding away from life. If she hadn't gotten her assignment at Moon X, gone to the bar and met Drew, and then worked as Wynn's personal assistant, would she still be locked away in her room every day? Now here she was, considering going to the moon. How had things changed so quickly for her? And more importantly, if she was always capable of becoming the person she was now, how had she almost become her father? Not expecting to figure out an answer to any of this, Lisa shifted her focus back to the most important question at hand, whether she would join Wynne and Drew to the moon. Knowing that she was down to a final option for advice, Lisa prepared herself for a conversation with her mother. The last thing they had said to each other had been a fight. It had been about all the time that she was spending away from home. Didn't her mother understand that if her mother were a little nicer, Lisa would be home more? Lisa was thinking about that and the things said between them when she heard the front door open and her mother enter the house. As if taking her cue from the last horrible thing that Lisa remembered her mother saying, Lisa next heard the footsteps as her mother marched to Lisa's bedroom. Without knocking, her mother threw open Lisa's door. Mom? Lisa exclaimed in protest. Oh my God, you're here. Do you know how worried I've been about you? You could have been dead. You could have been lying on the side of the road somewhere dying. Couldn't you have at least called home? Do you respect your father and me so little that you couldn't do that? Her mother yelled. Why do you have to be like this? Lisa yelled back. Every time I see you, all you can do is tell me how disappointed you are in me. Or how I'm doing everything wrong. Can't you ever be proud of me? Proud of you? For what? You don't tell me anything going on in your life. You can't even tell me where you're sleeping at night. I told you where I've been. I'm doing a work assignment with Moon X. A work assignment that requires you to sleep somewhere else. Are you really expecting me to believe that? But it's true. See, even when I tell you, you don't believe me. I was gonna tell you something important, but what's the point if you're not gonna believe me anyway? Lisa said, as angry as she was disappointed. Hearing this, Lisa's mother froze. Lisa realized she had a nerve. The suggestion of this carrot seemed to change everything for her mother. And like that, Lisa appeared to get the upper hand. What was it that you want to tell me? Her mother asked clearly, trying not to seem desperate. No. You're not gonna believe me anyway, so why should I? For Christ's sake, Lisa. If you have something to tell me, just say it, her mother spat. Fine. I've been working with Wynne Wyatt, the CEO at Moon X. 
Because of the problems that came about with the explosion, he asked me to do something with them, which is kind of hard to believe. And what would that be? Just as Lisa began to say it, she realized how ridiculous it all sounded. Feeling like a 12-year-old girl who was asking a boy to a middle school dance, Lisa squirmed looking for the words. Just spit it out, her mother stated frustrated. Fine. He asked me if I would go on the next rocket launch with him to the moon. I mean, we wouldn't actually be going to the moon. We would be circling the moon in his rocket ship. And it wouldn't just be me and him. It would be the company's chief engineer as well. He would be there in case anything went wrong, I guess. Feeling the wind leave her sails, Lisa stood in front of her mother feeling smaller than she'd ever been. Why wasn't her mother saying something? Why was she just staring at her with that befuddled look on her face? She had just told her mother that a billionaire and one of the most eligible bachelors in the world had asked her to go to space with him. That had to deserve some sort of response, didn't it? She should have at least been a little proud of that, shouldn't she? Staring with her mouth open, Lisa's mother slowly collected herself and hardened her gaze. Don't be ridiculous, she said before leaving Lisa's door and heading to her own bedroom. Stunned, Lisa went after her. Ridiculous. You think I'm being ridiculous? The owner of one of the most successful companies in the world doesn't think I'm ridiculous. In fact, he might even be in love with me, Lisa said, grasping at straws. In love with you? Please. I don't know why you feel the need to make these things up. I'm not making this up. And when Wyatt could be in love with me? You don't know. You don't know what we were doing this morning before I came here. Where do you think I've been spending my nights? At the office. Do you really think I've been sleeping at my desk or something? So what you're saying is that you've been being a whore, her mother spat way too easily. What's wrong with you, Mom? Why do you have to talk to me like that? Someone just asked me to go to space with them. Do you know how incredible that is? I could be the first ever space tourist. Me. Your daughter. Can't you at least be proud of me? Her mother stopped and looked back at her. And tell me something, in this little scenario, where are they going to find a spacesuit that fits you? You're not exactly in space travel fitness. Have you even considered that? Now, do you understand how ridiculous you sound? It was with that that Lisa stopped following her mother. Her mother had always known exactly what to say to devastate her, and she had done it again. She had found something that was humiliating and cruel, which had the added benefit of being true. Where would they find a spacesuit large enough to fit her? She wasn't some stick-thin model. She probably couldn't even fit in a man's spacesuit. What were they supposed to do, make one for her in five weeks? Had Wynn not even taken that into consideration? It was hard enough trying to find a dress for prom in her size. Having people watch as he tried to squeeze into something that was supposed to be one-size-fits-all was beyond anything that Lisa would be able to take. Returning to her room, Lisa locked the door behind her. Climbing into bed, she cried. She didn't even know why she was crying. Was it what her mother had said? Was it the heartbreak of learning that her father was so catatonic that he couldn't even offer her a word of encouragement? Or was it that Wynne was thoughtless enough to put her in this situation to begin with? By the time Lisa had cried herself to sleep, she still didn't know. When she woke up the next morning, however, she knew what she was going to do. She was going to give up on the foolish idea that she was anything more than who she was. She was just a nobody, fat girl from the valley who wasn't special and who wouldn't amount to anything. She wasn't sure what Wynne had been filling her head with, but it had to end. She had been living in a dream world, and if she continued on, 
it was only going to lead to pain and humiliation. She didn't need that. She didn't need anything. In fact, as long as she had her computer and her fanfiction, she could probably spend the rest of her life in her room. It would be so easy. As the day went on and her parents left for work, Lisa lay in bed thinking about everything she had experienced during the last few weeks. What had any of it been? Had it even happened? The more she thought about it, the more she was convinced that it hadn't. There was no way that she had been working with Win Y, who ran the company Moon X. There was no way that had happened. To even consider it was ridiculous. Was it that she was losing her mind? Lisa considered. It had to be. Nothing like that happened to people like her. Was this some delusion spurred on from reading too much Win Wyatt fanfiction? That was a possibility. In fact, that was more likely than believing that the day before she had made love to two incredibly gorgeous men, one of which was the man of her fantasies. By dinner time, Lisa had figured it all out. The whole thing was ridiculous. She had been delusional, and she had to stop all this. And although it hurt her heart to let it all go, it was what was best for her. Only leaving her bedroom when her mother called her to dinner, Lisa headed to the kitchen, collected her plates and then headed back to her room. What was the point of being out there? What was the point of anything? She wasn't the type of person who amounted to anything. She was the type of girl who eventually had to be forklift out of her bedroom and buried in an oversized casket. And with that thought, Lisa turned off her phone and climbed into bed. As Lisa spiraled further into darkness, she considered what might have been if any of what she had imagined about Win Wyatt had been real. She thought about what it would be like to hold Win Wyatt's hand as they announced to the world that she would be joining him and Drew as they circled the moon. She thought about the life that they would have afterwards. She thought about making love to the two men as they made love to each other. In the end, Lisa considered it a cruel fantasy. None of it could ever be real. To propose such an idea was to be the cruelest of the cruel. Why had she ever imagined that she could work for Moon X? Why had she ever imagined anything for herself? As each consecutive day turned into night, Lisa discovered that giving up was far easier than she thought. Her mother even made things easy for her by bringing her food to her room. When the arguments between them stopped, Lisa realized how much quieter the house became. There was a certain level of peace that came with knowing one's limitations. It came at a cost, but the more time that passed, the easier that cost got to bear. After a week, Lisa had convinced herself that none of her experiences with Wynn and Drew had actually happened. She hadn't worked at Moon X, met Drew, or made love to the billionaire Wynn Wide. Lisa concluded that to even suggest such a thing would just be crazy. Lisa had also become quite comfortable residing in her room. Sure, she would occasionally have to leave to go to the bathroom, but that was it. Her mother made everything else convenient for Lisa. In fact, she hadn't seen her mother this happy in a long time. Lisa had found her new life, and she didn't need anything more than what she had. All of that was interrupted, however, when one evening, Lisa heard a knock on the front door. No one ever knocked on their front door. No one in the house ever got visitors. Who in the world could be knocking now? Suddenly feeling markedly uncomfortable, Lisa turned from her computer and stared at her bedroom door. The abrupt disruption of the house's silence disturbed her. The sound had made her chest tingle, and she was now on edge wondering what would happen next. The person knocked again, this time harder and louder. Whoever it was was making it clear that they weren't going away. Why weren't they going away? It was the sudden shift in her new normal that got Lisa to open her bedroom door and peer out. I'll handle it, Lisa. You go back to your room, Lisa's mother said, seeing Lisa's face emerge. 
Lisa turned her attention to her mother. She had been sitting on the couch watching TV when the knocking had started. She was still there now, but her attention was clearly lasered onto the door. As they both stared at it, the person knocked again. Aren't you gonna answer it? Lisa probed. Just go back to your room, her mother said, becoming annoyed. It has to be someone with the wrong address. Give them time to realize it. They'll go away, she insisted. The person on the other side the door wouldn't go away, though. They knocked harder. And as much as it rattled Lisa, it also gave her unexplainable hope. Why don't you answer the door? Lisa asked suddenly, confused. I said, go back to your room. Don't you ever listen to anything I say. Her mother protested. It was her mother's harsh tone that did it. No longer content to stand in the shadows of her own life, Lisa left her room and started her charge towards the door. Lisa, what are you doing? Her mother asked nervously. I'm answering the door. But you don't know who it is. What type of person knocks at this time at night? Don't do it, Lisa. Please just let them go away. By the time Lisa had crossed the living room, letting them go away was no longer an option. She now had to know who this was. It could have been a murderer. Lisa didn't care. The knocking had become her lifeline. She needed to know who was on the other side of that door. And although she knew he had only been a part of her fantasy, she knew who she wanted it to be. Whipping open the door, Lisa held her breath. As she stared, her skin tingled and her heart pounded. She knew the man standing past the doorway in front of her. She had kissed him. She had made love to him. He was the prince who she desperately wanted to rescue her from her tower. Lisa, when Wyatt said in his deeply alluring voice, When, she said suddenly, drawn back to real life, What are you doing here? I came to talk to you. Why haven't you been answering my calls? I've been so worried. Where have you been? He asked desperately. I've been here, she replied, not knowing what else to say. What was she supposed to say? That she had locked herself away in her room trying to pretend the last few weeks hadn't happened. What type of answer was that? What type of person did something like that? I don't understand why you left. If you didn't want to take the flight with us, then okay. I would have understood. But you just left and didn't come back. Why did you leave me like that? Didn't I mean anything to you? Did you just get tired of me? Was it because you thought I couldn't walk? Because I can now see. Lisa listened, not sure what was going on. Did Wynne think that she had left because of him? That perhaps she had lost interest in him? No, Lisa protested. I didn't leave because you couldn't walk. I don't even understand how you could think that. What was I supposed to think? One moment I'm asking you to join me on what could be the greatest adventure of our lives. The next you're speeding out of my driveway and not coming back. Why didn't you come back? Lisa was caught off guard by everything Wynne was saying. Why wasn't it obvious to him why she hadn't gone back? It was because someone like me isn't supposed to be with someone like you, Lisa explained. Someone like me? Someone like you. What are you talking about? You mean me being a cripple? What? No. What does that have to do anything? Lisa asked, confused. No, I mean someone like you. You know, someone like you and someone like me. Wynne looked at Lisa with as much confusion as she had looked at him. Are you going to make me say it? Lisa asked frustrated. That might help since I seem to have no idea what you're talking about, Wynne admitted. You. You know tall, gorgeous. I mean, you're literally a billionaire. You could have any woman you want. 
Most girls are impressed if a guy pays for dinner, and you invited me to go with you to the moon. I'm just some stupid fat girl who locks herself away in her room and reads fanfiction. Someone like you could never be interested in someone like me, Lisa admitted, finally feeling the weight of her pent-up emotions. Wynn, who hadn't expected to hear any of that, reached forward and squeezed Lisa's shoulders. How could that be the way you see me? How could that be the way you see yourself? But it's the truth. Isn't it? Lisa, don't you understand how hard it is for someone like me to let people into their life? Don't you think there's a reason why I haven't left my house since the funeral? Wynn's arms dropped as he allowed himself to think about it for the first time. Do you really think it was just about my investors and funding? Do you know how much pressure I'm under to always maintain an image? But I had let you in. I had let you see me at my worst, my most broken. And you talk about me being a billionaire. As I told you, I'm out of money. I'm broke. I owe more money than you could make in five lifetimes. And on top of all that, I keep having these freaking panic attacks that render me helpless. At first, they only happened when I looked at engine schematics. Now they happen whenever I think about not having you in my life. So when you say someone like you and someone like me, I don't think we're thinking about the same two people, Wynn concluded not having before realized any of what he had just said. Lisa, having listened intently, stared at Wynn stunned. She was speechless. His words were boring through her like a drill through her skull. None of it made sense. He had to be lying to her. There was no way that he could see himself in any other way than as the great Wynn Wyatt. Lisa, I know you don't owe me anything. And I've probably already asked too much from you. But I'm asking you now please come back to me. I need you. I don't think I realized just how much I need you until just now, but I do. Please come back. I'm asking you to come back to me. Lisa stared at Wynne with her mouth hanging open. She had no clue what to say. This was all too much for her. She wanted it all to be over. In that moment she wanted to return to her simple life. Aren't you going to say anything, Lisa? After all that, are you seriously not going to say a word? Wynne said heartbroken. After staring for a moment more, tears filled Wynne's eyes. In an unexpected turn, Wynne smiled and chuckled. Yep, this makes sense. Well, I'm sorry I bothered you, Wynne said, trying to recapture his practice charm. I will allow you to get back to your life now. Wynne laughed again and shook his head in irony. Have a good night, he said before turning and walking into the darkness. Still frozen, Lisa watched him go. She didn't want to run after him, she didn't want to retreat to her room. She just wanted to stand there and let all the swirling thoughts settle in her mind before taking another step. Lisa, aren't you going to close the door? Lisa heard her mother say from over her shoulder. It was then that it dawned on her. Lisa, leaving the door open, turned to her mother and stared at her. It was only then that she saw the small, frail Englishwoman standing in front of her for the first time. It was you, Lisa told her with realization. What are you talking about? It was you who did this to me. Who did what? Gave birth to you. Clothed you. Who cooks your food? Who cleans your house? Her mother asked frantically. No, Lisa clarified. It was you who made me believe that I'm not good enough and that I would never become anything. Why would you do that? Why would you do that your own daughter? Lisa asked calmly and with genuine curiosity. What are you talking about? Stop being ridiculous, her mother insisted. See? Like that? Why don't you take anything I do seriously? Why is everything ridiculous to you? You say it so much that you have me saying and thinking it. 
That's not true, she said with building defensiveness. But it is true, Lisa said measuredly. Looking down allowing her mind to wander, Lisa stepped away from the door. Her mother quickly took the opportunity to close and lock it behind Lisa. Lisa looked back at her mother and the door, allowing a distant thought to surface. It's because you don't want me to leave. The words came out of Lisa's mouth before she knew what she was saying. You want to keep me here. That's it, isn't it? You want to lock me away here just like you did, Dad. As if flipping a switch, Lisa's mother became enraged. Don't you dare blame your father on me. I did everything I could to help your father. I still do. I allow him to remain locked in his room like some sort of hermit. I feed him. I clean up after him. Don't you dare say that he's my fault. I was the one hiding it from you for as long as I could. I was the one trying to give you a normal life. Still calm, Lisa stared at her mother realizing something for the first time. Why have you been so happy for the past week? What? What do you mean? Her mother asked defensively. For the last week I've never seen you happier. Couldn't you see that I was going through something horrible? You could have been my mother and asked me what was wrong. But instead you just fed me and encouraged me to stay locked away in my room. Does that seem normal to you, mother? Is that what a normal mother would do? Now you're blaming me for taking care of you. Like that. What? Wasn't that what you were gonna say? That I was now blaming you for taking care of me like you took care of dad? No. What are you saying? When my dad, your husband, started retreating into his room, did you really do everything you could to get him out? How could you say that to me? He was your father. He is my father, Lisa corrected. He's not dead. Well, he may as well be, her mother said, finally exploding with emotion. Do you know how hard it's been seeing him go through that over the years? Growing lonelier and lonelier watching the man who was supposed to take care of us disappear from my eyes. Can you even imagine how hard it's been for me? How lonely it's been. It was as Lisa stared at the person in front of her that for the first time, she saw her as more than just her mother. She was a person. She was a lonely woman willing to do whatever it took to no longer be alone. You did do this to me. My entire life you told me that I couldn't do anything, and that I wouldn't amount to anything, so that you can get what I was almost so willing to give you. You're happy to see me lock myself in my room because you fear that I'll leave you here alone. That's it, isn't it? You were willing to sacrifice my life so you wouldn't have to be alone with Dad. A mixture of guilt and panic washed over her mother's face. You wouldn't blame me if that were true. If you were in my position, you might have done exactly the same thing. You don't know how hard it's been for me. You don't know what it's like to live in a house without love, she said emotionally. You think I don't know what it's like to live in a house without love? I've lived in a house where my own mother tore me down day after day to make sure that I wouldn't leave. I can tell you what it's like to live in a house without love, Lisa confirmed. Lisa slowly walked to the side table and collected her car keys from a bowl. Where are you going? Mother asked agitatedly. I'm going somewhere where I have a chance at love, Lisa said as if her entire life suddenly made sense. Lisa, where are you going? Don't leave me here. Do you hear me? I took care of you. Don't leave me here alone. Lisa unlocked the door and continued her march towards her car. Lisa. Lisa. Her mother yelled at her, desperate for her to stop. Lisa, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. I'm your mother. And you've had a chance to live. When is my turn to live, mother? When do I get a chance to live? 
Without another word, Lisa climbed into the car and started the ignition. Something told her that this wasn't like all of the other times she had driven away from home. This time, she wouldn't be back. Shifting the car into reverse, Lisa pulled out of the driveway onto the street. As much as she told herself that she shouldn't look back, she had to. Her mother was standing backlit in the doorway watching her go. Lisa wondered if this was the last image she would ever have of her mother. If it was, Lisa knew that it would be fitting. Pulling away, Lisa turned her attention to where she was going. She didn't know what she was going to say when she got there, and she didn't know how Wynne would react. In spite of that, she knew her life was about to change. She didn't know how until she was standing outside of Wynne's door staring into his sparkling eyes. I want to go with you to the moon, Lisa told Wynne, barely believing what she was saying. Are you sure? Wynne asked his chest inflating by the second. Lisa looked past Wynne at Drew who stood staring back at her. Turning back to Wynne, her eyes danced back and forth between the two. Yeah, she was sure. I've never been sure about anything in my life, she told him, unable to imagine what the future would hold. Chapter 12 Drew Drew stared at Wynne and Lisa as Lisa stepped inside and the two hugged. Watching the two embrace was heartbreaking for Drew. While Lisa had been gone, Drew had discovered a lot about himself. Although he had always felt something for Wynne, Drew learned that he was now in love with him. Drew had always been in love with him, but never having considered being with a man, Drew hadn't understood what he was feeling. It was his time alone with Wynne that had changed that, however. He was thoroughly and completely in love with Wynne Wyatt. They had made love every day and sometimes multiple times a day. And Drew could have seen himself living the rest of his happy life with Wynne, if it wasn't for Wynne's obvious feelings for Lisa. Even after one of their mind-blowing passionate nights together, it was impossible to miss the sadness in Wynne's eyes. Whether or not Wynne was aware of it, he was clearly in love with Lisa. Drew loved Wynne. But if his heart was somewhere else, the only thing Drew could do would be to encourage him to be with the woman he loved. It had taken some convincing, but Drew was eventually able to do just that. He had gotten Wynne to drive to Lisa's home and try to win her back. Apparently, it had worked. The couple had been reunited. Drew had made the man he loved happy. All that was left now was for Drew to excuse himself and allow the two to have their wonderful life together. His heart ached just thinking about it, but he loved Wynne too much to allow his feelings to get in the way of Wynne's happiness. I'm going to go, Drew said trying to excuse himself. Go. Where, Wynne asked staring at Drew confused. Home, Drew said. Home. Why? Wynne continued. Drew thought for a moment before replying. He knew how much Lisa meant to Wynne so he didn't want to make this hard for him. He didn't want to make this hard for either of them. They were both really wonderful, and he didn't want to stand in the way of either of them being happy. Well, if Lisa is going to join us on our trip, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. I'll need to go into the office early tomorrow, and it would be easier if I left from my place in the morning. Are you sure? Wynne asked convinced. It would just be better, Drew confirmed. Okay then, Wynne said before hugging him and giving him a kiss. Come back soon, Wynne insisted. Of course, Drew conceded though he intended to give the new couple as much space as possible. Awkwardly telling Lisa bye, Drew exited Wynne's home and headed to his car. Unable to resist, he looked back. The new couple was looking back at him. His chest thumped with pain over what was going on. It was like a changing of the guards except, in this case, Drew was giving up the man he loved so that the man he loved could be happy with the woman Drew once thought he could be happy with. Drew faced forward when he felt the tears well in his eyes. 
It was incredibly hard letting go, but he knew he had to. Safely in his car, the wet streaks gathered at his chin. He was holding it together, and he knew that it only had to last until he was past the gate and out of sight. It was as the home he had spent a week at rescinded into the darkness that everything buried inside of Drew came flooding out. Losing control, he pulled his car to the side. Falling in gut-wrenching spasms, he rested his head on the steering wheel and allowed it all to flow. He loved Wynn more than he could have ever thought possible, and the thought of being without him was tearing him apart. In spite of the immense pain he felt, eventually Drew was able to pull himself together. Restarting his car and continuing his trip home, he considered what else he could do to make the man he loved happy. There was the launch, certainly. It had to go off without a hitch. Lisa was clearly wonderful in many ways, but she was in no way ready for something like this. It would be up to Drew to prepare her. He could do that. More importantly, he wanted to do that. As soon Drew arrived home, he came up with a plan. She, like Wynn and himself, would need to be switched to a less rich diet. More important than that, she was going to need to be put in the Graviton, otherwise known as the Vominator. He and Wynn were both athletes, but Lisa's body mass to muscle ratio was clearly not the same as theirs. There was no telling what difference that would make during launch. By morning, Drew hadn't slept much, but he had a schedule for everything that had to happen before the company could announce what they were doing. Through Sarah, Wynn's executive assistant, he arranged for Lisa to meet him in what they referred to as launch school. It was where Bowie and Wynn had been taught everything they needed to know about what was going to happen. With not much time, Lisa needed to begin. Seeing her, knowing that she had spent the night with the man he loved, was hard. Drew forced it out of his mind. He had to focus. Her life could depend on him getting everything exactly right for her. There was no way he was going to let her down like he had once led down Bowie. Listen, I know how ridiculous it is that I am taking this flight with you too. You know this isn't my idea, Lisa told Drew apologetically. No, I know. But whatever Wynn wants, right? Lisa said jokingly. Drew wasn't sure why, but that made him laugh. Yep, whatever Wynn wants, he said with a smile. The thing that Drew didn't know, but quickly learned as they went through the material, was that Lisa was actually pretty smart. He wasn't sure why he had thought otherwise. Perhaps it was that she was working as an assistant, instead of as an engineer. But she caught on to things like she had been doing physics and math her entire life. I mean, I took it in high school and did pretty well. But I never considered going further with it than that. Well, if you wanted to, you could definitely have made it as an engineer, Drew told her. Really? Lisa asked shocked. Absolutely. I have actually never seen someone catch on to concepts as quickly as you. Why didn't you want to study physics past high school? Drew asked sincerely confused. I guess because my mother told me I would be wasting my time, Lisa admitted with sadness. That's too bad. Because she couldn't be more wrong, Drew said with a smile. Although Lisa's attitude had been good before that conversation, her enthusiasm for what they were doing only skyrocketed after that. Drew was incredibly impressed. He had certainly liked her from the moment he had met her at the bar. But he was seeing a side of her that he was finding hard to resist. So you guys call it the Vominator? Lisa asked, staring at the giant machine in front of her. That's what some of them call it, Drew admitted. Tell me again why you need to make me vomit, Lisa asked humorously. Drew chuckled. It's not that we need to make you throw up. We're testing your response to increase G-force. During launch, the speed of the rocket as it ascends will make you feel like you are three or four times heavier than you are. We can't, of course, put you in a rocket to test how you'll respond. 
So instead, we put you in the graviton, which uses its spinning motion to replicate the effects. And it's the spinning that causes people to vomit, right? Lisa clarified. You got it. So what do I have to do to win this thing? Lisa asked cheerfully. Win? Yeah, you know, kick everyone's ass. Do it better than everyone else. What do I have to do to win? Lisa asked with a smile. Drew laughed. Oh, I see win. Okay. Well, you could not throw up. That's one way. And if you manage to do that, you could also not pass out. And that's it. Just not throw up and not pass out. Yeah. Since everyone else has done either one or both, if you don't do either, you will immediately be declared the winner. Okay. No problem. Clearly you guys have never had any women do this because let me tell you, when menstrual cramps get really bad, this is all we women do. Now let a girl show you how it's done, she said before tapping him on the nose and giving him a wink. There was a part of Drew curious to know how Lisa would respond in the vominator, and a part of him that was sure he already knew. Throwing up and passing out was a matter of biology and physics. Lisa was going to step into the capsule confident, just like he and everyone else had been, and when she stepped out, it would be with the remains of her breakfast smeared against the walls. Settling down for what he was sure would happen, Drew watched the monitor as Lisa strapped herself in. Waiting for her to get comfortable, Drew reached for the communication button. You ready in there? He asked not taking his eyes off of her. Stop trying to put off your defeat and go ahead and press that button, Lisa said shockingly confident. Whatever you say ma'am, Drew replied and then pressed the big green button marked start. Drew continued to watch the monitor as the giant machine started spinning and Lisa's confidence slipped away. Actually, it less slipped away than got sucked from her as the G-forces deformed her face pulling her chubby cheeks past her ears. Where are we at? Drew asked the guys monitoring the meters. We're at 3 gigaseconds, the smaller man told him. She's okayed for 5 gigaseconds, Drew told him. Increasing it to 5 gigaseconds, the man confirmed. Drew watched the monitor, knowing this was where many people passed out. It would be okay if Lisa did here. Most rockets didn't experience more than 3 gigaseconds. And considering that she would only be along for the ride, she had already proven herself capable of surviving the trip. But when the meter reached 5 gigaseconds and Lisa was still awake, Drew decided to push it further. Certainly, there was no harm in doing it. And she had been a little too cocky. Passing out in the Gravitron would be a great reminder of the seriousness of what they were doing. She's okayed for 8 gigaseconds, Drew said. 8 gigaseconds. Are you sure? Yeah. Let her feel 8 gigaseconds. We're at 6 gigaseconds, the engineer said. 7 gigaseconds. We're at 8 Gs, the man concluded. Drew, sure that Lisa wouldn't make it to that, was stunned to see her still awake in the capsule. This was unheard of. Take her to 9 gigaseconds, Drew told him. Okay, we're at 9 gigaseconds. And when that did nothing, take her to 10, he told him. Taking her to 10. When the monitor hit 10 gigaseconds, Drew knew he was beaten. Okay. Shut it off, he said, realizing that Lisa was a better man than him. How is that even possible? The engineer asked Drew as the Gravitron slowed to a stop. I don't even know, Drew concluded before watching Lisa unbuckle herself and slowly move towards the door. Rushing to the outside of the capsule to give Lisa a handout, Drew looked at her with new respect. Lisa was not the athlete that he and Wynn were, but there was no mistaking it, there was definitely something special about her. Whether it was that she was an android from the future who had taken human form, Drew didn't know. 
but whatever it was, he loved it about her. How do you feel? Drew asked, holding her elbow for support. Lisa, not quite stable on her feet, held her finger in the air looking like she was about to puke. It wouldn't happen. Steadying herself and locking her gaze on Drew, she opened her mouth and only words came out. Who's the winner? Lisa asked defiantly. Drew couldn't help but smile. You. You're the winner, he said happily. Hearing that, Lisa tightened her lips and nodded in agreement. Drew stared at her utterly impressed. Considering everything that had happened, he didn't want to like this girl. But now he had to admit, she was even better than he thought she was when they first met. In fact, it was possible that he was now a little in love with her. And maybe it was more than a little. Maybe it was a lot. Chapter 13 Gwyn Are you ready for this? Gwyn asked a nervous-looking Lisa. I don't know. Maybe. I guess. I think so. I don't know, Lisa replied, going through a gamut of emotions. You'll be fine. I've done a ton of news conferences and the key is to not to rush your answers. You're going to feel pressure to come up with an answer right away. Fight that. Take the time you need, gather your thoughts and then when you're ready, reply. What they're really looking for are sound bites. So they're gonna cut up what you say in any case, Wynn explained. Okay. But I just don't want to say anything that will ruin anything for you. Like what? Wynn asked having not considered that before. Like I'm scared. Like I'm trying not to pee my pants every time I think about what happened the last time you launched a rocket. Wynn turned to Lisa, taking a moment to show that he understood what she was saying. I give you permission to just be yourself. There's a reason why you are the perfect person to join us. And it isn't because you are completely polished and know exactly what to say. It's because you're a real. I think that everyone in the world will be able to identify with you and what you're feeling. Just be honest. Just be you and I promise not only will you do great but all the world is gonna love you, Wynne said with a gentle smile. Thank you. I think I'm ready now, Lisa replied looking a little less nervous. Excellent. And I have a little bit of a surprise for you once we get out there, Wynne said casually while meeting eyes with Drew. We think you're really going to like it. A surprise. Do you really think this is a good time to give me a surprise? Are you looking for me to pee myself on camera? Because if a guy in a gorilla suit jumps out and startles me, that's exactly what will happen. You want real. That's what you're gonna get, Lisa said with a sardonic smile. No one's gonna jump out and scare you. I promise. It will be something good. Okay. When asked lightly touching the side of her face. Lisa blushed feeling his touch. Okay, she conceded. Feeling everything was finally set, Wynne turned to the stagehand and signaled to begin. In spite of what he told Lisa, he was extremely nervous. How could he not be? He hadn't spoken to the press since the explosion, and here he was about to announce another launch. He was about to give the reporters whiplash, and the media storm created from it would probably be the most overwhelming of his life. On top of that, although Wynne was sure Drew knew what he was getting himself into, there was no way that Lisa could. He had been sincere with his advice, though. Lisa had a genuineness about her that everyone was going to love as much as he did. Wynne wasn't sure whether Lisa realized it or not, but she was about to become an icon whose name would be remembered for as long as his would be. But everything Wynne knew about her told him that she could handle it. Again, I'll announce the two of you. When you hear your name, come in and sit behind your nameplate, Drew told them. Okay. Got it, Drew replied.
turning his attention back towards Moon X's director of communications, who stood past the table at the podium. Wynn listened for his name. As the preamble continued, Drew was hit by an overwhelming wave of self-doubt. Anything could go wrong. Still a little insecure on his feet, he could trip over a cord and faceplant in front of the world. The reporters could turn on him and make this into a witch hunt blaming him for Bo's death. They could all see this as a desperate attempt to save the company, which it was. Truly anything could happen. And unlike every time in the past, this time he wouldn't have Bowie by his side. I would like to announce Wynn Wyatt, the CEO of Moon X, who has a special announcement for you all. He will be available for questions once the announcement is made. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, Wynn Wyatt, the communications director said in her confident measured tone. Wynn took a deep breath, closed his eyes for a moment, and then stepped from behind the curtain. Crossing behind the long table which gave no indication of who was to come, Wynn approached the podium. Feeling his hands begin to shake, he inconspicuously rested them on the podium and scanned the audience. There were a lot of people he recognized from his last announcement with Bowie a few weeks before. Am I really doing the right thing? He asked himself. What would Bowie say about this if he were here? Wynn wondered before deciding that it was too late to change his mind now. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. You all might be wondering why I asked you to come. It's because I have something special to announce. Wynn looked down, feeling the weight of the moment. Forcing himself to go on, he again addressed the crowd. I guess before I really say what I had planned to say, I should address the accident that happened. Wait. No, what I should address is the loss of my business partner and my friend Bowie Palmer. I guess that would be inaccurate too. He was more than just my friend. I loved him as much as any man could love another man. I loved him and I lost him. Actually, we all lost him. We are trying to figure out how to go on without him. Wynn paused. Wait. That's not true. Moon X will be fine. We have a lot of capable people here, which will keep things running as well as it ever has. What I should say is that I'm still trying to figure out how to get along without him. Hit with a sudden wave of emotion, Wynn felt tears fill his eyes. Wynn did everything he could to wish it away, but when he heard the rapid fire of camera shutters, he knew he had failed. The reporters were all trying to capture the perfect image of him, breaking down in front of the world. Fuck it, he thought, knowing there was nothing he could do about it now. He loved Bowie, and if he was going to be painted as someone too weak to run the company, then fuck them all. He wasn't about to be ashamed of how he felt about his best friend. Bowie was too great of a person to deserve that. Yes, I have emotions, Wynn told the crowd wiping the tears from his cheeks to another barrage of photos. But it is in Bo's name, and in the spirit of his courage, that I am announcing what I am today. We have called this press conference to let you all, and the world, know that in one week's time we will be making a second launch. And this time, we're going to the moon and coming back again, all of us, and in one piece. All of us. A reporter yelled out, grabbing Wynn's attention. Yes, all of us. This time, I will be making the flight with two others. The first is the chief engineer behind the engine's design, Dr. Drew Winner. Come on out, Drew. As Drew exited from behind the curtain, a barrage of camera clicks followed. As he approached the table, stagehands put his nameplate and a microphone on the table in front of one of the chairs. Wynn waited for Drew to sit down, and then continued. And also, someone who I think you all will grow to love as much as I have. She really is a phenomenal person, and someone I couldn't be prouder to share this groundbreaking experience with. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, I introduce you to the final member of our historic crew, Lisa Sammy. Come on out, Lisa. 
Lin watched as Lisa stepped into view. The reporters gasped. The sound of cameras clicking was almost deafening. And throughout it all, Lisa didn't even seem phased. She simply crossed to her position at the table and sat down casually. And now, if you have any questions, feel free to ask, Wynn told the crowd as he joined Drew and Lisa seated behind the table. The roar as reporters fought to ask the first question hit Wynn like a thunderclap. Please, one at the time. You, Ginny, Wynn said, pointing to the dark-skinned woman from the cable news network. Lisa, how do you feel joining these gentlemen into space knowing what happened the last time they attempted? Wynn held his breath knowing that this would be the trickiest question of the day. But when Wynn saw Lisa pause, he realized that she was taking his advice. Then when she spoke what she said came out as if she had been practicing her response her whole life. Well, first I'll correct you. I'm not accompanying these men into space, they're accompanying me. The reporters immediately snapped from their tension and exploded with laughter. Lisa waited for it to die down and then continued. As for the second part of your question, I've gotten a chance to get to know both of these two men. They are both as amazing as you would guess they are. And I've seen them work tirelessly to figure out what went wrong the last time. So there's no one in the world that I would feel more comfortable trusting my life with than these two men. Lisa paused and then gave a flirty smirk. And yes, they are that special ladies. The reporters roared with laughter again. Guinea's voice again cut through the crowd. Are you trying to suggest something about your relationship with these two men? The reporter asked, amused. Suggest something? Of course not. Who do you think I am? Lisa paused with a devilish smile. But if anyone thinks they build giant rockets as compensation, then let me assure you that they don't. Wynn's face immediately glowed bright red hearing Lisa's words. Shocked, he turned towards the audience. They were all rolling with laughter. Lisa was even better with the crowd than he could ever imagine. Who was this woman comfortably sitting behind the microphone? Sure, from the moment he spotted her, he had an inkling that she had potential. But what had gotten over her since she had moved back in with him? What had brought about such a sudden change? It was like she had been unleashed and Wynne loved every moment of it. Handling one question after the next, Lisa held the room until Wynne decided it was time to reveal his surprise. With that last question, I have one more thing to reveal to you all. It's very special. It's something that Lisa hasn't even seen. It is the flight suits we'll be wearing when we become the first space tourists to fly around the moon. In an instant, the confidence that showed all over Lisa's face disappeared. It was like a light being switched off. The abruptness of it startled Wynne. But with no time to ask what was going on, he had no choice but to continue. And in front of all of you, me, Drew, and the real star of the show will try it on. Still seduced by everything, the reporters laughed at Wynne's reference to Lisa as the star. Lisa's response, however, was a look of terror. Lisa had just answered a dozen questions about being launched in a rocket into space. Wynne couldn't understand what about her spacesuit could trigger that type of response. Unable to stop proceedings now, Wynne pushed on unsettled. Lifting his hand into the air, he readied himself for the big reveal. Unable to look away from Lisa, he watched as her distress increased moment by moment. By the time Wynne lowered his hand and the large curtain dropped, she was a shell of her former self. Wynne's heart ached watching her. He wanted to sweep her into his arms and carry her way to safety. But he couldn't. An estimated 20 million people were watching them live. If he didn't want the event to end in disaster, he was going to have to stand his ground and pray that Lisa did the same. As the black curtain hit the ground, Wynne used the wave of photography to sneak to Lisa's side. What's going on? Wynne asked, grasping her hand under the table. Why are you doing this to me? 
Lisa asked, fighting back tears. Doing what? He asked beside himself with confusion. Humiliating me like this. Humiliating you. I would never do that, Gwen said crushed. What is this about? The flight suit. No one ever measured me. It is not gonna fit, Lisa said vulnerably. What? Measure you. Wynn asked incredibly confused. It was then that Wynn put it all together. Lisa somehow thought that she wasn't going to fit into her flight suit. How could she think that? What did that say about how she pictured herself? What did that say about what she thought of him? With the camera clicks dying down, Wynn knew he was running out of time to communicate all the things he wanted to tell her. He wanted to say that he would never put her in that type of position, and that she was beautiful, perhaps the most beautiful woman he'd ever met. He wanted to tell her that he cared about her more than he ever imagined possible, and that all he wanted to do was keep her safe. But he didn't have time for any of it. The only thing he did have time to do was deliver one short message. Do you trust me? Wynne asked staring into Lisa's eyes. Squeezing her hand, Wynne ran out of time before he got a response. People were beginning to stare at them and wonder what was going on. He had to distract them as Lisa decided who she thought he was, a heartless superficial monster or man who cared about her, and would do anything necessary to keep her safe. Let's see you try it on Lisa, one of her new reporter friends suggested. Wynne stared at Lisa knowing that this was it. This was going to tell him everything he needed to know about the way she felt about him. Yeah, Lisa. Let's you try it on, Wynne suggested as he held his heart in his hands. Lisa stared at Wynne for what Wynne felt was forever. His heart pounded as she did. It was then that without a hint of what she was going to do, that she removed her hand from Wynne's, got up and then approached the three spacesuits standing behind them. As she got closer, a group of men unassembled the center suit thinking that she was going to put it on. Wynne couldn't tell if she was going to. All he knew was that their relationship and the future of his billion-dollar company was on the line. It was as she turned around and was helped into the legs of the hardshell spacesuit that Wynne realized just how much he loved Lisa. She didn't have to do this. She didn't have to do any of this. All he could think about was that she was doing this for him. She trusted him implicitly. His heart hurt as he considered how much he loved her. When the body of her spacesuit was on, she held the helmet under her arm and grinned. Wynne couldn't tell what she was so happy about. Yeah, she looked great. In fact, she looked fantastic. Knowing marketing the way he did, he knew that that image of her would be on every little girl's lunchbox and screensaver for the next 50 years. But even more important than that, the fact that she was willing to trust him told Wynne everything he needed to know about how she felt about him. His heart could explode with joy as he thought about it. He loved her. As he stood there staring at her beaming face, he realized it. Wynne loved her, and from everything she had done here today, Wynne thought it was possible that she loved him too. Chapter 14 Lisa Lisa stepped into her spacesuit in front of a room full of reporters as well as the entire world. She had closed her eyes and had taken a leap of faith that Wynne would take care of her. Feeling the hard shell of the suit's torso fit comfortably around her, she realized that she had made the right choice. Lisa couldn't express how much joy she felt in that moment. Perhaps the reporters mistook the look on her face as her gleeful innocence. Without a doubt, it was a relief. At no point had she been measured for her spacesuit. How it fit so perfectly, she didn't know. Wearing it for the first time, she truly believed that she could do this. She could be an astronaut and travel around the moon. She could be more than she ever imagined. 
and although Wynne had declared her the star of the evening, what Lisa most looked forward to was seeing her two men in their spacesuits. They did not disappoint. Wynne was as amazing-looking as ever. And Drew, who looked spectacular, could easily have been mistaken for a Hollywood actor readying for the climax of a movie. With the press conference finally over, Lisa was next swept into the current of everything else she needed to do. There was last-minute training, dietary adjustments, and lots of poking and prodding by doctors. During all of it, Lisa paid a lot of attention to Drew. Ever since she arrived back at Wynn's place and he had decided to leave, things weren't the same. Sure, Drew was polite and encouraging, in fact amazingly so. But he was also distant and seemed a little sad. What had happened to the guy who so readily took Wynn in his arms? Had the two had a falling out during the week she had been gone? There was a big part of her that hoped that the three of them would become a couple. And as grateful as she was that she had Wynn in her life, she was a little disappointed that Drew wasn't there as well. Having had to move out of Wynn's home and into a hotel in preparation for the flight, Lisa laid on her bed thinking about the two men whose rooms were down the hall from hers. Did they feel the same way that she did about them? She hoped they did. Constantly surrounded by people with the launch day quickly approaching, they were never alone long enough to ask. When Drew and Lisa would eat together. They would train together. They would even do interviews together. But at no point could Lisa reach out her hand for a stolen moment. She longed to feel Wynne's arms around her again. And if possible, she heartily desired to lose herself in Drew's touch. When the day of the launch came, Lisa woke up feeling a lot less courageous than she had felt over the past few weeks. More than once she had asked herself what she was doing. Wynne and Drew had been an endless source of encouragement though. That helped, but really she couldn't believe that any of what they said was true. To that point this morning Lisa was long past needing a few attaboys or pats on the back. She was about to strap herself into an explosive device and be launched into space for five days. What sort of right-minded human being did that? Besides that, she was no astronaut. She wasn't even an athlete. She was just some girl who until recently spent her days online fantasizing about fanfiction. Wynne could have chosen someone with his eyes closed and found someone better than her. After all, wasn't there still a possibility that she could screw everything up? Knowing herself, it could happen. The only thing preventing it was her two guys looking after her. She didn't trust herself, but she trusted them implicitly. Are you ready for this? Drew asked her as they met at 4 a.m. for breakfast. I don't know if I can do this, Lisa admitted, not sure how he would respond. Lisa, with all the things that could go wrong today, and realistically speaking it's in the millions, with all of that, you being able to do this is the last thing I would worry about, Drew said with a smile. Lisa didn't understand Drew's response. How could he have so much confidence in her when she didn't have any in herself? He was so good to her, he had always been. She couldn't stop kicking herself for the way she treated him when they had first met. Drew was a man who deserved to be treated like a prince. He was one of the best guys she had ever met. It was for him that Lisa decided to push her doubts aside. Lisa owed Drew for running out on him and then later giving him the cold shoulder. She wasn't about to let him down now. For him, Lisa would pretend like she could do this. And even if it got hard or uncomfortable, Lisa was planning on pushing through it for him. It was the least she could do. Lisa's newfound confidence, however, only lasted for the next hour. There seemed no getting around the fact that she was going to strap yourself into a rocket exactly like the one which had exploded just weeks before. These could realistically be her last hours alive. Seeing Wynne join her and Drew in the waiting room did foster her courage for a little while longer, however. Staring at him, Lisa looked for signs of nerves. 
The rocket had exploded the last time he had done this after all. But there was no hint of it. He had to be the most courageous man alive. It was Wynne's undeniable courage that gave Lisa the medal to get into her spacesuit and be transported into the capsule. When she was strapped in and the capsule door was closed was when she again began to waver. It was the countdown playing over the speakers that did it. Opening her mouth about to call the whole thing off, she stopped when she saw Wynne move. He was reaching over his head for the big red button marked privacy. When it was depressed, Wynne shouted, wait. What is it? Drew asked distraught. There's something I need to tell you too. It's something I should have said to Bowie before we launched, and I didn't. Now I'll never get the chance. What are you talking about? Drew asked confused. Lisa watched as Wynne paused, gathering his courage. Drew, I have never met a man like you. I need you to know that. I don't know how you feel about me, but I have no question about how I feel about you. I love you. Not only are you one of the most brilliant men I've ever known, but you're one of the kindest and most thoughtful. I understand if you don't want to be with me. My world can be a lot. But I want you to know that I want to be with you. Hearing Wynne's declaration of love for Drew made Lisa's heart melt. She had suspected that that was the way Wynne felt about Drew. It was amazing and beautiful to hear. And if he had said it in any other context, Lisa would also have considered it incredibly hot. The only thing Lisa didn't like about what Wynne had said was how glaringly obvious it made it that Wynne didn't feel the same way about her. Considering whether she had stood in the way of the two men truly being happy with one another, she was about to speak up when she was interrupted by a still passionate Wynne. And Lisa, I need you to know that I think you are the most courageous person I have ever met. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to take care of me after the accident. You didn't have to do any of this. You know how flawed I am even though the world doesn't. You see it and you accept it, and I love you for it. I need you to know that I love you. I love you. I love Drew. I love you both. And when we get back to Earth, God, that seems so weird to say, but when we get back to Earth, I want us to be together. The three of us. That's if you'll have me. Lisa was floored listening to Wynne's declaration. He loved her. How was it that someone like him could love someone like her? She didn't understand it, but finally sitting in a rocket ship face to face with her mortality, she didn't care. She had always wanted Wynne to love her. It had begun before she really knew who Wynne Wyatt was. Getting to know him hadn't diminished it. Seeing his vulnerability only made him more beautiful. If he wanted to be with her, she was no longer going to question it. She was going to accept it and thank whatever unlikely set of circumstances had made such a thing possible. I love you too, Drew said cutting Lisa off before she could say the same. Wynne, I need you to know how I feel as well, Drew continued. You have my heart. You inspire me every day, you have the most brilliant mind I have ever seen, and if I could I would spend the rest of my life with you. Lisa, I liked you from the moment I met you. I mean, from the moment I truly met you at the bar. I know that you don't feel about me the same way as I feel about you, but I need you to know, just in case I don't get another opportunity. You are amazing. I think you are the most amazing person ever. I've never met someone so willing to embrace life. I admire you, and I love you. Lisa sat silently. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. How was it possible that these two incredible men could feel the way they did about her? About to declare her undying love for them both, Lisa was again interrupted as Mission Control demanded confirmation that they hadn't lost communication. I repeat, Moon Capsule, can you hear me? 
the woman said with mounting tension. It was with hesitation that Wynne let go of the privacy button. We read you loud and clear, Wynne acknowledged as the countdown dipped below 20. Suddenly ripped from the moment, Lisa realized that this was it. In less than 20 seconds, they were about to ignite the engines. Who knew what was going to happen? She opened her mouth to assure her two guys that she loved them too when nothing came out. Trying again and realizing it was no use, Lisa laid back and instead focused on the blue sky outside the window above. Lisa's heart boomed inside her ears as the countdown dipped below 10 and then below 5. Forget the rocket, she felt like she was about to explode. Tears rolled down her cheeks. She didn't know what she was crying about. And as the countdown reached 1, she didn't care. The rumbling as the rocket engines fired wasn't something she had expected. The shaking rattled her to her core. Even with the helmet, the noise was deafening. With heat pouring from her hands, her face and every part of her body, she wondered if she was going to pass out. With her heart pounding like a kettle drum, she almost did. As the two-ton science marvel left the ground, Lisa couldn't breathe. There was a corset-like tightness in her chest. Was it the G-forces? She didn't know, but it was then that Lisa knew that she needed to say, I love you too. Both of you. I can't live without you. I don't want to, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you too, Lisa announced to her rocket mates and, unintentionally, to the hundreds of millions of people listening. With that off of her chest, Lisa was amazed to feel how easy it had become to breathe. The G-forces were nothing. It was nowhere near what the vominator was. The discomfort did take her mind off the next important countdown, though. It had been 14 seconds into the launch that the last rocket had exploded. That milestone came and went, and all Lisa had noticed was how the blue sky slowly turned black. Get ready for disengagement, the woman at Mission Control said over the roar of the engines. Three, two, one. Disengage. It was in that moment that most of the rattling stopped. Lisa, remembering her classes, knew what that meant. Their rocket ship had made it past the stratosphere. That was a crucial stage, because it meant that they were all going to survive. They had made it. Lisa and the two men she loved were very quickly entering space. Everything that happened after that was still thrilling, but nowhere near what Lisa had experienced during launch. As things got dark, Lisa considered if they had missed their trajectory. Remembering how long their journey was, she decided to instead focus on the unbelievable selection of stars. Hours passed as the two men beside her talked to Mission Control, reassuring them that everything had gone fine. Lisa was genuinely just a space tourist. Considering this was Wynne and Drew's job, Lisa was the first one ever. How had she ended up here? Lisa wondered. This was so far beyond a dream come true. Before meeting Wynne, Lisa didn't even know how to dream this big. Who could tell what life had in store for her after this? All she knew was that she wanted to be with Wynne and Drew. And considering how the two of them felt about her and each other, it looked like she was going to get that as well. So you love us? Wynne said, after again pressing the privacy button above him. Lisa smiled. You heard what I said. Oh, we heard you, Drew confirmed. I think the entire world heard you too. What do you mean? Lisa asked genuinely. You're supposed to press the privacy button if you want to say something you don't want everyone listening to hear, Wynne explained with his button firmly depressed. A flash of white-hot heat pulsed across Lisa's face. Oh my God. She said in a panic. I'm so sorry. Wynne laughed. Don't worry about it. But I think you're gonna have a lot of questions to answer once we get back to Earth. Oh no, Lisa said distressed. What are you worried about? Drew added. 
if I remember the press conference correctly, you had them eating out of your hands. Wasn't she good? Wynne agreed. She put you to shame. Yes, she did. Maybe I should have her do all my press conferences from now on, Wynne joked. People clearly like her better. Are you kidding? Lisa chimed in. The only way I was able to survive that thing was because of you. You don't know who I was before I met you. But I can assure you that I wasn't someone who would have ended up here. I can honestly say that I am everything I am because of you. You don't know how much you've done for me over the years just by being you. Win, I love you so much, Lisa said resting her hand on the arm of Win's suit. And I love you, Win replied. So what do you to say? When we get back home, do you two want to make this official? Do you want to become a family? Drew smiled. I do. Lisa reached out her other hand and rested it on Drew's arm. There's nothing I would want more, she declared happier than she had ever been. Wynne beamed as he stared at the two people he loved and let go of the privacy button. They were back to work after that. For the most part, it was a tedious trip. Not having had time for extensive anti-gravity training, Drew and Lisa were expected to remain in their seats for as long as they could while Wynne served them. Yes, in space, it was the billionaire who did the serving. He warmed up and brought them their dinners, removed their plates and even did the cleaning up. As the moon came into view, he then transitioned into their tour guide. Wynne was like a schoolboy pointing out the moon's craters and features. This journey had been his lifelong dream, and seeing the world-famous Wynne Wide reduced to a fanboy himself, Lisa spotted a little of herself in him. You know for the next two hours, we're going to be in radio silence with Earth, Wynne said with a devilish smile on his face. Are we in danger? Lisa asked missing Wynne's point. Drew looked at Wynne intrigued. No. We'll be fine. I don't think that's what Wynne was suggesting. Drew's right. That wasn't what I was suggesting. Lisa looked between the two men. Then what were you suggesting? Wynne looked at Drew and then back at Lisa. Ever wonder what it would be like to have sex in space? Lisa allowed the image to settle in her mind before giving a satisfying smile. It might have crossed my mind. But aren't we supposed to remain seated? Well, I don't know. Luckily, we brought along the rocket's chief engineer. We can ask. Dr. Winter, is such a maneuver recommended? Not only is recommended, I'm thinking it's required, Drew confirmed. I guess we'll have to listen to the expert, Lisa said, preparing herself to be the first woman to have sex in space. Wynne, who had already unstrapped himself, floated over to Lisa, helping her out of her seat and her suit. With all of the layers she needed both of her guys' help. Once she was free, the experience was unlike anything else. With each of their hands on the other, Wynne was the first to kiss Lisa. With them floating and spinning, Drew soon followed. There was no need for anyone to guess how arousing this was for the guys. Absent of gravity, their enormous tools pressed against Lisa's naked flesh unhindered. It didn't take long for Drew's thickness to search out Lisa's opening. Hi, this is the author again. Yep, more steamy things are happening. And if you'd like to get a version of this book with the steamy bits in, narrated by me, you can get it for free by clicking on a link in the description and signing up for a free trial. I suggest you check it out. It's really, really fun. With the moon capsule slowly exiting the dark side of the moon, the three raced back into their suits. Lisa was lightheaded thinking about the future they would have together. They had just made love in the moonlight as their rocket ship rounded the moon. If this was just the beginning, what was next? 
back in their suits and starting the long trip back to Earth, all three secretly rested their hands on one another's. For Lisa, not being able to lose herself in their arms was torture. So when the capsule re-entered Earth's atmosphere and splashed into the ocean, it felt like the relief of a lifetime. Lisa, what did you mean when you said that you loved them too? Jenny, cable news network reporter, asked her during their return press conference. I meant that I love them. I am in love with them, and I hope they would say that they are in love with me too, Lisa declared looking back at her two guys. What do you say, Wynn? Dr. Winter? Jenny asked the two men. Allow me to speak for Dr. Winter when I say that we both plan on loving her for the rest of our lives. And by the way, I plan on doing the same with this guy right here, Wynne said before taking a hold of the back of Drew's neck and kissing him in front of everyone. Lisa, liking what she was seeing, turned to Ginny again. And in case there was any confusion, ladies, I'd like to point out that when Wyatt is officially off the market, Lisa announced to a mixture of laughter and smiles from the reporters. Lisa turned to the two most gorgeous men she'd ever met in her life and gave them each a kiss. Then, as if the three of them were alone, she wrapped her arms around them, inspiring them to wrap their arms around her. Standing there absorbing their body heat, there was no place she would have rather have been. Lisa was happy, and she knew she was about to live happily ever after. The End I hope you enjoyed that story. If you'd like to listen to another of my menage romances, this time with the spicy bits included, which I recommend, and narrated by me, you can use the link in the description of this video and get it on Audible for free. How's that? By clicking on the links to Audible in the description and getting a free trial for a new account. After you get my book with a free trial, you can keep it even if you cancel your membership. But get this, if you do keep your account open for at least 62 days, Audible will pay me $75 as a referral fee. In other words, if you'd like to support me, the author, and help me keep posting my books here for free, the best possible thing you can do by a mile would be to sign up for a free account on Audible and use it to get my book first. As a reader of books, I'm a huge fan of Audible. For the past few years, I've only read audiobooks. And the best thing about Audible is that even when you only get one credit a month, you have access to a lot of other audiobooks that are exclusive to Audible and are included in your monthly fee. So please, use the link in the description to check out the rest of my Menage books and my other books on Audible. Otherwise, you can check out this channel for a few more of my books because you might like those too. Happy listening.